everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 444, 444. I'm Husker Zoner, joined as always by my co-host David Biggs and Span and Biggs. Man, another just another slow week in wrestling in 2024 as we record this show. Good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For people who didn't pick up the sarcasm, um, let's see, we've got... <laughs> We got John Laurinaitis turning on Vince. Yeah. We have uh, both Wall Street Journal and um, NBC News independently reporting that the uh, federal investigation about Vince is on sex tra- potential sex trafficking charges. Yeah. Um, all of the rock bullshit went down. Which is overshadowing the Vince stuff. To a degree, yes. <laughs> um, Rossi Ogawa is gone from stardom and was poach, poach, trying to poach wrestlers for a new promotion. That he's starting up, yes. Yes. Um, am I forgetting he's anything? Pull, he's pulling a Masawa. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Collision was really good. I don't think it was that newsworthy. But, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Oh, and... It, and no one thought that maybe uh might not be in the best taste to continue to have Ilya Dragunov have a move named the H-bomb after uh, the question that Nick Hausman <laughs> asked Shawn Michaels on the NXT uh, media call the previous week. Yeah, especially considering Sean's deal. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he's the one in charge of NXT. He's being asked about that. I, I mean, I haven't been close enough attention to realize even that one of his moves was the H-bomb. I thought they were all Torpedo Moscow or whatever. But it wasn't a good idea to call a wrestling move the, an H, the H-bomb the first time over 20 years ago. It's still not good, a good idea now. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but it's wrestling. Yeah, it's wrestling. Um... Yeah, did anything else happen? I mean, other stuff happened. I don't know if anything super news. It's happened. just, no, it's just a lot going on. But that's why we do these shows to give you guys a little reprieve of that, if you want, as we go back in the past. Yes. And uh, we do have a guest, but he'll be on later on in the show. So we'll go ahead and lead off as we go to the week that was February seventh through the thirteenth of nineteen ninety-five, and we start with World Championship Wrestling. World Championship Wrestling has taken the next step in the experiment to find out what exactly is the saturation point for pay-per-view wrestling. WCW has now taken the gamble of taking pay-per-view from a, being a quarterly special mega car to something akin to a bi-monthly special to basically being the monthly major house show with the decision to drop both the June and November Clash of the Champions cards and replace them with pay-per-views. This will give WCW nine pay-per-view shows and two clashes in 1995. The only one remaining being in August, with this distinct possibility of dropping clashes all together after the next one and going to 10 or 11 pay-per-view shows in 1996. Between WCW's nine shows, WS5, and UFC's four, there are these 18 pay-per-view dates in 1995, as a bare minimum, already on the schedule. And add that to the possibility of one or two AAA and or UWFI pay-per-views, and WCW producing its own competing UFC show... Leaves a schedule of as many as 23 pay-per-view events. I will have more on that coming up. 
just to be clear, we'll, that's that's the WCW produced and distributed K1 paper. Well, well, we'll have more on that coming up. Roughly one or two weeks. This isn't necessarily 23 competing events, since many are more indirect than direct competition with one another because they appeal to different audience bases, but there is a significant overlapping audience for all wrestling and or shoot combat with wrestling or any pay-per-view shows. For WCW, pay-per-view is the main cash cow, with shows of late grossing anywhere from $1.3 million to $2.5 million for the two Hogan Flair events, making them the most profitable profitable part of the company and really the only thing keeping WCW from literally somewhere in the $10 million range in annual losses. The question lies at what point is oversaturation and at what point does running too many shows start to kill the golden goose? After a few years of consistently declining buy rates within the industry, the declines have leveled off the past two years for both WF and WCW. Newcomers to the market, UFC in particular, have done shockingly well, even without anywhere near the level of mass marketing and television exposure. Even the AAA preview show, which in many ways was poorly marketed and had limited television exposure outside of Galavision Cable, was marginally profitable and drew primarily an English-speaking audience, leaving only the UWFI shows as the only ones that didn't generate hundreds of thousands of dollars. In addition for ECW to accomplish its goals and be a legitimate force in wrestling, it also has to build its audience base up to the point it can do regular profitable pay-per-view events. By raising the list of pro- list price of the biggest events from twenty four ninety five to twenty seven fifty, and up to thirty two fifty the day of the show, and increasing from seven to nine bits, WCW obviously believes its core of probably more than one hundred thousand regular buyers will continue to order every show, with the price increase starting with the March nineteenth show, and the base audience stays loyal and orders every show, it'll bring the company that much closer to financial solvency. The other big winner out of this deal is Hulk Hogan. Hit the buy race average of 0.7 in 1995. Considering a prob- probable late year feud with Randy Savage, following the current Vader issue and mixing tag matches with Ric Flair, that may be a conservative estimate. If Hogan were to work all nine preview events in 1995, and Dave's guess he'll probably end up missing one or two, and they average to 0.7, his percentage would be a whopping 4.46 million. And that doesn't include house show money, merchandising, or 900-line revenue. Keep in mind, that is a conservative estimate. Most likely, WCW is correct in its thinking, as price increases haven't seemed to affect buys whatsoever. WF does more buys for its highest-priced events, WrestleMania and SummerSlam, than their other three. WCW showed no decline in buys above that of what the industry as a whole was going through during its declining years. When it raised the price from 1995 to 24.95 and around 1992, Dave sure AAA show would have done almost exactly the same number of buys at 24.95 if that was the price instead of 1995. UFC raised their price from 14.95 to 1995 for its most recent show, and yet the effect of the price increase was that orders increased from about 145,000 to 205,000. And Dave would suspect that another price increase, the $24.95, as the group gets more established, will do nothing to keep its audience from purchasing the shows. Ultimately, economics dictates there is a saturation point. But hardcore wrestling fans have proven to be pretty loyal when it comes to ordering pay-per-view events, and companies have gotten better and better at marketing the shows. Compared to buying tickets and paying for parking and food for most major sports or entertainment events at major arenas, a $27.50 price tag for a major entertainment show is actually quite inexpensive by today's standards. If you get a great show for your money. Of course, for some of the recent preview shows, free would be overpriced. 
Although no final decision has been made one way or the other by adding the two pay-per-view shows, it certainly lessens the possibility of WCW producing two AAA slash IWC pay-per-view shows in 1995. As of right now, there is a proposal for a June AAA pay-per-view show produced by WCW. However, as the schedule falls, the AAA pay-per-view show would be on either June the 4th or June the 11th, which would create a conflict since WCW show had to be on either the June 11th or the 25th, since WF already has King of the Rings solidified on June 18th from Philadelphia, and USC's running June 23rd, which would make it a tremendous glut during that month. Even those within WCW are acknowledging that while the AAA preview idea isn't a dead one right now, by WCW adding preview dates, it decreases the incentive of them wanting to produce and promote preview dates for anyone else. Ironically, if the AAA IWC WCW deal falls through, Semaphore Entertainment Group, which are the behind-the-scenes promoters of USC, would be the group most likely to take over the producing the AAA events. A lot when it comes to the future of AAA, at least short-term in the United States, which should be ironed out this coming week because the meeting is scheduled to finalize house show and pay-per-view dates for the April through June period. Semaphore Entertainment Group produced the AAA pay-per-views. Uh, That's a story that was out there at the time. Yes. Nothing comes um, it. <laughs> No. No, it doesn't. And, I mean, we're right here in, in a spot where AAA... Um, They're in rough shape because of the peso being devaluated alongside uh, Arpar's death. Yeah, but they're, ba- they're, they're trying to put their e- eggs in, in the American basket. Yes. That's what's going on here. Which I, they kind of need to be trying to be because of the, econo- the economy in Mexico. Exactly. But that doesn't really go anywhere. No. The, the scholar relationship goes to hell and end up just kind of rudderless in the U.S. Like, they still yes. they still run Los Angeles for a bit. I don't know who the local promoter is after Ron Scholar's out, but that's about it. Well, I guess John, John Rezzi was involved still after Scholar was out for a little bit, right? Yeah. I don't know so. if he was, like, the one, but... um. Something that Dave doesn't mention here, and now in your house, I guess, has not been announced yet. Otherwise, Dave would have mentioned it. It's not announced, no. Okay. Something to keep in mind with this expansion for both companies. So I went digging on one file to see if there are any trade articles while you were reading. And there's nothing from right at this point, but there is something from later in the year. I'm not going to read it, but I'm, I'm, here's why I'm mentioning it. Something in the background of all this, and I might actually, there's a part I might read. Is DirecTV launched less than a year earlier? Mm hmm. And Dish Network's about to launch in a year. And let me see. Uh, there was a number in here about how much better pay per views do, combat sports pay per views do on. Um, On satellite compared to... uh... Okay, here we go. So this is by Maurice Weaver in the December 4th, 95 multi-channel news, okay? Yeah. Um, So it says, The performance uh, and perception of pay-per-view events on direct broadcast satellite services are getting a thumbs up from both DBS executives and pay-per-view distributors. Given the tremendous growth of DirecTV and Primestar Partners... Coupled with the expected launch of other services such as Echostar Communications Inc., that's Dish Network, and Alpha Star Television Network Inc., 
I don't know what that is. Does that go anywhere? Not that I know of. In 1996, the buy rate potential for pay-per-view events has increased dramatically. DBS distributed events often perform 30% to 100% better than the cable market, depending on the event, said uh, McCattery Lipskull, executive vice president of Showtime Event Television. The satellite dish has generated 20% to 25% of all the revenue for TVKO events, says Mark Taffet, senior vice president for TVKO. They've quickly become an essential variable in financing and launching a major pay-per-view event. Then also we have, it's a shot in the arm. Pay-per-view's been stagnant for a long time, said Michael Weber, director of marketing and pay-per-view for Turner Home Entertainment, which distributes World Championship Wrestling events. If we do 100,000 buys an event, that's almost a million dollars a year additional for us. He means, I guess, 100,000 extra buys per show. So that's a big deal that's not really being talked about here and realistically probably helped drive the expansion of the wrestling pay-per-view schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what what do you think, especially as someone who has had DirecTV, you know, what is the reason that DirecTV customers are more likely to be into paying for sports? DirecTV was founded on the back of sports. I mean, DirecTV, the, I mean, when they first started, their big hook was NFL Sunday Ticket, which... You, I mean, it was the package you paid to get all the NFL games. So it's basically pay-per-view. Um, and then with that, then came your MLB Extra Innings package, your NBA League Pass package, NHL Center Ice package. Uh, they had a college football package at the time. So DirecTV was the home for all of these packages where you could pay and watch all these out-of-market games. And that was, again, like I said, the big selling force for DirecTV among guys. It was that. I just checked. AlphaStar did launch, but uh, it lasted about 14 months and had 40,000 subscribers at the end when they went into bankruptcy. But, um, I mean, yeah, that was the big hook for DirecTV because, yeah, I mean, you could buy – the boxing pay reviews, you could buy the wrestling reviews, USC pay reviews on cable, but having these packages that were exclusive to Direct TV was huge. So you get people to get Direct TV, and then if they already have Direct TV and they're already uh, buying this stuff, you had the pay review options there. And so, and again, a whole lot easier because now with Direct TV, you don't have to make a phone call. You got you can order it on your receiver. Yeah. That's a game changer. <laughs> a huge game changer in the mid nineties. You now, know, I had a I had a box already. You could order pay per view through at this point. But that was very they were. very rare. Now it did not have a more sophisticated UI that like a Directv had, but it was it it existed, and it was just like a whatever the newest at the time, like Gerald brand cable box was. I mean, I, I don't think that they got digital cable boxes here. It wasn't digital. Well, analog. well cable boxes period here where I lived at until 2001. Well, you must have, if someone got HBO or whatever, they needed a cable box. Different. Yeah. You had a cable box. 
Everybody, I mean, I had cable box you in the eighties. Cable box that had any features other than tuning channels. Exactly. Okay. Yes, Bix. <laughs> because I had cable box, but I couldn't order pay per view. Wait, why so, couldn't you order pay per? Oh, you couldn't order pay per view through it. Yeah. No. Well, my cable company didn't carry pay per view, so Wait, there's really? that too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, they may have. I I just I couldn't do it. But so. yeah, like we had these boxes. It was when they expanded and like added Comedy Central and Cartoon Network and Encore and Flicks and all those to the lineup. When they did that upgrade, they offered these new boxes that had on-screen display. You could order pay-per-view through them. I believe you could do parental controls with them. And the other feature, and this one came in very useful, was you could set its own. It had a separate VCR timer. So you could set the cable box to change channels. Oh, so it would change. So you wouldn't have to remember to leave it off the box on a specific channel to record something with your VCR that needed your cable box. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like this is a, you know, it's interesting looking back that we have this big increase in the schedule and what's probably a major factor never gets talked about in the sheets. Yeah. But yeah. So as far as the price increase stuff, Dave mentioned, it was that, or at least that the, they were going up across the board with WWF. It was the King of the Ring, Rumble, and Survivor Series were twenty four ninety five. SummerSlam was like twenty seven fifty, and then or twenty seven ninety five, and Mania was twenty nine ninety five. I think sounds right. And then, well, Mania Mania eleven was uh thirty four ninety five because they had to figure out a way to pay LT, I guess. Um. And WCW, like Dave said, went up from 25 to 27 and a half. And didn't, yeah, didn't. that's a small increase, though. So, like, of course it didn't really hurt. Yeah. Now, did you think it was too much? Or, or do you now? Like, how do you look at this increase in the pay-per-view schedule from both companies? It was going to happen. It was inevitable. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. So... You know, there's just no, no way around it. Um, I do think that it was better when you had those the, like pay per views tiered, where like WF did, where you know, then your house was a two hour show. Yeah, I think that was the the best idea, and when that that went away. You know, it, it, I mean, it just, I, I, I was not the biggest fan of it. Every pay-per-view should be three hours long. I mean, well, let's, general, let's we're make, not fans of every wrestling show should be three hours. Long. I, well, yeah, but I'm saying, I mean, it's, let's make, let's make some shows feel special. You know, let your bigger shows be longer shows where they feel special because they're the bigger shows. And it's been nice. Like in the last year or two when WWE's done shorter shows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, NXT was you know, two and a half hours, you know, the other uh, Sunday night as we recorded I mean, those, ne those never went too long. No, they don't. They don't. I do like the fact they're starting an hour early. They're going to start doing that. Oh, uh, when? Mania. I think Mania is going to be seven o'clock. Oh, as far as the main shows. Okay. Yeah, they manias will start at seven. And I think that, I think that may be a thing they're going to do uh, for all the shows now. 
Yeah, I always hated uh, it that they moved it up to eight. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, um, when I mean, why not do the shows in the you know like six o'clock or something like that? I mean, back in the day, pay views would be at three, four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So the first WrestleMania was at one p.m. Yeah. So stuff can be done. And, you know, with the the new people in charge of WE, which, you know, we've already, (laughs) well, all the, the TKO side, I mean, with all their people in there and all that stuff. I mean, Nick Khan already got all that stuff changed where we got more, basically all shows on Saturdays in a lot of ways. So, I mean, that's a very positive change. So we'll see what they do. All right, back to 95. After the Super Bowl preview on February 19th in Baltimore with the first Hogan Vader meeting, WWE has preview day scheduled for March 19th in Tupelo for WWE Uncensored and May 21st, St. Petersburg for Slamboree. Baltimore's possibility of doing 10,000 pay, which made the first WCW show to hit that mark since 1989. The only WCW shows to have drawn more than 10,000 pay were two 1989 shows headlined by Ric Flair Terry Funk. What was the one other than the bash? Omni? Probably, yes. Think about that. <laughs> it was almost six years. And only two times, period, in the history of WCW as a as a thing, they drew over 10,000 pay fans. They have some momentum, though. Like, they drew, like, 9,000 in Chicago the week before this. The Tupelo car will feature a Hogan Vader strap match, rematch, Sting versus Big Bubba, Randy Savage versus Avalanche, Harlem Heat versus Nasty Boys in a tornado match for the tag titles. Boxer wrestler with Johnny B. Bad and Arn Anderson. Dustin Wrestler's Black Top Bully in a match where they'll be doing the match in the back of a large truck. And Jim Duggan versus Mean will be built as a martial arts challenge. On paper, it's like a weak show, as in the matches look to be sure bets to be good. And really, only the top two matches look likely to be good with Harlem Heat and Nasties having possibilities. Bad versus Arn being questionable because of the gimmick. Rose Bully could either be great or horrible, depending upon the limitations of the gimmick. Savage versus Avalanche looks bad, and Duggan versus Mean looks real bad. It appears Super Bowl should do better in Starcade, but not as good as the Hog- two Hogan Flair matches on pay-per-view. At least it should, because even with a weak undercard, Vader is a far more marketable opponent for Hulk Hogan than The Butcher. In addition, at least based on this market, television advertised for this pay-per-view has increased many times over the previous ones. It's impossible to watch any major cable station in this market and not see regular spots for the pay-per-view focusing on Vader as being Hogan's toughest challenge ever, including all over Titan USA Network telecasts, which is a first. That's another factor in the increase of buy rates for the shows involving Hogan is that the advertising budget has been so much larger, so that should also increase buys. Although the last major show, the January Clash, even with the in-ring debut of Randy Savage, Hogan, at a half-page ad on page two of the USA Today sports section the day of the event, resulted in the same rating as the previous year with none of the above. That's interesting to think about. You know, even with Hogan and all the bells and whistles, you still did the same numbers you did the previous year. Huh. For uh, kind of the a clash. duck main yeah. event of uh, Vader and Rude against Sting and Flair in an elimination tag. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They're also producing a new promotional concept for Super Brawl. They're going to run a Sunday main event show live. Uh, the last half hour being simulcast on the preview, the preview pregame show, which they did previously for the Halloween Havoc preview show in Detroit, Baltimore. But the 
but Bart, but the Dart match, which will appear live on television, will be Arm versus Johnny Bear for the TV title in a lumberjack match to set the return in Tupelo. So they'll be running main event caliber match for you to entice viewers that this is what the rest of the show offers, which is an excellent idea. How did it it's take so long sh- for this to happen? Yeah, exactly. Why? Why, why was it so long? For them to do something like this. Well, it could have been worse. The days of them running a pay-per-view counter to their Saturday Night TBS show. Yes. That's it. That was full insanity. Yes. How how are you doing that? How are you running a pay-per-view show that's airing the same time as your television show on TBS, your flagship show? But they've had... But WCW, God, everybody. But they've had this... They've had main event as a lead in for years and they just they never used it that way. Just insane. They also introduced a new promotional con oh I already read that. The only item is on about in the May twenty first show, and then what was released at the Disney tapings, was that they're inducting several people into WCB Hall of Fame, which they believe will be Dusty Rose, Fritz Von Eric, Dory Funk Jr., Antonio Noki, and Jim Barnett. Now, uh while there have been many rumors swirling around regarding Ricky Steeboat in that show, there's behind-the-scenes heat currently regarding Steamboat because of either threatened or filed lawsuits to from his termination 10 weeks for the end of his contract when the office found out that about his screening injury. What's the spot there? It's been suggested to think of his career accomplishments and the fact he's both undeniably deserving and the promotion has never acknowledged his retirement, which is true. This is a wrestling profession. Ultimately, most of those in charge live with the attitude of either they're with us or against us. And Steve on WCW now, for that reason, falls into the latter category based on that mindset. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing that with Steamboat, they never acknowledged he was retired. Nope. He just disappeared, you know? Yes. Very weird. In addition, the Cruiserweight title tournament, which has been talked about for months, will either have the tournament final of the champions, presumably Brian Pillman, for his first defense on May 21st. The Cruiserweight Tournament, most, if not all, set the finals, of which will be taking place on March the 6th in Dauphin, Alabama. The days may continue to postpone, and don't be shocked if it is again, because they're just starting to work on getting outside talent. And there's a matter of doing it legally, proper, this takes time, which has really turned into a major behind-the-scenes political ball game. WCW's idea from the start was to bring in several outsiders, particularly wrestlers from foreign countries, to give the title credibility, and also because of the exception of Pillman, there's nobody in the company in that weight division with much, with much credibility, and without outsiders, turn into the same jobber championship that many former junior weight champions of the 1980s were regarded as. At press time, we don't know of any foreigners who were 100% as far as being involved, they, although they want wrestlers from New Japan at AAA. The only outside name we've actually heard was Coco Beware, and maybe Jerry Estrada. ECW and Paul Heyman have decided not to allow any of their talent to appear because they aren't interested in talent trading and are insistent on not wanting any of their talent appearing on WF or WCW television or pay-reviews. This eliminates most, the most viable North American outsiders like Sabu, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Tuco Scorpio. The first of two whom Dave knows were seriously considered and the latter two who should, which should have been, although Dave didn't know for a fact if they were. There may be political problems with Scorpio being brought back even just for a few days since it was over, he was fired over a series of positive drug tests. Although given the company's recent actions regarding the lack of testing and Frank Anderson, that would be hypocritical. In the case oh. of Benoit... Also, what? failed drug tests for what, Dave? Tell us what he failed those drug tests for. We, 
Yes, every time. In the case of Benoit, who, if he had entered, would have no doubt pushed at least to the semifinals or have been safe for a baby program, he has turned it down. Dave didn't know the status of Sabu, who has been either offered a spot in the show in the Cruiserweight Tonight match on May 21st, and Dave don't believe he had either accepted or turned it down at press time. Heyman was adamant about not using Sabu, who was generally considered the group's single biggest star if he would have worked with, for WCW in the tournament or on the pay review. WCW has also tried to get two wrestlers from AAA, but at press time, that deal isn't definite either, with time running out on decision making and AAA having a much deserved reputation of having time run out before deals get done. Ah, uh, this Cruiserweight title tournament. Yeah. Did we ever find out why it didn't happen until a year later? Yeah, basically. No, but why? The shit that they're going through right here. They can't get nobody. So is the implication they're just having issues getting people work visas, or...? No, they want to work... ECW won't work with them. They're wanting guys like Benoit and Scorpio and Malenko and guys like that, and ECW's not playing ball. They know they can't just depend on outsiders from Japan and Mexico. They have to have American outsiders. Yeah. I mean, and Coco Beware, I love him. I mean, he's not... <laughs> He's not the needle mover that they needed at that time. So if you can't get those guys who are hooked up with ECW who are, who are the needle movers for that division, I mean, why even do it? You know? Coco beware. <laughs> so, I mean, that's basically it. So, And then when they get all the talent they need to get, that's when they do it. Rick and Scott Steiner, who originally scheduled to debut on the March 19th pay-per-view, will have their debut move back to an as-of-yet-unnamed June pay-per-view. The apparent reason is that for WCW to use them effectively, since they'll probably come in with a high price tag, would be in a tag team title program, which would mean at this point with Harlem Heat. Because their status in Japan, which is their prime bread and butter and reputations and lack thereof of the current WCW tag champs, while using the term impossible, would be too strong. It would be difficult to get the signers to a job for Hall Heat, and WCW felt incorrectly so that it wouldn't be in the best interest to do a favorite program where their own champions would look bad and never get a win at the end against non-regulars. In addition to me cutting off the main thrust of the program with Nasty Boys at the next week's show. And the Steiners. Oh, the Steiners, yeah. Which, I mean... enough that they aired that hype video on some of the TV shows. They were all over the TV in this era. And either that hype video or... Just in, in, I mean, in they stuff are in promoting censored ad. Yes, they are. So it was very much on the books. But they were coming in, but nope. And they don't come in for a year. Yep. Very weird though, because this is like they're outright saying the Steiners are coming. But we, and we and we never know why they don't come. Yeah, I don't think we ever heard why. <laughs> That's the thing. There's never a reason why they're not there. They're just not there. And then, you know, they have their little cup of coffee with ECW later in the air. Well, Rick's in and out of ECW, you know, multiple times throughout the year. Well, Rick has the one-off and then comes in with Scott later in the year. And they and they work a, you know, a few, quite a few shows. Yeah. So, but yeah, just all, just a weird, weird deal. And there was also the deal where they were supposed to be on the Smoky Mountain uh, Super Bowl wrestling. But, like, I forget, like, this whole story with, like, like which brother Cornette reached out to. And there was a miscommunication about the price. And 
how Scott will only take bookings for a certain price because he only takes bookings to stay in shape between Japanese stores, something like that. Which is weird because they just work for Smokey here in 94. They must have gotten a raise. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, so they, I mean, including Rick's, so Rick has nine matches in ECW, the Steiner brothers have eight. Yeah. It's not a lot, you know. So, cause the, so the Steiner brothers as an act are in ECW for basically two months. Yeah. I, uh, we had a house show in Florence, South Carolina, February 10th, from 2700. We had stars and stripes that were pretty wonderful. I was talking about Eaton, Joey Bad over Steven Regal, Paul Meat retained the titles, beat Nasty Boys by DQ, Sting and Avalanche, Sting beat Avalanche by DQ, and then Vader retained US title beating Doug. You know, this promotion doesn't feel hot or anything, and this is not a strong lineup, really, but you can. You can tell where Zane Brezloff is really helping them, you know, turn around the house shows. Something with this kind of lineup would not have drawn 2,700 people in Florence, South Carolina two years earlier. They got more talent here, though, too, than they did two years earlier, overall. You do. Way more. I mean, you don't have uh, the big skies of the world, the Charlie Norris's of the world. Paul Twins. The... The Yoshi Kwans of the world, you know, that's not propagating this undercard. I mean, as an undercard worker, I mean, work-wise, there's a lot of good workers on this show. Yeah. So. But still not yeah. a super marquee lineup. Well, you don't have Hogan or Savage, which got everybody. Hogan said, I mean, Flair's not active wrestling at this point. Right. But you don't have Hogan and Savage, you got everybody else. But you know? Do you have the likes of Sting and... Well, you got Vader uh, and Sting. All over the, that's what I was saying. Vader and Sting all over the house shows two years earlier. Yeah, but they're also, I mean, Vader and Sting are also working against two ex-WF guys with big True. names. Yeah. So there's that. All right. They take TV on February 8th at the center stage. Most of the thing was for the February 18th TBS show, and they did all the interviews live, talking about the pay-per-view show. Interviews said it'd be better than usual. Gene Okerlund wasn't there, probably because they were selling that he was already in Baltimore. So Nick Botwinkle was out as the third wheel. Yeah, Nick doing interviews. I don't think he so did interviews. Show, I think he was more just a catalyst. I guess. The high of the show was built around the February 11th show where there was a Ric Flair video montage. And Flair said he'd be there next week and wanted to talk with Botwinkle. We'll have that coming up. During a Kevin Sullivan Butcher interview, Kevin said, tell him Brutus. Which is the first time they'd used that name in a while. Well, they never used that name. He was always Brutai. Yeah. Dick Slater was absent from the Stubstead interview, so he may be gone already. He's not. Slater was, Slater was only brought in initially because Arn Anderson's injury was thought to be worse than it turned out to be. No, he's still there. Just not at this TV. Scott Armstrong and Mike Davis did a squash match with Harlem Heat, and it took four takes for them to get the Heat and Sherry interview down right. TV main was TV title match where Arn kept this title going to a 10-minute draw with Jaime Bad. What Dave was told was the worst TV match the two have had in this current program because it was really slow until the final two minutes. The show ended with Bontwinkle's face off of Flair. Flair told Bontwinkle he's tired of watching wrestling on television. Jeez, with WCW television past three months, who is it? <laughs> and walks back in. Flair tells Bontwinkle he's not going to wrestle. Yeah, right. But once back in, even if he has to buy the company from Ted Turner. 
Dave wonders if after comparing bottom line profits, Turner wouldn't be willing to trade those half dozen or so goals gym franchise even for WCW. <laughs> Flair then said he would had two front row tickets to brawl indicate he had some sort of plan involving Vader. And during the February 11th video package, which was excellent, Flair said he was only, the only man to face both Hogan and Vader in title matches and predicted that Vader would win, which says nature is returning as Vader's partner in May. One thing the video package made clear is this Saturday television show will improve just by having a weekly fair interview. We'll be seeing that very soon. Uh, new record for height exaggeration. Oakland on the February 11th WCW called Avalanche six foot ten. In the Sumo Association annuals, they list John Tenta as six foot four and three quarters. Yeah, I say that's an exaggeration, Bix. Yeah, he was never billed as like a super tall guy. Obviously, by most normal people's standards, he's very tall. Well, but Oakland decided he wanted to go that direction. I guess. Dave loves the Diamond House Page Dave Sullivan angle as long as they keep it verbal, skits, and arm wrestling. <laughs> Dave's dreading if they ever have a match on the big show. Well, guess what? Guess what's going to happen? Anyway. Well, they only have one proper match on a big show. The other yeah. one is the arm wrestling match. And yeah, and that was uh, a doozy. All right, so let's go to one of the uh, angles we got here, Wonder in Our Week. And uh, let's see how the DDP Dave Sullivan thing's going down here. We've already done the week with the date, right? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is after. That's after this. Okay. Yeah, that's. This is kind of. This is early in the the. Angle I mean, he here. wins the date by winning the arm wrestling match at the Bash, right? Yeah. I forgot this went on so long. Okay. Yeah. On WCW Pro Wrestling, Dave Sullivan got his chance to win a date with a Diamond Doll by arm wrestling Diamond Dallas, and here's what happened. Here's a guy who can't get a date off a calendar. Think she's going out with the diamond doll. Nothing. What do you bring to the table? Huh? What, this this robe? Like it's a nice robe, yeah. It's nice. No, no. I'm bringing this gorgeous woman. What? Shut up. I know I've said it before, but whatever he had with that gimmick was gone every time he cut his hair. He looks like um, he is a high school football coach named Bill. I don't think it's the hair. Let's put it that way. I think, but I think it always makes him look less like Evad Sullivan or the Equalizer or whatever. Makes well, him that, look more like just this regular guy. I think that was the plan, though, was to get that hair off of him to go to this direction. But he does grow it back out again, doesn't he? Non WCW doesn't. Or is this? Oh no, no, no. This is after. This is after Kevin cut his hair, right? Yeah. Okay, so he's growing, but I think he's growing it back out. I don't. I think I don't think it stays short the whole time. He don't go back long again. Okay. It's about the length we're looking at right here. It stays there. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, he continues to look like a high school football coach named Bill. But 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 who know? But who knows that? But that's what he looks like. He doesn't who, look like but Kevin who Sullivan. knows that he doesn't. But no, my point is he doesn't look like Kevin Sullivan's specially abled brother anymore. Well, yeah, but they're not even playing that up anymore. They're not. Eve I mean, Sullivan. he is. They're not playing up the is, association anymore. No. Well, they're not feuding. Yes, that's done. He's not moved on the page. What? What are you bringing? What do you got to offer me? Huh? What you got? A piggy bank. 
You got a piggy bank, huh? Like all good little boys and girls, I got a piggy bank. How long you had the piggy bank? Since I was six or seven. Ah, shut up, cow. Pretty important to you, huh? Yeah, it's real important to me. I suppose when I beat you, you'll bring it to me next week. I'm an honest person. If I beat you, I'll bring you the piggy bank next week. You can't remember yesterday. You're going to remember next week. I got you. I got you. I'll tell you what. Next week, you bring your piggy bank. I'll bring the diamond doll. Shut up when I'm talking. You bring that piggy bank, which means more to you than it does to me. But Einstein, I'll take your bubblegum money. It's not bubblegum money. It's real money. It's real money. Uh, it's interesting how nervous Dallas is trying to do a promo where he's not. God, Diamond, Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He ain't, uh he hadn't got to that level yet where he was comfortable and not doing the regular DDP shtick. Yes. Also, I know it's a B-show feud, but it is very obvious watching these shows that this is someone who's getting the opportunity to book his own weird little undercard angle because he's friends with the booker and lives next door to the head of the company. Yeah, I mean DDP had the opportunities, but and he they did the and, most of them. He did, and and they run this, and they run with this angle for a while. You know, like you say, and all DDP's angles had long lives in this era. You know, mm-hmm. so like the Johnny B. Bad angle. Look how long it ran. Probably would have run longer if Mero <laughs> didn't leave. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, Dave Sullivan, the guy, I think we talked about this on the show. He, when he took on this gimmick, he really did it well. Yes. He's not over the top with it. Like other people could have been and would have been. Like he's doing, like, if they would have had, if WWE would have done Nick Densmore's Eugene character like this, it would have been so much better. Yes. That's what I was about to say. He's not Eugene. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so let's watch this Ric Flair video, and um, let's see how uh, how great this is, according to Dave. This is him talking about what he's been doing while he's been retired, right? Yeah. October 23rd, 1994, in front of Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time, walked away. He got beat. He drops the leg! One! He's got two! Oh, my God! His career has come to an end. Well, anybody who thought I was gone assumed wrong. I retired. But it's 1995. It's a new year. You know who the players are. We're just born. We're bred. We're ready to go. We stay on goal. Here we go. I don't think for one minute that I haven't been part of professional wrestling. Don't think for one minute that I haven't had my mind 
my eyes, my heart, my thoughts in the middle of this great sport. Ric Flair has never left professional wrestling. And you know what? They're calling my name day and night. I am the only man to face both Vader. Hulk Hogan. It's the stare down time, the intimidation time of the two men. Oh, it's Benoit's entrance music. Yep. Which also, wasn't this his entrance music in his first run, too? Yep. And finally made it. For the World Heavyweight Championship. I'm the only man in the face of Earth that can evaluate those two wrestlers better than anybody else alive. I have been there. tell you right now i am very distracted by rick flair's brigitte nielsen haircut <laughs> yeah and when he came back at that clash with the with that with the cut you know i thought it was uh i, I mean I, I always liked this haircut on rick flair i, I just did i like short hair flair. awkward with the suit without the tie though well it's it's well it's also the way it's quaffed here too yes Yes. That's another thing. Like I said, Brigitte Nielsen. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Hogan may be in your mind, in the eyes of millions of people worldwide, what's making this sport click. The and has I'm going to tell you just the opposite. Until you've stood in that ring with that 450-pound Vader looking you in the eye knowing that you have got to survive you haven't faced anything in life Vader is the man I'll tell you what right now February 19th he's gonna rock the world I agree to walk away from professional wrestling as a wrestler I didn't agree to do anything else I can do whatever I want to do and I'll tell you what you get Bockwinkle, you get Turner, get any of the powers to be that think they can tell me what to do, and I'll meet them head on. Next Saturday night, right here. Next Saturday night, Flair versus the WCW. And I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. I didn't say I was going to be in Vader's corner or be in Hogan's corner. I didn't say I was going to get involved. I need wrestling. I need to be part of it. And you know what? Wrestling needs me. <laughs> if Bockwinkle thinks he can keep me out, he'll have to tell me that face-to-face -face Saturday night. I'll be here. Well, anybody thought I was gone assumed wrong. Hey, dudes. The uh, Hawks is running wild on WCW. And I want to tell you all about it right now. Call the Hulk Hogan hotline at 1-900-737-HULK. It's got eight incredible options. By the way, if his deal for this was like the deal he had on his next contract, he got 100% of the uh, money from this hotline. <laughs> all, literally all of it. God bless him. Mm -hmm. Good promo by Flair there. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... I like the way he kind of shifts his delivery to be like, oh, I'm retired. And the thing is, did you ever have that Ric Flair um, home video that came out this time? Uh, that would be uh, Two Decades of Excellence with the trade yes. cards? Yes. 
Yes. Which this was is... produced before they did all the retirement stuff. It seems like it was produced when he was still a babyface in 94. No, because the interview stuff is with this. It's from this seg- from this. Is it? Yes. Hmm. Yep. Because he's got the short hair. And it's from this, you know, the way it looks here. It's the same outfit and everything? Yeah, if I remember correctly, yes. If I remember right, he's not treated as a heel in the interviews, though. No, he's just telling his, well, he's telling his story. You know, I mean, he's he's talking about, you know, his career. And it's one of the times that, one of the first times that, you, that they showed, uh, like, clips from old, from the old studio, Crockett TV. Too bad it was only an hour and they didn't really have much in the way it matches, but it's a good video. It was yes. only 10 bucks. So. Yeah, it was cheap. All right, so other videos that air on this show was a Sting video package. So let's watch this, shall we? For the Macho Man and Sting in just a few moments. Before we go there, let's take a look back at the great career of Sting through the eyes of a man with the paint. jackets here all of these right here are some of my favorite jackets they all represent something important that happened in my wrestling career world title matches big pay-per-views battle bowls you name it these are all i think victorious jackets this is it clash of champions number one right here stinger versus rick flair rick flair rick flair 45 minutes i remember the heart was going Probably one of the most memorable matches in my life because it was a match that put the stinger on the map. I first started painting up just to get attention. I wanted promoters' attention. I wanted the wrestlers' attention, the public. I wanted to wrestle all the big people, all the big names in wrestling, and just to psych my opponents out. I don't know, just to be different. That's why I painted my face originally, and that's that I continue to do it. And it's uh, something that people identify me with now, and it will never change. Because the stand will never change. Trying to recreate the very paint job that I painted on the night that I wrestled Ric Flair for the world title. If you still have the rights to this library, why aren't you using this instead of stupid ass man called Sting? And how about him, somebody who would never change? If only. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got the great Sting theme song here, but goddamn, we got you still use that Slam Jam song. Terrible. And Michael Hayes I- isn't even in the company anymore. And how has a Tony used this yet? I, I gotta think the library with it is not too expensive. I mean, Jesus Christ. I'm assuming we're gonna get it in some form at Revolution. I doubt it. You really don't I think don't, he's gonna... I don't think... Well, I mean, if he's gonna use that song, he'd have to go to the look. And I don't think he'll ever he'll do it. You can't do that look with the way he is now. I mean, you can't do the song. You have to... If, if they're playing that song, he has to be... Surfer Sting. Which, he's not going to do it. You know what, though? Remember, though, he has done convention appearances where he's done up as Surfer Sting. With the current style hair, but as Surfer Style Sting. Yeah, I just don't think he'll do it. I would be pleasantly shocked if he did. Hmm. But yeah, I forgot they ever used that song for anything later. After coming back from uh, major reconstructive knee surgery, this is the jacket right here. Baltimore, 1990, Great American Bash, Stinger versus Ric Flair. Stinger is victorious for the world title. 
sound at the end of the match was deafening. Baltimore was out of their minds, and so was the Stinger. Super Brawl 2, Stinger versus the Total Package Lex Luger. There we were, face-to-face -face for the world title in Milwaukee. First I had to drop Harley, and then I came off the top rope. Splash to get the win. Stinger becomes a world champion one more time. This jacket right here is going to be one of the victory jackets, 105 now, because I've been world champion five times. And this one here was in Chicago, Spring Stampede number one, ravishing Rick Rude against the Stinger. Harley Race, Fader got involved, I remember that. And it came out on top again, world title one more time. I've wrestled all the best here at World Championship Wrestling, from Lex Luger, the total package, Rick Rude, Ravishing Rick Rude, Vader, Avalanche. I picked Vader up one time, I put him in the Scorpion Deathlock. I picked Avalanche up one time, maybe two times, put him in the Scorpion Deathlock. And I'll tell you something, I know the Clash of Champions in Las Vegas, when I put him in the Scorpion Deathlock, I know for a fact he said, I quit, I give up. in the past, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know what it gets them? It gets them absolutely nothing, because I'm going to walk right, I'm going to run right through you, Bubba, because I'm going to get the world title around my waist one more time. One week from tomorrow night. We want to play this too? I mean, you can, yeah, we can. Stingin it's Sting and Savage now with Gene. Yeah. Hmm. I, I can't hear Sting talk about the match with the Clash, though, without thinking, of course, of Bubba's uh, protest after that. That referee right there wasn't even supposed to be in the ring. <laughs> yes. In Baltimore, at the arena, something you could see on pay-per-view, Super Brawl 5. These two men, the Macho Man Randy Savage and his tag team partner Sting, are going to be teaming up to meet the Avalanche and a man known as Big Bubba. I think you two over the past few weeks have gotten to know each other quite well, Macho. Real good, yeah, Sting, yeah, I call him the Stinger, yeah. Let me tell you something right now. Eight days away, yeah, time clicking away on the clock, yeah, can't wait. No, we can't, because we're going to be different than we've ever been, and we're going to be electric, yeah. No short-circuiting here. The Stinger and the Macho Man are plugged in, and there's nothing that's going to stop us. You understand that, Avalanche? You understand that, Big Bubba, yeah. You messed up, yeah, but you're the danger. Oh, yeah, Super Brawl will never be the same again. Talk to my partner, the Stinger. I think this Macho Man this is contagious, Stinger. Oh, he's talking about Super Brawl never being the same again, Mean Gene. Let me tell you something. A lot of people worldwide, including the Macho Man, are wondering 
if the Stinger's ever going to be the same again after what the Guardian Angel, a.k.a. Big Bubba, did to me. But guess what? I'm always going to be the same. Nothing, nobody, no how, no way, not even you, Bubba, will never change the Stinger. I am if always going to be painted up just right. I'm always going to be here at WCW waiting for the next one to come in. I'm waiting. You wait. You come and get me. You try to take a piece of me. You're not going to get nothing. You know why? Because I am the stinger, and I like to pound on my chest, and I love to howl in an empty parking lot, and I love to take care of business here at WCW, and I hate guys like you. Tell me the stinger's not ready. How many times has Big Bubba changed his driver's license? Let's do it one more time. Let's call him the big loser. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. I do know one thing. It is going to be some kind of a battle. I'm just going to up the Stinger's jacket. And really got the Stinger tuned up for the big meeting in Baltimore. That's the tie right there. It certainly is. Thank you very much. Stinger and the Macho against Avalanche and Big Bubba at Super Bowl. More Saturday night here on TBS when we come back. Hold it. Oh, how about that? Hey, <laughs> how about that uncensored deal? <laughs> yeah, where they don't have a logo here for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. If only Sting wouldn't change. I'm telling you. Uh, and I know it's for Slim Jim, but I don't like Savage in that red and yellow and black. It looks like he's Hogan's lackey. Yeah. Especially but you're right. Now there is the black in the Hogan shirt too. The, there's the black outline, so yeah. like, it, that's part of his colors too. Yeah, I, I, but it was for Slim Jim. It, it was. It was. But it the yeah. optics of suddenly switching to those colors here, when the Slim Jim Association was not new. Yeah. It, well, it didn't look great. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of Hogan, we have a video now of Hogan and Vader's uh, feud and uh, an interview with Hogan. So let's go to uh, the clip, shall we? of close-ups of vader's mask where you can see it's it's black but that it's clearly not supposed to be black it's just that he's never cleaned it <laughs> yeah oh and right as i say that i uh freeze on uh a moment in a match where vader is wearing his singlet backwards <laughs> yes which as i theorized and i think you agreed with is presumably a, his way of being like oh i don't have to clean it i can just turn it around mm-hmm Actually, I should expand on that for a second. Because what wrestler in history has ever worn their gear backwards more often than Vader? Noticeably so. Nobody. Vader! Oh, here he is wearing his gear backwards again. Oh, no, not here. This time he's not. is Vader Hogan, and the world found out two things. The Vader waits for no man. Vader waits for no company. It was Vader, the best of years. 
at that press conference and demanded to get face to face with you in the squared circle. I am the number one contender. I am the U.S. champion. What else is there left for me to do, mother? So I'm out. I'm calling you out right now. How about Hogan not dying his eyebrows here? Yeah. <laughs> he also looks to be experimenting with some new supplements, judging by uh, the rest of his brow, though. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, look at how pronounced that is. Yeah. I mean, remember, Melanie Pillman claimed he, uh, he was the one who turned uh, Brian on to human growth hormone. And they were there together. In fact, I think Brian may be in that locker room. I'm calling you out. Maybe you're my brother. Maybe it's better time right yes. now. It was Beta at Caesar's Palace that let you know there is no comfort zone. There is no safe place on the face of the earth for Hulk Hogan. You've just seen okay, before we play the promo, that was interesting. I didn't remember that. Did you? Did you catch what I caught? I don't know. What did you catch? They didn't show Hogan popping up from the powerbomb at the Clash. Oh. Uh, they skipped right over it and made it look like Vader laid him out. Hmm. That angle is Hogan popping up and then running Vader off. So someone realized they made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. And also, they've by not showing more of the angle, they also don't show us that Vader split his pants during the angle. Yeah. Which, I mean, no one brought atten- called any attention to it. It's, it's, it happened to Butch Reed. It can happen to Vader. Now, meanwhile, this Hogan-Jimmy Hart interview with Okerlund, this is in front of a green screen with, like, Hulkamania colors, which means this is the point where Gene is going to Tampa to take, pro- take promos with them, right? Y- yes. Yeah, anytime you saw that, that's the deal. Yes. That's Hogan not wanting to come to Atlanta. Yes. The background of the two men who are going to be meeting in the big main event a week from tomorrow night at the Baltimore Arena and live on pay-per-view But Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart. What about the comments earlier on from the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, demanding an audience next week on this television program with Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle, the subject matter... His retirement, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know something mean, Gene. First things first, brother, to say that the Pythons aren't prepared for Vader time would be an understatement a week from now, brother. To say that the whole wrestling world, brother, isn't prepared for this encounter between Hogan and Vader would be an understatement. From their dressing rooms in New York, from the promoters all the way around the world, they don't care about what's going down in those second-rate organizations, brother. All they care about is the WCW, Hulk Hogan, and Vader in Baltimore, brother. And now that I've heard everybody's little two bits, man, being thrown into the pot, such as Hulk Hogan, are you ready? Hulk Hogan, he's the biggest, meanest, nastiest man of all. And Hulk Hogan, you don't need to prove nothing to anybody. 
I'm writing it all off, brothers, because I know now that I can handle Vader, and this is the thing that's going to make Hulkamania rule the 90s in the WCW when I take Vader and tear him limb from limb in Baltimore. And as far as Ric Flair goes, the dirtiest player in the game, the fact that he's nosing around the WCW, well, mean Gene, I'd be lying to you, myself, and my god brother if I said that didn't go up my back sideways. I know that Ric Flair could try to trip me up at any moment, but that's where you come in, you squeaky little mouse. Ric Flair is going to be your job, brother. You tell me his each and every move, Jimmy Hart. I promise you this, Hawkshaw. It's like I said before. As long as there's a breath in my body, I will take care of anybody, any place, anywhere, Hawkster. And you can take that to the bank, baby. I recommend you don't get involved physically, Jimmy Hart. You've got your work cut out for you tomorrow night. The match the entire world is talking about. Well, you know, a week from now, me, right. Gene, brother, when I... What? Why didn't you do another take? <laughs> what? What just happened here? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's just Hogan being like the fact that they must know not to stop. There must have been something that happened at a prior session that they're like, okay, we're not going to stop. He is not going to take more time to do this and start his promo over. Right? That's the only way this <laughs> makes sense. I guess. <sighs> WCW, everybody. <laughs> this is not live TV. Let's see that again. Our world is involved physically, Jimmy Hart. You've got your work cut out for you tomorrow night. The match the entire world is talking about. Well, you know, a week from now, me, right. Gene, brother, when I get in the <laughs> ring with Vader, Thank you, my Hulk. first objective is to stare a hole through him, show him that Hulkamania is the strongest force in the WCW. As I give him no quarter, as he backpedals from the new generation of Hulkamaniacs, the power of all my little holsters. I will give him no quarter as I get him in the launch position with the largest arms in the world. I'm going to make those two non-believers, Vader and Ric Flair, stand there with their jaws wide open. And what you're going to do, Vader, when the power of Hulk Hogan, the largest arms in the world, beats you? All right, a week from tomorrow night in Baltimore, and we'll see you next week. So long. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. No quarter. Is he going to join Drew Gulak in NXT? <laughs> well, it's Led Zeppelin. Or maybe. I, I don't know. I, I know. <laughs> oh, man. N next week, brother. <laughs> well, good for Hogan. Oh, that he noticed instead of just saying, just going with it. Yeah. Yes, that could have been worse. He could have made that worse. Yeah. <sighs> what, what a company this is at this time. Also, we didn't <laughs> even talk about this earlier. What a weird choice of a show to do in Baltimore. Like, do you really think the crowd's not going to cheer Vader? <laughs> also, you have the Great American Bash returning in June historically was in Baltimore. Every year was on pay-per-view previously, except for the last one was in Baltimore. But and the Great American Bash is on in Baltimore. But the, That's what I'm saying. The Great American Bash is in Dayton. Um, why didn't they just put the bash in Baltimore? Because then that's the show without Hogan, so you're not going to get the bad crowd reactions. And it's also, it also ends up being a much better pay-per-view. Yeah. 
But you know what this probably is? This is them probably saying, this is our best market. This is the best match we can put on. Let's put it on in our best market and see what we can draw with it. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Now, Dave had something to say about Hogan's uh, shoot comment at the beginning of his promo. Hogan's shoot comment of the week during his interview was, was where, for no apparent reason. He started talking about New York and then said all the other wrestling organizations were second rate. And all the promoters knew Hogan Invader was the biggest match in wrestling right now. Well, it kind of was. Yeah. WCW Saturday night on February 11th did a 2.6 rating, which had the Harlem Heat versus Storm Strikes main event, while main event did a 1.7, and Pro also did a 1.7. So there's that. Now we go to the Torch. During a recent Worldwide show, Eric Bischoff asked Bobby Heenan where he got his Ric Flair information. Heenan said, from the underground. Bischoff said he couldn't have gotten it from Stanford, Connecticut. Heenan said he didn't think they had phones there. <laughs> I presume that's a reference to getting rid of the water coolers and stuff after the steroid trial. I guess uh All right. As mentioned last week, although this is the same week as our rundown of WCW stuff, WCW's in the discussion stage of running their own UFC stop review show, presumably trying to use a member of the Gracie family as the prime draw. Presumably this pay-per-view was different structure from UFC as to favor striking fighters and more kickboxing as opposed to Matt wrestling by being held in a traditional boxing wrestling ring and allowing rope breaks with the fighters being put back on their feet at that point. And the fighters wear gloves to protect their knuckles, allowing multiple punches to be more effective weapon as opposed to UFC fights, which are dominated by ground fighters since there are no rope breaks and a larger fighting area. And so, okay, do we think this is two different stories being confused? Because they do send Greg... Greg, Craig Pittman to Valley Tudo Japan, where Hicks and Gracie's comp- competing, but that's not a show they distribute. The deal they end up making is with K One. Well, they may have been trying to do something with Hicks on Gracie, and it just doesn't go down. Right. That's what it sounds like to me. And I could there be wrong. Is the, there is the more direct pro wrestling connection to Valley Tudo Japan because the promoter is Satoru Siyama. Because that's part of Shudo, and Shudo is still his thing at this point. Yes. Exactly. So, yeah, that's probably what it is. All right. So, Harley Race is really going through a rough stretch. I don't know going to major hip replacement surgery from his auto accident on January 24th. This past week, he was dropped in a hospital, and the entire surgery had to be redone. Ooh. Race is apparently scared that this could mean the end of his wrestling career. And it pretty much does. Yeah, because he's not a manager or anything ever again, really, after this. No. I mean, one thing you can say for him, though, like, it was clear from, like, the influence on their styles and stuff, even though he obviously wasn't the guy getting in the ring and training wrestlers at his wrestling school, you can see his fingerprints on the guys who trained there when he was still at least overseeing things. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could, like, they threw Harley Race punches, like, as name guys who were not like the active in the ring instructor at their school, it seems like he was a lot more involved than most. Yes. Especially given his physical limitations. Yeah. The feud now leaves the wrestling ring and heads to the NASCAR track. WCW has entered into a one-year sponsorship agreement with Winston Cup driver Billy Standridge for all 31 scheduled events of 1994. WCW plans to use Standridge as part of their wrestling company promotion. WF is also in that ballpark as they are sponsoring Bob Holly this NASCAR season. Well, well Bob Holly uh, uh, was not it, racing at the same level. 
Well, neither was no, neither was Billy Standridge. Yeah, I don't remember the name Billy Standridge. I remember WCW Motorsports starting around this time, but I remember it being with a higher caliber of driver. Billy Standridge, um, in fact, doesn't even race in 1994. You mean 95? In the NASCAR, in the main NASCAR circuit. Oh, yeah, he does. Okay, I'm sorry. He does. He It's not his last... Uh, we called it Bush back then. The Bush Bush circuit was ninety three. His first, uh, yeah, he he wrestles in and wrestles. He runs NASCAR in uh, ninety four, but he doesn't race much. Twenty three races over seven years. His best finish was forty seventh place. Well, that's not right because I see he finished forty second in one race. Now what about ninety five? Be- okay, his best his best uh, finish was twenty fourth at the Southern five hundred. And he was sponsored by WCW and Duraloop. He had a 14th place finish in 95 in Darlington. So he did better than what this is saying on the side here, but Wikipedia. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, he did run. Yeah. When, when they do the NWO sponsorship for Kyle Petty. That's the Bush circuit. That's not the main circuit. But that's what yeah. I was kind of asking. What was... What was Kyle Petty standing in racing at the time? Oh, God. Kyle Petty's Kyle Petty. He was no, I mean, he's a name, but what level was he competing at? Uh, he was he was racing both. He was racing both Bush and uh, the Winston Cup at that time. Okay. Which is uh, no longer the names of the circus now, obviously. No. But, uh, yeah. So, and Bob Holly was nowhere close to being in NASCAR. But he, he, he did stock car races. He did stock car racing on the local scene in Mobile. Well, not just that. I mean, he did, like, other things, too. He did, like, the, there's minor circuits, Bix. Yes. He just wasn't on the main one. That reminds me, by the way, too. Um, I think we've gotten past the point where people are going to keep telling their, oh, but Vince McMahon has so many layers, he was so nice stories, right? Because there's the whole thing with him, like, being back like, oh, Bob, uh, we can't invest in the racing anymore. Uh, how about I sell you all the equipment and stuff? And and then just, like, Vince was like, how about for $500? And then didn't even cash the check Bob wrote him or whatever it was. Which is a nice story, but, like, I hope we're now getting past the point of being like, wow, Vince has so many layers. Well, we're not. <laughs> it's going to take some time, yes. I mean, Mick Foley... Said some stuff as we record this on the day we record this that people Wait, are taking other exception with him. This is new comments on since last week's stories. It's something about how, uh, what was it I saw that he doesn't want this to overshadow the good memories? Uh, no, that's what he said last week, I think. Okay, well, I just saw it today for the first time people talking about it, so I'm so well, I missed it last week then. I mean, but it, was, it was bouncing around Twitter today people retweeting it out i mean i had seen it last week so i don't know but in you know mick has brain damage like i'm not saying that lightly yeah but the thing is is that <laughs> there's a lot of people that worked in that company that know how vince was but you know i mean you would think i get that some of them have complicated relationships with vince but you think that mick or you would hope he would at least be able to look back to like the time and be like, 
Yeah, I should have thought more about that time where Vince basically called my wife a gold-digging whore. Yeah. Which, it's just an exaggeration, but the whole, the way Vince went after Colette after that 2020 interview was uh, bad. Yeah. Anyway, back to 995. Yes, uh, go to the torch again. The Sunday Atlanta Journal Constitution profiled Rick Rude in the outdoor section because he was a guest celebrity at the Buttmaster National Deer Classic. Oh, I almost thought you said Buttmaster. I wasn't looking at the notes for a second. No, Buttmaster. Yeah. I, uh, Kurt Henning, Steve, studying Steve Austin, Mr. One for All Ondorf, and NFL players were also mentioned as a pairing. Not one mention was made of Austin Ondorf's WCW affiliation, although Rude did say he wants to come back and wrestle Flair and Hogan. I'm sure he did. Is he still technically under contract? Has he sued yet? Um, I'm, he's probably still under contract. But well, there yeah. was that thing. There was that thing in late '94 where he and Hennig disrupted that center stage taping. Yeah, I forget if he was still under contract by then. But I think he has sued actually, or at least is pursuing some kind of legal resource by this point. Yeah. Uh, now, Kurt Hennig at like a deer hunting event. Should we assume that his buddy Wade Boggs was also there? Uh, probably, but he's not mentioned. So, I. Dave, WWE made a presence felt in a big way in comparison to WWF at the Toy Fair over the weekend in New York. WWE spent a, spent a ton of money announcing this new toy line with full-page color ads and every licensing journal doing what was described as a Power Rangers level of advertising. WWF in comparison was just advertised as an afterthought in Hasbro displays. Well, wait, co- no it wouldn't be. The, Has- the Hasbro deal's dead. Well... <laughs> Whatever. Old Cogan, Johnny Bad, Randy Savage, Jimmy Hart represented WCW. Nasty Boys no show with WCW claiming one of them broke his foot, which wasn't true. <laughs> WF said Diesel and Bret Hart. Well, they had a presence there, Bix. The big no, things I, they were WWF put- did, but that's pro- it's probably just toys. Do they have any other toy licensees at this time? I guess ha- they still do- got something going on with Hasbro, I guess, if Dave's saying that they were there with Hasbro. He might be wrong that it's Hasbro, though. The big thing they were pushing was styrofoam heads called Hero Heads of Hogan and Sting. And WCW reps claimed that unlike WWF, WCW wrestlers were going to use their gimmicks in matches. Okay. WCW reps were telling people to come over and meet the real wrestlers as a knock on the WWF. Their reps were especially pushing hard to foreign buyers who didn't know any better that in our country, the WWF has gone down. And everyone knows that WCW is number one. And pointing to Hogan and Savage with the group as proof everyone's leaving WF because it's a sinking ship. None of the reps from foreign countries, or for that matter, even wrestle towards our rust, etc., knew any better, so they were able to get away with those statements. The lines to get autographs from Hogan and Savage once again were long, while there was minimal interest in Diesel and Brett. Now, also at the Toy Fair, Hogan and Jimmy Hart signed the record deal with Select Records. Hogan already has an album out in Germany. For newer fans who may not know this, back in the 60s, Jimmy Hart was part of a band called The Gentries. They had a few gold records, including two songs that still get significant play today in old older stations, Keep On Dancing and Cinnamon Girl. They actually had, I think it was, because the, the original version of The Gentries with Larry Raspberry as the lead singer, the only song they had that charted was Keep On Dancing. But um, I think they had two or three that made the top 100 with Jimmy as the lead singer. Yeah. And they were all covers, though. Well, a lot of, that's a lot of that was going well, on. I mean, back Keep On then. Dancing was also a cover, too. Yeah, a lot of that was going on back then. <laughs> yes. 
like I think one of it is like it's a wait who Cinnamon Girl was who Neil Young Neil Young yeah like I think like in Jimmy Hart's book he talks about how they try to get their version of Cinnamon Girl out before Neil Young did yeah that's a thing that's going on in that era so anyway Toy Fair San Francisco Toy Makers this is the beginning of all that I think most of the WCW stuff here is San Francisco Toy Makers right mm-hmm which I think we learned in the wrestling episode of Toys That Made Us was a company founded by former Gloob employees, right? Mm-hmm. Hence, trying to get in with WCW, which kind of goes to some of what we talked about before, that I really wonder exactly how well those Gloob WCW figures sold. That here, these former Gloob employees are starting this company, and immediately they want WCW. I mean, <sighs> granted, they have Hogan and Savage now, but I can tell you from experience, I mean, going in toy stores, you would see those things be uh, reduced a lot in, uh, you know, in 91, 92. I didn't see that as much around here. Here, they, here the WCW Gloob figures moved pretty well. We had Toy Liquidators, which was like um, a store that was hooked up with like KB and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that there was also KB Outlet. Yeah, yeah you would you would see the the WCW Galoo figures there. Yeah, but uh, back to 1995 though. I had all of them, so I didn't really need them. You know, I had all of them. Um, I think the the Toy Fair like WCW Toy Fair booklet from this is scanned, isn't it? And online. Like, didn't Cardona or someone like that get a hold of it? Yeah. But since, yeah, we're talking about it, what did you think of the original, at least, few series of the Toymaker figures and the, like, doing the LJN <laughs> style and all that? All I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care for it, but I did, I did have the Harlem Heat figures. Because mm -hmm. I, I was, I mean, I loved Harlem Heat. So if they had their own figures, I was like, shit, I gotta get them. Um, I, my brother had um, he bought like when NWO got hot. Mm -hmm. He bought Kevin Nash. I do remember that. Um, I the later figures, the uh, vibrating. Uh, no, no, no. Well, maybe I don't know, but it was I don't Kevin think Nash. That if there was a rubbery Nash, it was very late, like a weird KB exclusive or something. But yeah, I, I didn't really care for him. I kind of liked him. I mean, it was stupid that the ring was not nearly big enough for them that they made. Well, I didn't have that. Mm. But, uh, but you got you got to remember at this point in time, I'm 16 years old. Yes. So There's I'm not play I'm not playing with dolls like you. <laughs> if I'm buying if I'm buying something, I'm well because you're younger. But I mean, if I'm buying something like that, it's that you know, to have as like a display piece or something. Well, of course. I'm not playing with them much either, but... Duh. You're a 10 here. Yes, but... You're playing with dolls. Yes. <laughs> and also, these were more dolls than action figures, because they were a lot like the LGN dolls. Yeah. And I am not finding the Toy Fair pamphlet uh, right now, as I look up. All right. Well, anyway, have let's you close. The, you've seen the hero heads, though, right? I remember them. I forget. Right, did let's... they make it to stores? They did. No, right? I don't. Uh, I did. never saw them in a store. No, I never did. All right, let's close out this segment and go to the torch. 
On the February 11th WCW 900 line segment, Gene Oakland apologized for last week's 900 segment. He said he was sorry if anyone misinterpreted his plug last week and said he would never try and make a few dollars from a 900 line off someone's death. Also in this segment, Oakland said despite other reports on the WCW 900 line, Jason Ventura is not going to join WF later this month. Oakland said he hopes others on the 900 line are, are responsible as he is and acknowledge their mistakes. Okay. Have we covered the week? Of we the did Blackwell thing. Okay, we did. So we did that on show. Hold on, tell you what show it was. We did that on show one thirty three. That was a yep. long time ago. It was a long time ago now. Um, but for the so those not familiar with what happened, Jerry Blackwell dies, and the following Saturday, Gene Okerlund's hotline plug on WCW Saturday Night is about. And there were other things too, but and he closes with the death of a, I forget the exact wording, but it's something like a uh, former world champion in his 40s, or maybe even former world heavyweight champion. Here's, yeah. Besides the obvious, here's what made it extra scummy. Ric Flair is off TV. Terry Funk is off TV. Um... Backlund just is in the middle of his run and may have just gotten de-emphasized because I think this is around when they switch the house shows from Diesel to Diesel against Backlund to Diesel against Jarrett. Um, is there anyone else I'm forgetting that like had recently uh, been on TV but gotten taken off TV that was, was a big name 40s former world champion? So like you have all that out there. So the tease, and especially in WCW context, is people think he's talking about Flyer. And he did, like, record business over it. Then he saved it until the end of the update. And it was like, oh yeah, Jerry Blackwell died. Who never was a world champion. World tag champion. Yes. In AWA, but never a world champion. Yes. Um, I guess he learned from it, you know. Like, he never does anything like this again. And, you know, as much much as people joke about the, you know, what do Magic Johnson and David Boy Smith have in common? That was not Gene. <laughs> that was Jim Ross. <laughs> oh, I remember that one. And that was on the WWF Superstar line. Yeah. So that was not Gene. Like, that one gets misattributed to Gene. Um, I'd love to know more details about his deal and what exactly he was making off of... Uh, off of the hotline because we know we got a we know we got a percentage and he was making a healthy check uh in terms of bonuses from the hotline you know yeah i mean it, i think this was a fair thing for people to be outraged about right yeah hey it was just it was sleazy it was just really sleazy um i just don't i don't get what he was thinking too because he's been doing these hotline updates for over a year. It's been part of his thing since he started the company. And he had never done anything like this before. No. Like, do we think business was down? Do we think he just had a brain fart? Like, No one knows, but yeah, this is one of the most infamous hotline deals ever. Yeah, I mean, real quick, just um, to see if there's anything else. Because I'm just digging back to when it came up uh, initially. Okay, so here here was the verbiage. 
death of a 45-year-old former heavyweight champion. Yeah, that's not good. No. Um, and he waited until the end of his seven or eight minute message, ten to fifteen dollar call by this point. Oh. Um, to say who died. Um, Wade Keller writing, I don't think Oakland put a lot of thought into this. If he had, I'd like to think he would have thought the better of it. It's more of a sign of the overall contempt WCW has for its customers. This hurt what otherwise was one of WCW's stronger shows from a storyline and production value standpoint in a long time. It's tough to be a WCW fan when such scams as Okerlund's this weekend aren't only tolerated, but they're celebrated. You know, on-air apology next week would be nice. Sadly, that won't even be considered. And there is nothing on-air. Um, no, of course not. And, you know, the last thing to close the loop on this section with this I think people forget how much this damaged his reputation with hardcore, hard, bleh, hardcore fans for years and how well the scheme gene stuff in the billionaire Ted skits a year later landed. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that WWF run, that last WWF run just completely rehabilitated his image with fans. Yeah. It, like he needed it. Cause like he had just, he was not considered the legendary mean gene Oakland anymore. And this was a big part of it. Scheme Gene. All right, now let's get to our guest on the show this week. And uh, when I picked this week out, I kind of thought this was going to be part of it. And I'm glad it was. As uh, we are joined by someone who is the reason why I bought this videotape because of his uh, amazing review of it. On Death Valley Driver, issue number 110, as we are joined by one of the true OGs of the wrestling internet culture, the legendary Pogo, Pete Stein. Welcome back, Pete. Gentlemen. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's it going? It's been eight years, brother. It's hard to believe it's Holy been that shit. long since she was stupid, on the show. Stupid time marching on. I know. We're getting old. We're getting broke down. So but, very old, but we're still here, and that's Jim, all. Jimmy that Hart's going to do the uh, the racehorse promo on us any day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, yes. So we're going to go to New Japan. No all Japan this week, and um, we're going to get to the the big deal. But first, we got to work our way into it. After doing his first job ever for Akira Nagami. Keiji Muto did another shocking job in a singles match on February 7th in Hirosaki to Mike Enos, <laughs> who is getting something of a push. In New Japan's biggest show of the week on February 8th in Sendai, Muto, as great Muta, used the green mist and a moonsault to get a 1-2-3 on El Gigante, <clears throat> making him probably the only wrestler besides Scott Norton and The Undertaker ever to pin Gigante. Of course, formerly Giant Gonzalez and WF. Mudo was resting a series of injuries and missed the rest of the tour. So, <laughs> in a matter of 24 hours, <laughs> Keiji Muto as himself jobbed to Mike Enos, and then Muta, his alter ego, got to pin El Gigante clean, Pete. What a 24 hours for this guy. I, I have had the misfortune of seeing that Elegante match. It's, uh, it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the finish was creative. I'll give him that. I don't know if, you've, uh, if you ever saw it. I have. Okay, so basically the finish, he went for the miss. Of course, he missed it because Elegante is 19 feet tall, so it landed like <laughs> on his stomach. So he, he gets on a chair, and then he lands it and gets the pin. So I'll, 
so I'll give them that for the finish. But that was that the rest of that was forty miles of bad road that whole match. <laughs> yes. Oh, let's go over the results of this show at the Sendai City Gym on February eighth. We have Yuji Nagata over Tatsuya Takiwa, Black Cat over to Kamitsu Ishizawa, the future Kendakashin, Mike Enos over to Dao Yasuda. <laughs> Lurch. We- <laughs> yes. Then we have El Samurai and Koji Kanemoto over D Malenko and Norianaga. Masa Saito and Osama Kido over Tuko Scorpio and Ron Simmons. Hiroshi Tenzan and Kensuke Sasaki over Manabu Nakanishi and Takuki Azuka. Hiroshi Hase and Junji Arata over Hiro Saito and Masuyo Chono. Gran Hamada over Shinjiro Otani. Muta over Elegante. And in our main event, Scott Norton over Shinya Hashimoto in your main event. So, yeah, so a big deal there. Norton getting a big win over Hashimoto. But all this is leading up to February the 12th. Now, at this time, uh, Heisei Yishigun is doing their own shows. It's New Japan shows, but it's Heisei Yishigun branded. They have different wrestlers and things going on on the different show. foreigners. Different foreigners, exactly. So, yes. Sort and of like the, with the uh, All Japan did in the 80s when the, when Shoshu was, it was Japan Pro, whatever that group was. Yeah, Japan Pro, correct, yes. Yeah. Yes, and sometimes they're even doing Heisei Ishingun tours. Not a lot, yes. but they're going further with it than they usually would with this kind of gimmick. Yeah. Yes. And uh, by the way, I did check, unfortunately, uh, you know, with the TV show this we're going to get to, Dave Meltzer's not reviewing the Japanese TV at all in this era. He actually did review the TV that we're getting to. He did. I, I just, actually, I passed it to Chris a little while ago. Yeah, okay, he did. Because I was yeah. digging and I was searching for. Was I forgetting what word he used? Because I kept searching the observers for like the next two months with the word review, and I couldn't find it. Well, did it's he, in the. It usually called Japan TV review or Japanese TV review, or did he not, not do all a the formal time. review? I did it the hard way. I just googled like like Tenzan or Yatsu, and then I just uh, searched it like that. Because how many times is Yatsu going to show up on the observer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, but he did it, was in the March 27th Observer? Something like that, yeah. It was like, like a month later. It was weird. Yeah. So, and, and looking uh, back at the Observer, he didn't even re- – he didn't even – it's like he didn't even realize what had gone down until he actually got to the TV. He didn't really talk about it, which was odd. Was it the 27th or the 20th? I think it was the tw- maybe the 20th. Yeah, it was the 20th. Okay. 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 All right, so – they really heated up the Heisei well, the Ishingun, Ishingunden, Riki Choshi's army from the early 80s, versus Heisei Ishingun feud on the February 12th afternoon show at Corken Hall and gave a monster push to Hiroshi Tenzan as the brightest new star in the promotion. The feud actually started at Tokyo Dome when Masahito, the New Japan television commentator and former tag partner of Riki Choshu from 10 years ago, said during Shiro Koshinaka's match that Koshinaka's group is just a pale imitation of what we did about the heart, and basically called the New Japan's Rejects. Oh, by the way, I just checked. It's that I forgot that Dave calls it Japanese Television Rundown. <laughs> yes. Yes. The gimmick, is that, yes. the gimmick is that on January 18th, when Heisei Ishinga's house show was saved for New Japan Television, and Saito continued to commentate, Koshinaka tried to get him fired as color commentator, <laughs> which led to Saito reforming the original Ishingun for a six-man tag on February 12th against Koshinaka and two partners. In addition, Koshinaka asked Tenzan to come to the show because they wanted him to join their promotion. 
After the opener, Coach Tanaka came to the ring and said he couldn't find Tenzon backstage or anywhere, but wanted him to join their group. Finally, Tenzon showed up in street clothes, and the two had a stare down, which turned into a wild brawl with Tenzon running them out. Tenzon was lit, then challenged to a match by Michio Shihara later on in the car, which Tenzon Excuse won. Me. Sluggo. <laughs> well, let's get into that, shall we? All right, yeah. so from the uh, Feb- the uh, Death Valley Driver issue number 110, we start with a review. This is the TV <laughs> show I, I glossed over for DVR 100, and which now I can give a more deserving review to since Steve Pillmeyer returned the tape to me. <laughs> uh, uh, kids asked their grandparents what tapes were. <laughs> yeah, not the greatest show they've ever done in terms of pure wrestling, but perhaps the mo- their most outrageous show ever in terms of booking and storylines. Just for reference, this is the TV that was shot all in one day at two separate Cork and Hall shows. Part <laughs> the first, High Seasoning <laughs> and Afternoon Show. Shiro Koshinaka has the stick and uses it to call out some kid named Hiroshi Tenzon back from Europe after ripping, ripping up the beefers and catch. <laughs> Koshinaka, I guess, wants to recruit Tenzon to, into HI, but Tenzon gives him the Mongolian chop and proceeds to take out O'Hara for good measure. Hey, Pee Wee Moore's a ref, and he yeah. looks just as confused in Japan as he used to do in ECW. Pretty much. O'Hara says, the naive of this character, and picks up Tenzon's fuck car for a match, which I leads not expecting. To- <laughs> I was not expecting this. <laughs> Which leads to Michiyoshi Sluggo O'Hara versus Hiroshi Tenzon. O- again, O'Hara- kids ask, again, kids, kids ask their grandparents. What about Sluggo? Uh, O'Hara <laughs> jumps ten- Tenzon the second in the ring, but Tenzon decides he ain't going to sell for someone a little even goofier than he does at this stage of his career. O'Hara gets some scattered offense, but this is essentially a squash for Tenzon, who eventually hits a mountain bomb and falls with a side buster for the pin in set 53. Stop right there. I, I watching the match. It's he got he got more offense than I give him credit for. Obviously, I mean the rose colored glasses from twenty years ago. I mean and just me being a goof. Yes, but you, you watch this. I'm seeing things a lot differently now. Oh, but we yeah, all we all do. We all. Do. I know. I know. It's just funny. Well, Tenzon continued yeah. to work work over Sluggo post match, which resulted in Koshinaka, <laughs> Tastoshi Goto, and Great Kabuki running in. It's four on one on Tenzon. This, in turn, leads to Masaito, Joji Arata, and Yoshiaki Yasu heading out to even the Scott sides. And just like gotta, that, we got... And you got to see Kabuki bald, by the way. It's such a <laughs> weird visual. <laughs> and just like that, we got our first half main event. Two out of three falls. Shiro Koshinaka, the Great Kabuki, and Tastoshi Goto versus Masaito, Yoshiaki Yatsu, and Junji Harada. Much love, and Sean. the fans were not expecting Harada. They thought they were going to get Shoshu. Yes. And, and you watch this, and Koshinaka does this great take, like, the fuck? What are you doing here? <laughs> yes. For Harada. Much love shown us by TVSI for clipping the match. Harada, yeah. yeah Harada mean, t- when when Saito is the best-looking guy in your team. <laughs> Hirata takes the first fall with a machine suplex on Goto in 8.53. Goto even things up with a backdrop on Yatsu for the pin at 5.30. And then H.I. wins the match after Akatoshi Saito interferes behind the ref's back, kicking Hirata off the ropes to the floor where Kabuki and Goto give him a spy pile driver. He gets rolled back in, and Koshinaka promptly gives him the gentle bomb for the size of pin <laughs> at 4.54. I was well, young, stupid. <laughs> this is where it all breaks down. Masa Saito oh, is pissed at what happens here. 
And he decides to go <laughs> pull to the woods here. So let's go to the cliff. Okay, where should I pick this up exactly? Right about here. Right about uh, here? Yeah. Yeah, that looks good. All right, I'll put the volume at about half it, so we can hear. And it's in Japanese. Yes. Right, but we want to hear the crowd and stuff. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Over. Okay, here we go. And yeah, Kabuki <laughs> looks very strange bald with the face paint. Yes. Yeah. He looks like he looks like uh, Hawk's uncle. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle, uh, Road Warrior Buzzer. <laughs> Koshinaka. Kabuki. Goto. Now to the floor. Sluggo. Tobiyashi. There's Kimura. And Saito. Saito. That's a Yahtzee. Someone stick a ball on Chris Tong. We got double noggin on her. <laughs> but they no sell it because I guess they're. I gotta there. say, Saito had the awesome tights with the Japan punch. Yeah. But now it's seven on one. All right, you can take the ball now. Okay. So it's seven on one. Tenzan's in there fighting now. And here comes fucking Masio Chono running in. Yep. And this is, he, he hasn't been a heel for that long yet, right? In about, uh, uh, let's see, February. He's been heel about five, four or five months. Okay, so not long. Yeah. And still, he's moving great. I mean, you see him today. Yeah. You, see, you see him like 30 years ago, like no comparison. Yeah. But he's going to war here on, on yeah. Hishin Gun. I see Hishin Gun. Now the dust clears. And now he's... Yeah. <laughs> now he's attacking the, his partners. Tens up. Yep. Yeah. So this is just him turning heel on all of New Japan at this point. Yeah. Oh, young Chono looks. Yeah, he still looks like young Chono in your patient. Yeah. Tenzin also had the great bad gear with the, the full head on the back of his tights. Yeah. yeah, it's weird seeing him with like the proper Tenzin gear and the hair kind of part of the way there. But he hasn't just fully... Lots of really cool looks, everybody. Yeah. Probably his most iconic look, I think. <laughs> Alright, we get to get back down. <laughs> Take the sound back down. Okay. And, and so now they're beating each other up in high station and around the ring like, now what do we do? They're watching Saito and, and his guys, you know, brawling with Chono and Tenzan. Yep, yep, yep. Alright, falls. Alright, so in, in Pete's review, Masa <laughs> shows, shows his disgust for HI's actions by body slamming all seven of them in the row. Pull in the woods, if you will. <laughs> HI recovers from his goofiness and destroys Masa seven on one until he, the save is made by Tenzan and Chono. 
<laughs> Sends on further muddles the wars by going after Masa because he's a nice kid and all, but really confused. And Chono offers to become the father figure he really needs. Hi, <laughs> join me, my son, and we shall rule the world. Wait, so does that make Christian Cage the new Chono? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> they do have similar fashion sense. Yes. Again, Tenzan had the the, aw- the awesome bad good tights with the rainbow zebras and the the bullhead on the back, which rules. Isn't that All right, so a buffalo? <laughs> buffalo, yeah, buffalo. buffalo. I guess, yeah, 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 yeah. So as we have intermission here uh, between the shows, Tenzan and Chono yell cool sounding shit at each other backstage. <laughs> All right, so let's go to that, and then we'll go from there. This is in the uh, stairwell of. Uh, yes. Cover. Yeah, pretty much. You're there. Just hit play. Four hundred cameramen in the background. <laughs> yeah. Now they're leaving together. All right. And now you got this part of it. <laughs> yeah. Now, now as this is going on, Shiro Shinaka has the stick and calls out <laughs> Choshu, and Choshu arrives to the building. And heads in a up fucking sta- cab. In a taxi. Yeah. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. He rides in the cab, heads upstairs. The young New Japan ref wanders by wearing one of them their newfangled ECW shirts. <laughs> Koshinaka and Choshu, y'all cool sounding shit each other backstage. Chairs are thrown. Otani and Yasuda to hold both sides back single handedly. Let's watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Koshinaka <laughs> was so great. Yes. Actually, I have a question for Chris, real quick. Did they use the heat from all Japan as backstory here at all? How Koshinaka kind of got left to starve in Mexico because of the no. attention the Ishingundan guys were getting? Not really. But it's all. This is all about what Saito said about them being a a poor man's Ishingundan, basically. This so is what this is all own, about. So they're going to start their own promotion with uh, with blackjack and hookers. Yeah. <laughs> now the original Heisei Ishingun thing is all about New Japan working with Tenru. Yeah. Yes. That's the Anti Players Association deal. That's where all that starts. So they're kind of humoring the Shingen by giving them their own promotion to play with. Yeah. There's a cab. <laughs> 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 most powerful guy in Japan who's <laughs> coming out with a, with a <laughs> and, and the goddess is young boy. Yep. In the elevator. <laughs> Sweatshirt draped over his shoulders. <laughs> And, and, and I gotta look, he's so damn timid. <laughs> ECW! <laughs> Alright, here we go. <laughs> Who is that wearing to join the Revolution shirt, anyway? One of the refs. 
Oh, so look at Koshinaka's young, young rep. Look, I forget. Yeah. Look at Koshinaka's fucking denim jacket. <laughs> and and the ref sees him and just like, nope, just nopes out of there. <laughs> yep. Koshinaka. It's like a stewed. So this is between shows and this ah, is Koshinaka. Koshinaka. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> WWF angles if they had to do this with 50 fucking cameramen in the way doing all their backstage stuff? I need fucking translation because this is all of a sudden so cool as shit that they're yelling exactly. at each other. I just wonder what they're saying. And also Goto wearing his little tiny baseball cap just looks yeah. absurd. Kengo and the Kimura. mustache. Kengo, Kengo it looks like, it looks like a 10-year-old with, uh, with, with pituitary issues. <laughs> Kengo Kimura talking shit in his leather jacket. Sluggo right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> Kimura is almost Kimura almost looks as much a badass as Koshinaka, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I guess we could use yeah. one of those Twitter translations. A lot of old guy cool in this group. Yes, it was, yes. In retrospect, I mean it was fun to laugh at these guys thirty years ago, but now you realize you see it and like Yeah. Old school's cool. Oh. <laughs> Kimura just giving Choshu a kiss. Go to a break. It's just insanity. Alright, alright, so now, alright, alright. So now we go to part the second New Japan <laughs> evening show. Where our You're matches well, actually, real quick, <laughs> let let's go to the much more sober thoughts of Dave Meltzer once he sees <laughs> the TV um, over a month later, or I guess about a month later. So da, 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 okay, so the scheduled main event of Hirata and Saido and Yatsu versus Kabuki and Koshinaka and Goto immediately began. The fans were disappointed seeing Hirata in there instead of Choshu. It was advertised in Saido as Saido and Yatsu and a mystery partner who was heavily rumored to be Choshu and chanted for, quote, Choshu. If you, if you check at one match. point it, during the match, Koshinaka actually grabs the mic and goes, where the fuck's Choshu? <laughs> and, and then Saido gets to the mic. I don't even know what the hell he said, but I'm telling you, um, if he'd never been a pro wrestler, he would have been an awesome, like, uh, black metal singer. Picture <laughs> <laughs> with, like, when, like, like, obituary or DSI with that, <laughs> that voice. Uh, only the finishes of all three falls aired, and based on what aired, yeah. the match itself wasn't good because most of these guys are really washed up. <laughs> Yatsu in particular, just sad. He was so well, great, like, yes. four or five years earlier. Yeah. Uh, third fall saw Harada on the top rope when Kegokamura kicked him off. 
and he took a bump to the floor. Kabuki and Goto gave him a stuffed pile driver on the floor, and Koshinaka in the ring pinned him with a powerbomb. After the match, Saido, who physically looks in better shape now at 52 than he did 25 years ago, and is as good in the ring as you can expect someone from someone that age, but a Japanese main event is no place for someone that age, body slammed all seven members of Zayashin Gun. <laughs> Finally, they all started beating on him and on Yatsu and Harada. Tenzan and surprisingly Masa Chono made the save, and after they cleared the ring, Tenzan and Chono attacked Masa Saido. Chono and Tenzan left together, and the cameras followed them dressing room area, where they yelled at each other and went behind closed <laughs> doors to form their partnership. In the ring, Koshinaka got the house mic and began challenging Choshu, getting mad because he wasn't there. After commercial break, they all came back for an evening show in the same building. Choshu had arrived, and Koshinaka and company went to his dressing room and jumped him there, and there was a lot of yelling and screaming. <laughs> then, all right, so and then, yeah. Then, nailed so, it. So now we get to the New Japan match. Riki Choshu, Shinya Shimano, and Junji Arata against Murder, Inc. Masahiro Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Hiro Saito. And Hiro's still wearing his raging staff gear. I just noticed that before. He sure is, yes. Choshu Im- immediately goes after Tenzan on the floor, posting Oh, by the him. way, real quick, I just noticed, to try to differentiate the two shows, no BVD logos on the mat for the Isaiah Shigun right. show. Right, yeah. yeah. Black Apron, and, too. Yeah. On the, co- uh, Shingen. Yeah. Clothesline him right into the crowd, since he's the mook who started this whole mess. Yep. It's great as Choshu is absolutely beating the shit out of him, never letting up, <laughs> even while he steps in the ring, and Hashimoto passes Tenzan to him. <laughs> and he gets to lay in some kicks, and a DDD, and Harada uses his round to work over Tenzan. Choshu tagged in, hit a pair of Ricky Lariatos, but Chono snuck in from behind and hit a uh, Yakuza kick, Kinka kick. Chono goes nuts on Choshu with kicks, which allows Tenzan to make his own comeback with Mongolian chops. Everyone else starts brawling on the floor which allows Hiro to sneak in and help Tenzan hit the spike pile driver on Choshu. Hiro slammed Choshu. Tenzan headed up top, hit a diving headbutt on Choshu for the mega upset pin in 535 without even getting tagged out. Tenzan celebrates like he just won the lottery, but it's short-lived, and as a living Hashimoto blindsided him with kicks, sending him into the crowd, before long, Hash and Hirata are halfway up the fucking bleachers, destroying Tenzan, but that allows Cho- Choshu and Hiro to give Cho- uh, Chono and Hiro to give Choshu show a that, little show that of their own. that match in the pop. Yes, let's watch this. Yeah, because this is a wild. All right, here we go. Yeah, and then it just goes crazy. Insane. Insane. Yeah. About here, good. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. I think, yeah. Bike pile driver. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever the name, I don't know. Finish. Put him on the floor. Finish. Not at all. Put him on the floor. Ah, Yeah, like Tenzan sells the rep like, did that just happen? Did I actually hit him? Oh, I'm a big freeze, baby! 
big arm. Oh, watch this shit. Suddenly, Hashimoto. <laughs> oh, my God. Him and Harada just, like, uh, it's insane. With the beat, they beat this motherfucker. All right, all right let's watch this shit. Yeah. <laughs> let's see that again. That, he that, just watches him. And Chono's just standing there like, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what happens when that when you do that. Yeah. This is his initiation. <laughs> he ch- <laughs> okay, so he sees he sees Hashimoto on the floor, and he's pointing <laughs> at him and taunting him as he's stepping on Choshu. He's got his foot on okay. Choshu's neck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Boston. Throwing chairs at it. <laughs> It's like when you watch the old 80s All Japan Women when you pull them down from the crowd and people are stampeding everywhere. <laughs> they can't even follow them with the cameras. Yeah. Well, they're all under the bleachers. Well, now they're pulling back because you can sort of almost see them in the bleachers. Because they're beating the shit out of them. They're not playing to the cameras, they're playing to beating Tenzaki. It was the money. <laughs> Yeah, the raging staff weird. Yeah, now Choto and Hero are just beating up Choshu in the ring. Yeah. They're, they're not bothering saving Tenzon. He just got thrown down the stairs. <laughs> これはすごいことですよ。また、はい。またはですね、ある意味でこれ今日は昼の戦いました。また夜の戦いまた一風変わったですね。これでホールになりました。はい。どうだったこれ。ちょっとあんまり。ちょっとあんまり。ちょっと
with Sabu swinging the chairs. Murdering Sabu, to be clear. That's right. You're Sabu doing Sabu things. <laughs> Sabu's looking for someone to hit. Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> we, got, we got Japanese table. There's the table. I forget was the was the show where uh, where Harada chucks the table at Sabu's head. Was that before or after this? Oh, it's, I think it's here. Maybe. Here. Oh, is oh here? yeah. I don't know. Maybe after. All right, Hashimoto is on the table. <laughs> oh, and Sabu's giving Tenzon permission to steal his gimmick. Senton off the top rope. It sends up with Hashimoto to a table. That had a, that had a suck for Hashimoto getting going through that table. Yes. The crowd is going nuts. The yeah, crowd's yeah. The crowd is at a froth for all of this. Sabu has half the table. Sabu is using it. table. Poop! <laughs> <laughs> Choshu just running back in. <laughs> Sabu just did an Arabian face buster onto Choshu with the table. Now the ring is finally cleared out. <laughs> They're all walking out. That's right. We bad. Yeah, and yeah, just Cork is losing their minds. These dudes Can you are just. going to fly in the wall in that building when this is going down. Oh, it's amazing. We're stabbing things. Yeah. February 12th, Cork and Hall document. <laughs> all right, pause. All right, so, uh, yeah, Pete notes in the review that Sabu is just a Murder, Inc. affiliate yep. at this time. Was he um, not an official member? Murder, Inc., Team Wolf, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah Wolves, but Mur Murder, Inc. Uh, yeah. Oh, what was it? Uh, Okami Gundan was the official name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to, yeah, the crowd, we're gonna go back to this, Bix. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the crowd goes absolutely berserk throughout the whole thing. The whole thing's insanely hot. Okay, now, epilogue. Choshu yells cool sounding shit while throwing <laughs> chairs at Hashimoto and Harada who leave who leave with this whoo boys have one of these again <laughs> looks and uh, light out in search of uh, Chono's locker room they find it Schmoz <laughs> ensues Yasuda wandered around looking confused Sabu mug for the Sabu mug for the camera everyone yells cool sounding shit at each other Hash and Hase swear revenge. The end. Spotlight dance. Me. Uh, all right, so let's watch. Uh, let's watch this go happen here. This is all in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this is in the locker room proper, not in like yeah. the yeah. press conference. He's almost nailing the other baby. You motherfuckers are going to go through 
They're brandishing chairs as they're leaving. Someone needs to tell Sabu not to, that was not the time to sit there mugging him. Is there a phone book? Is there something? Man, I never realized how huge that suit was. Didn't know they piled stuff that high. So, so for Tenzan, was this like the Puerto Rico movement where they where they throw his clothes at him? <laughs> now the turn, now that he's turned. Osamoto's <laughs> like these these fucking idiots. <laughs> he has brought great shame upon the family. <laughs> All right, so. Um... Overall, a really cool show, like a more wrestling intensive Raw, but with these sports entertainment sacrifice for straight wrestling angles and Godzilla level heat and hatred. Choshi was just super in this the whole way. And Dave rated it three and three quarter stars. The match. Which is something because the match went like, what, five minutes? Yeah. yeah. Tenzan literally never tagged out. He was in the whole time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you remember the week after? The TV they aired the week after. Not offhand. It was fucking insane. All right, so they were in one of the bigger buildings. And <laughs> um, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I try to remember what the main event was. It was involving Chono. I think it was a singles match or a tag match or something. Um, I'm looking to see if Dave has a review. Okay. It's Chono and Tenzan against Hase and Sasaki. These motherfuckers brawled all over the building. Uh-huh. They brawled to the locker room. Hase got stretchered. Everybody's throwing chairs at each other. Um, Dave gave it four stars. Um, just fucking insane. That TV show had, all right, the March 11th TV show featured that match at four stars. Samurai Natani against Katamoto and Grand Hamada, three and a half stars. And uh, Otani against the Hamada, three and a quarter stars. And then Kanemoto beating Hanaga, three and a quarter stars. Yeah. One hour TV. <laughs> <laughs> I that's, mean, they that's just some insane. pro wrestling right there. I mean, it just that first thing, it was like the the fans were so fucking hot, man, for that for that New Japan uh, Murder Inc. shit. I mean, they were just. You 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 know we talk about being the attitude era type that type of show. You like you pointed out this was like ECW. Yeah, this is like ECW, a precursor of what ECW is about to become in '95. New Japan's doing it first with this type of angle and this type of television and this and all this shit. And it's going so much on. more effective because they this is like how many times would they do stuff like this? 
They didn't. This war was so effective. Not like this. Not like this. Yeah. Not like this. I mean, they had hot angles all the time, and they had the faction warfare and all that shit. And they had they were the total antithesis of all Japan, where all Japan, mm-hmm. you know, was all the, you know, the big wrestling and stuff like that. New Japan's out there doing all this wild, crazy shit. You know, and which is the opposite of what it used to be. I always thought it more kind of level. What was that, Pete? I was going to say, I don't think New Japan was ever quite this crazy with it, though. I mean, they did. No. They had had more blood. They had more. I mean, they had a little more screwy finish. They had a little more fuck finishes. But for the most part, it was not not as clean as all Japan, but it was pretty close to it. But this was just completely out of left field for them. Right. And back in the day, like originally, it was like. Yeah, New Japan. Oh, yeah, all that, stuff, like, 70s, all Japan 80s, was yeah, the more by the Americanized 90s, they had passed one. that. Yes. By well, the, the 90s, they had left that in the rearview mirror. They weren't doing that anymore. But the Chono heel turn yeah. is what spawned all this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then as they grew, I mean, this is, I mean, it was just, it, this was insanity. Yeah, completely you know, watching insane. This. If you can find this, you got to watch this. And yeah, Sabu is you know, just... We're not doing it. We're not doing it justice. Well, the problem is New New Japan makes it so fucking hard to have shit online. I mean, good luck. And and then and then they're trying to push people to the app, and then they pull it off the app, and it's like, okay, now what? Now what are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Because this was on the app at one point. Oh, it was. Okay, I didn't realize that. The uh, the 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 six man tag. What the um the the Tenzan Shono Hero versus uh, New Japan guys was. Hmm. I because, never pointed out to you guys when I saw it. Because Cho, because I mean, it's Tenzan beating Choshu clean as a sheet. Yeah, you know, and, and, and like Dave said, a match that made him, you know, that time well, made him a, a player. By the logic of what archival stuff went up on New Japan World, but they rebooted New Japan World, and a lot of stuff's missing, and who knows exactly when it's going to go back. Exactly. <sighs> yes. Oh, by the way, love that HD video quality they were promising, and now it looks the same or worse than it did before <laughs> on, on the live streams. I don't think I'm the only one who's noticed that. They're like, oh, because yeah. people complained that, like, they weren't real HD or at least it was, like, bad HD and they said it was going to be 1080p and, like, uh, now, it, like, I feel like when I've watched New Japan live streams since they changed the app, it looked worse. Yeah. Mm. But now, also on the uh, High Seation Gun Cork and Hall show, we had Joe and Dean Malenko. Yeah, Joe Malenko debuting, uh, beating Tokamichi Suzawa and Yuji Nagata. I don't remember Joe in New Japan at all. That's well, like he worked on the radar. He worked high Yenshin Gun show, so yeah. But I think he worked New Japan as well. I think he worked that at the evening show. He may have. Yeah, you're right. I'm checking his uh, cage match. Let's see. Because it wasn't, it wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't often that he, they, he did it in New Japan. Yeah, he did work in New Japan proper. So before this this day, he had last been in Japan in September for Fujiwara Gumi, where he worked Fujiwara, and he had done that on the previous one thing he worked to. And oh, in August was uh, Joe Malenko and Shinobu Kandori over Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Thundercrack. Yeah, that was ninety four. Yes, but he he works this tour. Him and Dean. Thunderclock was his was Fujiwara's bodyguard, I think, or something. A girlfriend, he, I thought. Oh, yeah. okay, maybe both. They, they, I don't he, know. he he works the matches on this tour, and then he comes back in December 
and where's uh, Fujinami on the Muga show. Yes. And then he, he comes back in 96 and works a, a handful of Muga matches. It looks like That's this it. is his only like, proper New Japan tour, and even then he's not on the full tour. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, and he was an all Japan, and he was an all Japan guy for so long. It just sounds weird. Uh, yeah, it does because Dean yeah. Dean made the move in '92, right? Yeah, yeah. Mostly well, wrestling, kind of the same guys night to night. But there's some interesting yeah. stuff. Malenko's over Otani and Nagata in particular. Sounds yeah, pretty good. Um, and then when he comes back to Japan later in the year, well, actually, no, it's not even later there. It's in May. It's not long after this. It's UWI. <clears throat> And he does a few shots for them into the summer, and then there's the Muga stuff. And just have yeah. to spring of the following year. Yeah. All three singles junior champions dropped non-title matches this past week. Set up, they set up a ton of matches. And Sendai, Otani lost to Hamada. While on the February 12th, Hamada also pinned uh, IWGP junior champ Norianaga. On the 8th, Shiyashimoto lost a non-title match to Scott Norton. It's a title match on the 19th. And on the 12th, Norton used a DDT to pin Kensuke Sasaki. So. I like them having a secondary junior title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord knows Lord knows if any group could use it, that was them. They had at, so that, much- at that time? God, yes. Oh, yeah. Between yes. their guys and also working with AAA? Absolutely. And the, still hanging with the war guys in a, in a sense, yep. too. So, yeah. Speaking of, yeah. we got nice, – yeah, we got two war shows to uh, look at during our week. February 8th in Osaka. We have Ultimate Dragon over at the Gaza. So that's uh, Brett Como, Ultimate Dragon. We'll, yep. we'll, get, we'll get into that, yes. The Warlord over Osamu <laughs> Tachikari. Yes! <laughs> oh, big meaty men slapping meat. There you go. Yes, a Dean Rasmussen special. Then we have uh, Ryuma Go over Hiroshi Itakura. Dos Caras over Yuji Ashiroka, Adam Hamaguchi over Masakurisu, and in two steel cage matches, one the Eliminators over Lionheart, Chris Jericho, and Kim Duck, <laughs> and then our main event, which went almost thirty minutes, Ultimo Dragon, Nobukazu Rai, and Kohikidahara over Ghetto, Jado, and Hiramichi Fuyuki. Then we go to February twelfth in Hiroshima, where we have Yashiroka over Garza. Ultimate Dragon over Karisu, Ryumago over Hiroshi Takura, Osamu over Kim Dutt by disqualification, The Eliminators over the Warlord and Lionheart Chris Jericho, <laughs> Ultimo Dragon. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Ultimo Dragon retained the NWA World Middleweight title over Dos Caras, and then another steel cage match, Gedo Jado and Fuyuki over Harai, Kitahara, and Anna Mahamaguchi. Yes, Ultimate Dragon, that's in war here. If you want Ultimo, is Calgary Wrestle Thunderbird Como, who's the master of the shooting star press called the Comotizer. Really strong work on that Brett Como. Mm-hmm. Just forgot about today. And then the Eliminators from the SWA getting a big push in this tour, going undefeated in matches, dealing with Lionheart and partners like Duck and Warlord. They've been doing cage matches on top with Gato and Jonathan Fuyuki every night. Is and it's it's a, weird to think of them as Memphis guys, but they were there for a while. They had, they, they they had that fun feud. Yeah, PG yeah, thirteen and uh, oh, Okano and uh, oh, Masters the other guy. of the Orient. It was the Okano Orient. and uh, Nobutaka Araya. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Araya. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, is this the only tour where they do these cage matches? I think. Uh, yeah, and notice who's not on the show. Tenru is not around. No. 
So Interesting. And then uh, PWI Almanac comes out for the first time the following year. Has this section about Japanese wrestling, and it's clear someone just got fed a few facts and extrapolated because it uh, it says that most war cards are headlined by Trudeau's matches in cages. <laughs> Granted, this well. is also the same publication in its regular magazine that uh, was it that once said that Bret Hart defeated Ted DiBiase uh, to win the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Stu Sachs, Russell Kimura, line two. Because that was always he, he always did that. He, they did he was the major he, the, the cage matches in IW. He always did that too. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. was a yep. thing though. Like Russia is the king of the cage. Was a was a thing. I know. Yeah, that was yeah. his actual trade. It's just so funny talking about them. Like, oh, this is their thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't their thing at all. It was just the thing they did for one door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. FMW, they had their big show of the weekend in Zuka at Zuka City Gym on February 11th. We have Ricky Fuji over Bad Boy Hito. Ray Pandita and Gosaku Goshikawara over Choden Senshi Battle Ranger Z and Makayato. Makayato still Megumi... wrestling in 1995. Oh, yeah. Megumi Kudo, Combat Toyota, and Yukari Ishikura over Krishima Damari, Sharshashuya, and Bad Nurse Nakamura. Hisakatsu Oya and Mr. Danger, Mitsuya Matsunaga over Tarzan Goto and Tetsuya Kuroda. And then a no rope bar bar street fight death match. Asushi Onida, Kestoshi Niyama, Koji Nakagawa, and Masato Tanaka over Mr. Pogo, the gladiator Mike Awesome, Yukihiro Kanamura, and Hideki Osaka. Now, the uh, uh, home, home stretch for Onida's retirement. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. It's, yeah. and, and which was never going to happen again. He's gone for good. Say goodbye. Well, yes, I know. His idol is Terry Funk. So <laughs> now, if if there was too much of just like a sheen and a shine to FMW and that kind of indie wrestling, have no fear. IWU dummy. Yes. <laughs> had a International show in Kanagawa Union, aka Union at the program. Kanagawa Sports Center. Yeah, we have a a, a mixed tag here. You could, you could actually Kawabata. write your name. You could write your name on the scum on this on this lineup. <laughs> Kisha Kawabata and Zuyama defeated uh, Ryo Miyaki and Elektra. Shinmi Masuzaki and Kei Sakata over Takeshi Miyamoto and Jun Kikazawa. Kikutaro. Uh, Kikazawa yeah. Kikutaro? I, I, I thought, I thought it was Tsunoba Kikazawa. Kikazawa. Yeah. Okay, that's right. That's right. That's right. This is the other Kikazawa. That's right. You're right. <laughs> Los Demonios, one and two, over Masika Takasugi and Shigeo Okamura. And then Poison Sawada, Uchu Power X, and Goro Shirumi over Demonio number one, Black Mummy. And white mummy. Poison Sawada was not Julie yet. No. So it's how oh, far back this Years goes. before that. Yeah. 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 What a lineup of talent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So cage. So wrestling data says that Kikutaro is Jun Kikazawa, but cage match does not. Huh. Yeah. But I don't think that's it. maybe it is. I don't the know. Jury is out. And no, and Black Mummy, White Mummy is not an homage to the uh, Pam Greer film, Black Mama, <laughs> White Mama, the, the 70s. So there's that. Oh, God. But there's even more scum here, Andy, as we have Nishi Nihon. Where did you find this? They ran a show February 11th at the Itsuki Sanritsu Daiichi Junior High School in front of 1,050 fans. As we have Shinichi Hayashida over Itsuke Kamen. The Great Momotaru over Doku Gas Mask. Kenichiro Yukimura over Satoru Ando. 
Hopper King and Kenichi Kawasaki over Diablo and Shinichiro Kurbiashi. And in our main event, Hiroshi Shimada over Crusher Takahashi. And they drew a thousand people for this thing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing it. It's like in the high school cafeteria. You can like you, you can smell the lunch as this show was going on. <laughs> oh, what a what a wonderful indie scum show that is. <laughs> what is Nishi Nihon? <laughs> Who knows? West Japan. West Japan. <laughs> yeah. No, if it was West Japan, we'd have Bio Franken. <laughs> Nishi Nihon. Let's see. Uh. That is, I think, something to do a kind of a West Japan type thing, maybe. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure Nishi is Japanese for West, so. Yeah. So there you go. All right, now let's go to the uh, Joshi side of things. All Japan women, they ran in Osaka on February 7th. We have Yoko Takahashi and Masai Watanabe over Yoshiko Tamura and Nomi Kato. Kimuko Mikawa and Yukushi over Yukushina. Karo Ito over Toboko Watanabe. Manami Toyota, Takako Inoue, and Rie Tamada over LCO, Eskomita, Mimishimoto, and Chaprito Sari. Aja Kong over Mariko Yoshida. And to- Toshiro Yamane, Kyoko Inoue over Yumiko Hota and Suzuka Manami. Too many future Neo wrestlers on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Bix loves Neo, uh, Pete, if you didn't know that already. He's, well, future Arsian wrestlers on this too, if we're going to get technical. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, both. Yes, because. Th- Everything's still nice and neat at this point, and it's going to split well, the alien promotion. That's just a, just the way everything blew up was just so sad. But LOPW's here. They ran Kawarkin on February 10th. We have Leo Kuramura over Keiko Ono, Junu Yakari over Michiko Nagashima. All Japan women tag titles on the line here in LOPW. Carol Madora and Michiko Omakai retained over Mikiko Fudagami and Mizuki Endo. Shinobu Kandora and Rumi Kazama over Nero Tateno and Harley Saito. And in our main event, Eagle Sawai over Miki Honda. That semi sponsored by Idaho Potatoes. <laughs> Just a little stiff. You, you know, you know, all four of those girls were dealing. <laughs> Just a little stiff. Yeah. <laughs> also curious yeah, what the uh, the early Kong Yoshida match on the All Japan Women Show looks like. You know, knowing how good their uh, their matches in RCNR a few years later. Yeah. True. Yeah. So. I mean, all of those women that that lineup, just all the talent they had back then. But and but and it was nonstop. They never t- they never took breaks. They went through like it was like going through a meat grinder with all these women. Well, yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. So many dates. A year. Like, what is it? They're yeah. working like two hundred fifty to three hundred dates a year, and we like probably have at most what like half the results. And and, and when they weren't working, where they were probably what working at the the hotel or the restaurant they had too. And the thing is, is that a lot of these ladies, I mean. They're so, I mean, they wrestled for years and years after this. So the fact that they they went through all of this stuff and still were able to have good long careers is a testament to them. You know? So. It's just brutal. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So have some great 1995 commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime <laughs> segment where we'll talk about our Patreon. We'll talk about streaming services, hit the plugs, and we'll come back with Pete as we go to uh, North America where we have some stuff from Canada to talk about and uh, go to the world of Lucha with uh, some interesting stories, including one from the Associated Press in America. All that more after the break. (laughs) 
we paint the new Chevy Blazer in a highly automated paint application facility. Those entering the paint area have to put on special lint-free apparel and in some cases pass through an air shower. Before paint is applied by robots, the primed bodies are gently brushed with ostrich feathers. Now you might not always be able to admire the stunning result all this has on the Blazer's paint job, but it's nice to know it's there, somewhere. Look, a MasterCard won't make you different or unique, okay? Actually, maybe it will. I mean, millions of people use MasterCard, but yours is meant for you and you alone. So if someone steals it, instead of worrying about people running around pretending to be you, call right away and cancel it. Because, after all, there's only one you. What's more, even if somebody does manage to charge stuff to you, you won't pay a cent. And we may even be able to get you a new card the next day. But just for you. Now, how's that for a useful card? MasterCard, it's more than a credit card, it's smart money. USA Network's presentation of the 119th Annual Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show is brought to you by Purina Puppy Chow. A puppy needs three things, love, love, and puppy chow. By the makers of Tavis D and Tavis One, the breathe easier medicines. And by Purina One, made with real ingredients for a beautiful dog inside and out. I spent four years in the freezer thanks to the tech lords. Payback starts right now. Tech War, a USA Network original. Monday night at 10, 9 central. If you can get the car to my house, I'll buy it. I can handle that, I said. Just get the car to her house, and she'd buy a BMW 540i with all-season traction. Of course, her house was not what you would call accessible. I call for directions. Take a right at the fork, straight up Pinnacle Hill. We'll never make it. BMW's all-season traction just loves a challenge. I'll take it. She said. Just as soon as you drive me home. I said. BMW all-season traction. Come see how it handles at MotorWorks BMW Bloomington. What my kids don't outgrow, washing just wears out. A message from Byerly's. You're washing the same clothes over and over and over again. Their things just come out all worn and faded. Discover Tide at Byerly's. It helps keep cottons looking like new. Look what happens to clothes washed in regular detergent. But with Tide, clothes stay looking more like new. There's less buzzing that makes cottons look faded. Well, she'll still outgrow her clothes, but at least they'll look great on our little sister. Help keep clothes looking like new with Tide at Byerly's. Watch Super go forward! Super Dave's Vegas Spectacular on USA, Saturday nights at 10.30, 9.30 Central. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1995 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're going to get to our Patreon, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Of course, as everybody knows, at least by now, I hope that uh, our show will be coming out at the end of the month. On this month, where we'll discuss the 30th anniversary of Macy Hyatt being fired by WCW which leads to her sexual harassment lawsuit being filed. So um, we're recording that. We have started recording the early part of it. We're about to get into the heavy parts of it after we do this segment. So, um, yeah, this will be quite the show. And uh, like we said before, a show that we had uh, on the books months ago before all this stuff that uh, happened with Vince McMahon came out. So crazy timing. But here we are. So, you, believe me, you want to be part of this. And, this, and uh, you definitely want to be a part of uh, the shows we have coming up after that, which you'll hear more about that later on. But, uh, yeah, so $5 a month, get your access to that and all the other shows that we've done. 
in our seven plus years of the Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. So if you want to do that, have a couple shows on your mind, at least two, I would say, because the main show you may want to do could be something that we have done already, could be something that maybe you already taken up on the calendar by somebody else. Ask us, and we'll tell you uh, if you're good to go. Let us know why you want to do the show as well. That way we can match everything up timeline-wise. Because, of course, as you know, we got Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline of uh, the year. We got the 30-day rule in effect, 10-year rules in effect, all that stuff that we've been doing for the past seven-plus years still in effect. And the protocol is on the Patreon website. And again, get with either of us and let us know. Fifty dollars I just for a segment of the show if you choose, a hundred for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. And uh we've had uh, pr- some pretty strong weeks lately um in the Patreon coming off of uh of course the Von Eric show we did in December. Uh Finger Poke of Doom has ha- happened, so we had some stuff that and of also, course uh... The yeah. Titan Gate shows. Yes, the people listening to those since they've been up for free and uh, signing up after. Yes, yeah, so uh, we definitely thank everybody up front for all that. But now it's time to thank people individually. So, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, I think we have like 16 this week. <laughs> it's tremendous. Yes. All right, so we would like to thank Torgo1985. Thanks, Torgo. Then we have, uh, well, I said something about how it would be nice if we got more, like, knowledge fight type, uh, jokey, uh, patron display names. So, we'd also like to thank Need a Girl to Give Me Head in the Frankensteiner Position. Thanks, Need a Girl Give Me Head in the Frankensteiner Position. <laughs> Rich Moulton. Thanks, Rich. Uh, William Arnett, presumably not the actor slash comedian. Thanks, William. That's Will Arnett, but thanks, William Arnett. Well, I'm sure his Christian name is William. Oh, uh, well, maybe. Uh, Greg C. Thanks, Greg C. Doug Edwards. Thanks, Doug. Michael Farrell. Thanks, Michael. Roddy McCants. Thanks, Roddy. Chris K., the letter K, not K-A-Y. Thanks, Chris. Jeremy Landry. Thanks, Jeremy. Josh Roth. Thanks, Josh. Andrew Jones, I don't think the uh, baseball oh. player or the uh, speaker designer. I wish it was a baseball fan, Andrew Jones, one of my all-time favorites, but thank you, Andrew. Well, it's not spelled that way. It's spelled the conventional. Uh, okay, well, there you go. Uh, Jeremy Smith. Thanks, Jeremy. Jace Nakarado. Thanks, Jace. DM. Is that DM? As in direct message with Dave Meltzer, but not either of them. Okay. Correct. Yes. All right, thanks, thanks DM. Anthony Muhammad. Thanks, Anthony. And Mike. Thanks, Mike. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning and stayed with us, patrons that have uh, left and came back. We thank everyone for their patronage at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And where are we, what are we ranked now, Bix? Is it on the list of the most oh, popular? On draft room. Let me pull it back up. Uh, let's see. Is in the 400s of podcasts, I believe, right? I thought you said 647. 
Was it 600? Uh, now I don't remember. Uh, Let's see. It, as I click on that. Okay, yeah, 600. 644th as of this 644, morning. fine. So let's try to get the, the podcast up into the 600, the five, the 600 range. Yes. If we on, can. As far as the top podcast on Patreon. <laughs> yes. We're going to work ourselves there. I mean, so. it's ahead of the curve. Like, remember, like, I don't know what the average Patreon does, but remember, like, you know, Conrad used to say this. I've heard other people say that, say it. When it comes to, like, starting a podcast, if you average more than, like, 112 listeners or something for your regular free podcast, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. And we do way more than that. So, uh, that's yes. awesome. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, what's going on in the world of our streaming friends this week at uh, IWTV and Fight TV presented by Trailer Plus or whatever the hell it is? Okay, IWTV, we'll start with the on-demand. Uh, we got a Wild Side Super Show added, Chris. Yeah. Christmas Chaos 2002. Saw that. In Cornelia on uh, December 29th, 02, with a lineup that includes Salvatore uh, Renaro against Kid Cool. So... Sal Renaro versus Seth DeLay. Uh, the Lost Boys against Future Shock of Brandon P. and Jay Freeze. Uh, NWA World Television Title Tournament Final. Rain Man, uh, Corey Chavis against Tony Mamaluke. AJ Styles against David Young. Uh, Iceberg against Stone Mountain for the Wildside title. Adam Windsor and Onyx with Dory Funk Jr. against Crew Jones and Murder One. Yeah. That's I remember a match the, with wrestlers in it. I remember when Adam was there, yes. Wildside Junior title, Slim J, defending against Jeremy V. Yeah. Loser Leafs Town, Todd Sexton against Tony Stradlin, TNT Explodes. Wildside Tag Titles, uh, Scotty Wren and our dear friend Tank against the Dobbins brothers, Chad and Jason. And main event, Jason Cross against John Phoenix. There you go, not bad. Yep. Not bad and at all. Also on demand, I don't know what their deal is as far as live streams or less live streams or stuff taking longer to get on demand longer, but uh, I don't remember if this was live streamed. I think it wasn't. Uh, Prestige's Combat Princess show from December is also on demand now uh, for a show that includes uh, Mizuki against Sandra Moon, Mi Watanabe against Hyun, uh, the Tokyo Joshi Pro Princess Tag Titles with the uh, free Wi-Fi of Hikari Noah and Nao Kakuda against Janai Kai and Chaz McKenzie, uh, Shoko Nakajima against Taya Valkyrie, uh, main event of MK Ultra of Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich against, I'm not reading out all these digits, but the team of Maki Ito and Miyu Yamashita, and more. So that's up on demand now. And as far as live streaming, not too loaded this week, but we've got one show mainly to talk about, and H2O is a show Saturday night at 8pm Causing Havoc is the name of the show, uh, Austin Luke defending the H2O title against Kennedy Copeland Anything Goes with Matt Tremont against Low Life Louis Ramos uh, and then the various other uh, H2O undercard regulars throughout the rest of the show. So, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up and uh, we'll get a referral fee for as long as you stay at paid subscribers. That's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. And yes, as for uh, 
Triller TV Plus, powered by Fight. Mouthful. Yeah. Uh few things uh okay based on the time listed for these it looks like these are going to be live uh melbourne city wrestling is doing their anniversary weekend coming up uh starting on okay what day of the week is the 12th so february uh, yeah so monday night monday local time there but uh sunday night at 3 a.m uh eastern time they've got day one uh, do we have any outside names? Or is this, yeah, or at least names known outside of Australia. I mean, it's a, looks like it's mainly their usual people, including, you know, notable names like Adam Brooks. Um, oh, Buddy Matthews is on the card defending the MCW world title against Slex. Uh, so those are your, you know, names on the first night. And then the next night, also at 3 a.m. Eastern, as I scroll down to the lineup, uh, any other like names that would be known outside of Australia? Yes. Okay, there is a, a Caveman Ugg versus Mick Moretti match. So some of the bigger name Australian indie talent uh, sprinkled throughout these shows. So those sound like they're worth checking out. And then coming on the 13th, so that's Tuesday... I'm assuming that's not live. I, I'm assuming this is a premiere. Unsanctioned Pro has uh, Fake Beach 3. That's uh, a 30, yeah, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for the premiere for a show that includes Aaron Williams against Lord Crew, a uh, scramble that includes, among others, Derek Dillinger, Ron Bass Jr., and Hoodfoot, uh, Ace Perry against Rachel Armstrong, uh, Effie against Sam Beal, Cole Radger against Jeffrey John, and more. So that's what's coming up on uh, Trailer TV Plus this week. If you're not already subscribing, go to tinyurl.com slash btstrailer, and we'll get a referral fee if you sign up through that. Also, if you, uh, what was I saying? If you, if you buy an iPay-Per-View from that, using that link. So tinyurl.com slash btstrailer. Trailer. Today's episode between the sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. If you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is stored your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geo-block content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just ring the fastest VPN in the world by PC bag. If you sign up for Private Internet Access right now, take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. And we have three packages that we offer. You can go monthly at $11.95 a month. You can go yearly, which gets you down three dollars thirty-three cents a month for thirty-nine ninety-five a year, or you can go with the number one package of all, three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety-eight a month, seventy-nine dollars for the first three years, eighty-three percent off, the best damn deal in the business. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-Day Risk-Free Challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. 
So you get that, you ask. We go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll rewind back a year to 1994. Well, we're talking about Marty Jannetty getting fired again from the WF. Nothing new there. Vince Man and Jim Ross, they co-host Rio WWF, and there's some interesting stuff coming from that. We'll have uh, Wade Keller's thoughts on the current state of WWF. Uh, new Japan and All Japan. All Japan start up a tour. New Japan's closing a tour, and New Japan's got... A couple big shows we talk about. UWFI has one of the biggest grandstand challenges ever. They're one of their press conferences. And we got stuff stuff in Japan. We got stuff from Europe, Mexico. The first ever Sabu Crispin wall match takes place on a Dead Score Luzo card in New Jersey. We'll talk about that. Just who the hell's booking ECW? We'll talk about that. Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Title, Shane Chan's on, on a, a, two shows in Michigan. We'll talk about that. A big contract signing in Smoky Mountain on television. A big uh, bizarre turn in the statutory rape case against Jerry Lawler in Memphis. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll have uh, Memphis Television and Eddie Gilbert running for political office. Big uh, promotional war in the Metroplex. We'll have uh, quite a few shows from there. If all Hogan don't show up World Championship Wrestling, boy, they're going to look bad. We'll talk about that. But Super Brawl in Albany, Georgia. So we'll have news on that with Thunder Cage. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, you did a uh, guest spot on uh, Pollock and Thurston. This past week, uh, going over our Titan Gate shows, basically. So, uh, talk about that real quick. Well, not just going over our Titan Gate shows, but going over all the Titan Gate stuff as it relates to what's going on now, and also well, yeah. pointing people in the direction of our Titan Gate shows, which, uh, as usual, uh, John uh, gave glowing reviews to. Yeah, and but, we thank John and Brandon for that. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't. There wasn't that much that people who have listened to those would necessarily learn. John, I mean, wanted it to be kind of more of an introduction for people who either don't really know about the stuff from 1992 or have kind of the distorted version. So, I mean, it's there's I mean, there is something I mentioned on there that I don't think I had mentioned before um, about how like I did actually find something I could cite about how uh, Vince's limo driver did claim that. Uh, Pat Patterson was who made the suggestion about rehiring Mel Phillips in 1988 after they had fired him for suspecting what was going on. Um, not really sure what I think of that, regardless. But that was still worth checking out. You know, people want to listen to that. So that's available, I believe, on both the uh, post-wrestling and uh, WrestleNomics feeds as well as the post-wrestling YouTube channel. People want to listen to that. Right, anything else you got going on you want to talk about? I mean, I think that's it for me, but, I mean, you know, might as well segue. So, and we talked about it at the top of the show a little bit, you know. So, last week, we recorded halftime after the John Laurinaitis flipping on Vince news came out. Um, then the next day, it comes out that the feds are investigating Vince for sex trafficking, and that's what the search uh, last summer was about, and getting his phone. 
And now uh, this week we have a very obvious endeavor plant of a story in the Hollywood Reporter trying to babyface of Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro. And then later that day, Tim Marchman advice, uh, getting another scoop in the form of uh, getting more uh, corroboration, including from Johnny Ace's lawyer again, because that person seems very talkative, uh, about Ashley Massaro's allegations about the cover-up of uh, what she said had happened to her on a tour of Kuwait. And also uh, getting NCIS to confirm they investigated uh, when the story came out in full after her death. And they said they couldn't say more without a FOIA request, which I did, and I'm sure Tim and others have done. So we'll learn more, but still a lot coming out. And then in the, also same day, you know, on Wednesday, uh, Scott Moore fired from uh, TNA. Yeah. Oh, also, As, Rossi Ogawa yeah. fired from stardom a few days later. Yeah, but that's all. But that was in the works. He was working on his notice, basically. Yes, yes. Although, so, they, I mean, that, that wasn't public, a surprise. They did go public accusing him of poaching talent and stuff, though, for whatever his new thing is. Um, but yeah, I mean, where do you want to start as far as uh, what's come out in the last week or so? Well, the, the thing is, is that, um, I mean. <laughs> The Ashton Massaro thing is, you know, we knew a lot of that, but the fact that, you know, Laurinaitis has come out and confirmed that, that they, they uh, that they knew. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> of course, of course they did. You know, I'm glad, but it's on, but it's on public record now, so there's there's that. Um, Which, by the way, I mean, something that should, probably should be stressed. Now that it's clear that they knew, and that strongly implies that the rest about them trying to downplay it, and the fact that there was no investigation until 2019, I think suggests they never reported it to the military. Even if you don't believe the allegation on her part, WWE's actions here are still bad in terms of not acting and potentially trying to just outright bury it. Yeah, and but but you know the the thing is with this. That this one is different than any of the other ones that they have on there because this involves, I mean, the military. Yes. And, and the federal government. So it's, it's terrible that this happened, especially, you know, for her. But that's, that, uh, that's a fight right there. I mean, I don't, it's weird. It's a weird deal. How do you, how do you fight that one? You on know what? Whose part? On WWE's part against the government. You know, I mean, that's kind of a. I mean, how do you do that? Well, also, like, we'll get. Who knows what we'll get in those FOIA responses? Like, you know, it's over a decade later. She's deceased by the time of the investigation. Who knows exactly what they'd find, but also the investigation lasted like six months too, until they I closed mean, it. So we, I mean, yeah, I, don't I know mean, what that, we're gonna find out. That that's the thing. I mean, I, that I, I think no matter what they would have done, it would have been a losing battle because the government then wouldn't would have squashed it. Like they, I mean, they just would have squashed the whole thing. You know? I don't know. I mean, either way, I mean, there's gonna be more to come because. 
I mean, they pointed to a specific investigation, so that makes filing a FOIA request a lot easier. And, you know, if they choose to try to fight you on it, be like, hey, no, you admitted this exists. And told yeah. people to I mean, they outright told Marchman to, you know, for more information, file a FOIA request. So, like, they're inviting it to be done. So we're going to learn more, I think. I think the big question coming out of that will be, like, I feel like if there was a prosecution, we would know. Unless it was bundled into, like, some serial rapist, but it would not be the most surprising thing in the world. But, um, I think the big thing we're gonna probably going to learn is whatever stuff they got from WWE and who they interviewed from WWE. Yeah, it's just, it was just a terrible situation altogether. Yes. Terrible. And, uh, Laurenitis is clearly scared shitless of going to prison and trying to make it clear that he's <laughs> well he's gonna trouble, go right uh, well i mean if, i mean yeah but i mean yeah he's scared but i don't know i mean who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen in all this i mean we just don't know it, it's it, it's it's crazy because i mean this is bigger than just janelle grant because if it's federal sex trafficking charges like I said, I mean that's a whole nother can can of worms right there. So it's all about how far they're going to go in that direction of regarding jail time. Well, also, you know, the investigation. We don't know what district. It's in New York. It's not uh, Connecticut. Yeah. So are they looking back to the Ring Boy stuff? Is, are they centering the Rita Chatterton thing on it? Like. Like where, where, where is this going? That it's in one of the New York, you know, federal prosecutors' offices. Yeah, so as I said, who we we don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say anything right now regarding that. Now, what what we do know is that this, you know, since we've last recorded, we had the whole thing where SmackDown happened, where Rock came out and with Cody saying he wasn't going to wrestle Roman at WrestleMania. The whole backlash from that, which as Dave Meltzer was intentional, according to Dave, yeah. Dave Meltzer saying it's intentional and has worked. <laughs> I mean, we're recording this before they're having their big Las Vegas uh, shindig about an hour uh, before. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they have completely shifted the focus away from a lot of people from the Vince stuff to this for now though, because there's going to be more and it's going to be going but on see for that, a while. But that's their plan though. I mean, Oh, that's I'm, I'm plan. sure it is part of it. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and Rob being at mania. I mean, what do you think is going to be the main focus of your mainstream media on that? It's going to be Dwayne Johnson at WrestleMania. It's, it's just, it's that it's that look at that shiny rock over there. Look at this shiny Dwayne Johnson's head. Distracting you away from the outside stuff. You know, I mean, this is exactly the play that they're going with, and it's working. And <laughs> it's like I saw I saw people on Twitter and and rightfully so saying, just imagine if the fans had this type of vitriol towards the Vince thing as they did for Cody being quote unquote screwed out of the main event at WrestleMania. Because it was something else, man. I mean, was it Dave LaGreca supposed to have a rally 
on Saturday in New York he or something like that? He had a pre-planned event that he jokingly said would, was going to be a Cody rally now. Yeah, I mean, it's something else. So, like I said, we're going to see how that goes because we don't know as we record this of what the Mania match is going to be now. But it's just insane how all that stuff shifted, you know, in the last few days with Rock coming back and everything. Obviously, Rock's going to do something at WrestleMania. It's just we don't know how I mean, it's all going to play match, out. And he's going to have a match with Roman Reigns. The question is if it's a three-way, if they have Reigns wrestle both nights, whatever. Um, I, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, there's Dave, Dave and Brian, I think, have both said that no, there's, there's not going to be a three-way. And Roma's not wrestling both nights. So what the hell is it going to be? You know, I, who knows? But unless Roman, I don't know. We'll find out. So there's that. Um, Scott Damore being fired from TNA. Um, I mean, who that knows is a, right now? <laughs> that That is a, a crazy story. Um, I know the TNA talent was extremely upset about that both past and present. Um, Think about how many like Scott Demore loyalists are on that roster, you know, like even not taking into account what he's done for them, like in his time running the company, you know, like people who he has ties going back years with on Indies and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, he obviously had an effect on a lot of people. Cause I said, I mean, like, uh, Naomi Trinity Fatu, she tweeted out how important Scott was to to her in the last year, you know, and being there. I mean, he definitely has a lot of people on his side. So, and he tried to buy TNA from Anthem, and they turned it down. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I'm not sure I buy that, especially since it was backed by a letter from a oh, what was that? What was the adjective of Mike Johnson used? Something bank, a reputable or a well-known bank or something. It's just banking like, institution? I just got, I got Oluwole Emmy vibes from it. Well, I mean, yeah, probably, but... Let me find the is, wording real quick. It is something This is going on. Old, our old friend Leonard Asper making this decision. Yeah. Oh, uh, an offer, quote, backed by a letter with a major banking institution. Yeah, there you go. So, TNA, and, I mean, they Anthem instituted the guy, uh, Anthony Caccioni, who's not, uh, I guess, not Ken the Madonna. It was, to, the, uh, was and is the head of the entertainment division in the various networks, so was previously John Pollock and Wei Ting's boss at the Fight Network. Yeah. Yeah. So, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with TNA? I mean, I saw... The report today, this, as we record this, that they're going to uh, try to have their April pay-per-view in a major venue, and it's rumored to be the Palms in Las Vegas. So, Well, they just ran the Pearl at the Palms. Well, I'm just saying that's what the rumor is. Again, I don't know. I mean, we but should anyway. also say, as far as like the idea of a sale, I, just, I don't buy that he would think the company even was for sale, because the whole point of them running the company was that they have programming for the fight network and stuff and that it's in house. Uh, I mean, my first thing when I saw this was they were pissed off at how cl- close they were getting with WWE. He was getting with WWE Demore. So, I mean, well, who knows? There's other things too in the background, but who knows? Um, 
And who knows where Scott DeBoer's going to end up? You know, WWE might might hire him up. Well, what I was you know, about it, to say is, if he comes out of this smelling good enough, suddenly someone who would be qualified on paper, theoretically, to endeavor to take over for Paul Levesque is uh, in play. Well, it, the more and more as we go along, the less and less I think Paul Levesque's going to lose his job. So we'll see. Supposedly, suppose. Right Supposedly, Nick Khan is, you know, he, he's gotten tight enough with Paul Levesque that I'll, I think you'll be safe. Depends on what else happens, but yes. But anyway, let's let's go record some Patreon stuff and uh, on here. Well, I'm not done yet. Oh, yeah. I thought you were. Okay. <laughs> all Elite Wrestling, we can't forget them and all this. Um, big business on March 13th at the TD Garden in Boston. Of course, uh, Mercedes Monet will definitely be on that show. Um, Katsuki Okada is uh, also being rumored to make his debut on the well, show. I mean, the, the, the graphic spelled Boston with two S's. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, it's yeah. a def. Well, I mean, like Sean Rossap says, she's been on the payroll for a while now. So this is no no surprise. Although it is interesting that he didn't announce it on the show, which, I mean, if everybody knows it. You know, basically online. I understand why you wouldn't do it. It worked well with the punk thing. I mean, the thing though is punk is so much more connected with Chicago than Mercedes is with Boston. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is you know, the real key in all this is live attendance for that show. I think will, will be good because of you know, probably her fan base will come out and sh- and support her. Like you know. If, do fly-ins and stuff. But it's going to be interesting to see what the TV ratings does because they just had a pretty stacked episode of Dynamite this uh, past Wednesday as we record this with pay-per-view matches. You know, Hangman, Swerve 3, Jericho Takashita. You had BCC, CMLL. You had Sting and Darby against uh, Starks and Big Bill. Big, you know, pretty important matches on the show. And the rating did pretty much exactly the same as it normally does, give or take. So they did a much better house than they've been doing though. In Phoenix. Um, I mean, yeah, but I mean, they did well over 5,000 fans in Phoenix, which you know, 50, down 50, from down from 7,000 the year before. <laughs> right. But given everything going on lately, it seemed like a good sign. And also did we get a final count for, uh, from Edinburgh, Texas after with the walkups and everything? It, it was over 2000. No, they got over three even before the shows, even before the final walkups, if I remember right. Uh, I don't know if it was three. Um, but uh, that I mean, show was very brightly lit, so I'm pretty sure they had over three thousand people there. I'm I'm checking now, but the um, I mean, we'll see, we'll see the the. the <laughs> It's 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 interesting to watch watch how they do because I mean they've had a hell of a run you know with with with, with television shows really really good television shows as far as in ring wrestling and stuff but it's just not moving the needle and well, I don't I don't know doing fine well how much of that was MJF I mean he wasn't he, there were a few pay per views where he wasn't exactly used prominently though. I'm talking when about the last expand the paper use. I, uh, mean, I ended, mean in general. I don't mean just they ended the up doing thirty one or thirty one hundred. That's the so last number WrestleTix had. 
31-39. For Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, Cedar Park on the 14th is right now 23-21. But, uh, it's, it's, Apparently, they're very happy with Kosha Irby already, though, so make of that what you'd like. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how they go, because adding Mercedes, you know, it's, she, it's a big name. Big if name with po- very, like, passionate fans, and also to a TV product, whatever you want to say about New Japan, it's not a TV product. So I can see why she'd make potentially a bigger dent in AEW than she did for New Japan. Yeah. So, we'll see. Their business is just weird. <laughs> Their business metrics is very weird. But um, Oh, for knows? what it's worth, the, so the Ed- Edinburgh number was not like a final count, I don't think. I, th- I don't think WrestleChicks ever did a final count that would have included the walk-up. So, like, the reason I say that, it's a Mexican border show, you know, where they're promoting, you know, name luchadors fairly heavily. Lucha crowds are walk-up crowds. I... I would be shocked if it stopped at that 3,200. Well, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, their business metrics is weird right now, but they got uh, really strong wrestling. So there you go. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's uh, go to Canada now. The Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling. Where Johnny Smith from England, the All Japan wrestler Bill is the brother of Davy Boy Smith, actually no relation, returned to Calgary for Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling on February 10th in a main event where he beat Rick Titan, Big Titan Rick Bodner by disqualification. There's a lot of talk that Lance Storm, Chris Jericho, and even veterans like Keith Hart and Leo Burt may be heading there for this group, which they probably did some shots for I mean, him. Storm and Jericho definitely do. Yeah. Uh, so Is that the same they, group where Sasuke showed up, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, not in Calgary. I don't think he worked Calgary. Oh, no, it was Winnipeg. It was Winnipeg, I think. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that, yeah. that was Ult- Ultimo against Jericho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I thought they brought Sasuke in. A, I could have sworn they brought Sasuke in at one point, too. I don't he may have. So. Who knows? But we, uh, they ran the Victoria Community Club in Calgary <laughs> on February the 10th. Where we have tag title match where Steve Wilde and Bart Steiger beat Steve Gillespie and Eric Freeze to win the championship. And then Steve Rivers won the mid-heavyweight title over Super Congo. Jason Helton over Fernando Valentino. Mike Anthony, Mike over Champagne Jerry Morrow by disqualification. And Johnny Smith over Rick Titan by disqualification. Yes, that's future Taz ECW shoot fight opponent, Jason Helton. <laughs> yes. Now let's go to Mexico, AAA, where there were no shows for our week, but uh, El Satanico, who's in the lead program in CMLL, sent feelers out about returning here. But there's still some bitterness over him walking out of a hair versus hair program with Pedro Aguayo last year, so it isn't going to happen right now. Especially since the timing of him apparently wanting to jump coincides with what most feels an upcoming hair versus hair match in CMLL with Hector Garza that he most likely be losing. They were putting a rocket on Garza's back at that point. And Satanico is... Uh, He's trying to pull a, a play here like he did with, with Triple A. It's interesting to see, but he stays and does the, does the, the favor for Garza. The Triple A run for him was weird. It's like a very random, like, what is he doing there? He He's not the only one. He, there's oh, other guys, you know, like. Oh, uh, I know, I know. Absolutely. I'm just saying. Petoff seemed like, huh? Yeah, Petoff and Triple A seemed weird. 
But Pierre's yeah. had a long run with them too, though. I know, but just still, as always, you just think of him as a CM Punk guy, though. And he was also there when they were hot too. Yeah. Well, Osatanka was too, you know. True. But you, no, you just think of it, you just think of you know, Padoff as more of a similar guy because that's where all this big stuff happened. But, but yes, Osatanka was there. Yeah, they. Everybody he the, wins. He had, the, he had the great walkout with all the uh, the the, uh, the clansmen, I think, or the uh, just in the red hoods with the torches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of them went except for Casas. <clears throat> He was like the only top guy that that never went until just Last recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And how big a shock was that? It's insane because you never thought it would happen, but it did. Right. The it, the rest of the family went, so you would think he would have gone before then, but he just never did. Yeah. Never did. And then he finally never did. did. Yeah, he was there, Felino. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so- of course, Tropicasus. Satanico just didn't fit in AAA for the most part. He he did have that one really good match with Liz Mark, but otherwise, yeah, didn't that one in uh, Aca- no. that was one in Acapulco. Yeah, and that's another guy who you just don't think of him being in AAA. Liz Mark Senior. So, but at the same time, when they started, a bunch of guys jumped over. So I, uh, I know, there. yeah, yeah. You know, the Dinamitas were in big matches, so you you know you remember them, you know, being around and being big players, but. You know, still, it's just it's, it's something to look back at all that. All right, let's go to CMLL. A magazine article on Super Porky Prata de Plata, five foot four, three hundred plus, says that his last physical he weighed more now than ever before, although no figure was given. And the doctor told Porky that he was overdosing on vitamin T, tacos, tamales, and tostadas. <laughs> Do we think this was a what real was line? Was Dean's line? He's a, he's a sexual he's a sexual bowling ball. <laughs> was Dr. Wagner the one that was uh, giving out this uh, prognosis to <laughs> in his office? <laughs> but, oh yeah, Dr. Wagner, I mean, Dr. Wagner, super porky, you know, what, what a, another legend. I mean, he's another guy that just reviews of his stuff you and other people would do. It's just so <laughs> great because he was just, he was so unique and Oh, I, I, I love Brazos, Super Porky. The whole there. team was great. They were they were unique because they were they were they could they were big crazy heels, but they they could flip the switch. They could be all wacky and adorable and funny. They were very versatile that way. And and Porky, even a couple of years later, he was still just as almost as much weight. He had that awesome match with the um, Universal for the title for the CML yeah. title that main yeah. event wrestling. Yeah, I, think I that mean, was in like ninety seven or ninety eight. Yeah, he could still he could still work at a great level. Then you know, as as time wore on, he you know decided to do more a shtick style and stuff. But I mean, and, and then he, and then he did MMA of all things, and he dropped like a crazy amount of weight. He got into shape for this one match. Yeah, in a deep. weirdly seriously. Yeah, I mean, like he had to lose at least a hundred pounds just to do like what one match. Yes, but still, still one to. He was involved in two of the greatest skits ever, in my in my opinion. <laughs> one was the one where uh, him and his brothers are in bed dreaming. With their little and, hats? Yeah, the little hats on it. But Pete, what was Porky <laughs> dreaming of? What? What was Porky dreaming of, Pete? Uh, no, he – well, actually, it was it was him. Well, first off, it's uh, uh, um, Brazo de Oro. He's the, he's the businessman. He's taking calls. And, and then you got El Brazo playing. He's, doing, he's a big rock star. And then you got Porky. He's he's getting beat up by both of them. 
doesn't he also dream of like a sandwich or something in there too? I think we. I think you know what I think. I think someone else. That might have been Rob Bahari saying that, and I think we just we just. Well, went that's. With it. Well, that's the second skit though. The second oh. one is with him at Super Astros shop at the, at the sandwich shop. <laughs> with, with the first time that the torta made its debut. Super on there. Torta. <laughs> the super torta. It's uh, the monst- super torta, the sandwich that the headhunters couldn't finish. <laughs> this monstrous sandwich <laughs> just takes up almost the whole table. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's like the Tasmanian Devil cartoon where he's got the salad with like the squirrels and the rodents in it. <laughs> oh, and, and, and his son is looking at I think his, uh, his son is like, are you seriously going to eat this? <laughs> Which would be Psycho Clown. So, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, because he was working as Brazo Junior at that time under the right. mask, yeah. Brazo Junior or Chrono? He was Brazo Junior, yeah. Brazo Junior, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. It's, God love Super Porky. It's uh, a true highlight. You got y'all. Y'all need to. You have to look up the sandwich and just be amazed. <laughs> Everything that went into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. Let's see. If I look up Super Astro Super, super Astro Torta. Torta. Yes. Um, oh, that photo! Look at this. You have to look at that photo of him. <laughs> yeah. Google Arts and Culture. Looking at the okay. Here we go. That's um, not as big as I'm remembering it. This picture on this Google uh, travel thing. Let's see. This Google Super Astro Torta. No, I'm looking at his, it's his restaurant. The skits. The skits on YouTube, X. Oh, it is. Okay. okay. So what should I look up? I'm bringing it. In. You're sending it to me. Okay. Here we go. All right, so I got it. All right, so uh... <laughs> the look of psycho. It's a 48 seconds. So yeah, play that thing. The look of the... psycho clown's face is just fantastic. <laughs> is the other one on YouTube too, or? Um, I don't. I, it might be, but this is the one we got to watch. So wait, am I already? Sh- yeah, I am already sharing the screen. Okay. <laughs> Crossing the order, talking business. <laughs> you got a little porky with the with the with the uh, the bandages on his Super head. Super Bomba. <laughs> Thank you, anonymous hand worker who is in no way actually Super Astro. <laughs> Well, he's already unmasked by this point, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he's dancing in anticipation of the sandwich. Oro. And Oro is like, what are you doing? That's definitely Unabamba. Wait, I need to see the shot of his son again. The reaction shot. <laughs> And it's in the Brazo mask, so all that acting is basically mouth and eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, those 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 masks were made for eating with, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dancing for the sandwich. Ooh. All right, so a weird news report reminiscent of a few years ago when AP reported nationally about the death of Gordis George, who before Hulk Hogan was the most famous American pro wrestler of all time, who actually died nearly thirty years earlier. But one of his imitators, who claimed to be the original, at the original I died, then passed away. And news media around the country reported it as if he were the original, even after being informed that it wasn't even to the point of claiming the original took his name from him. That's all a parenthetical, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> it's half, happened last week in Mexico. 
In the 1960s, the most charismatic wrestler Metzko was Rio de Lusco, which is largely why his son was such a big draw a few years ago. In those days, before commissions guarded against this type of behavior, a guy by the name of Feliz Espinoza used to work small shows under the name of Rio de Jalisco before he was ordered not to. Anyway, he died last week, and it was reported meaning me, Alice, that uh, Rio de Jalisco died. But when the word in Mexico City was quickly dismissed as a fraudulent Rio that had passed away, the real Rio is living in Guadalajara and where some major AAA shows as recently as 1993. Here's, here's the thing. The lines back then and for decades, the lines of communication were so bad in Mexico that guys could get away with that. Absolutely. Like, with shit, it's still going on in the 2000s. I, like, what, like, how many times did Pierre up actually lose his mask after he dropped it to the park? I heard like he <laughs> dropped it to like two or three more guys along yeah, the way. Absolutely. That someone, happened. Someone had like five hair matches in a row. But then you had. You had the guys that would work the multiple gimmicks, like you would have the Otacon Ramirez is all over the, the country. Right. You know? I mean, it was just crazy. But my, it happened I, here, too. My, my dad actually said that. He was bringing me and Ray home from an ECW show. We were talking about Mexico and, and, and the mask. And he's like, well, you could probably have guys wearing the same gimmick in like two or three different places at once. And he really wasn't that far from the truth back then. I, my, I have a, a friend of mine, his dad... Um, was around wrestling in the 70s. He wasn't actually a pro wrestler. He was trained, and he did have a couple matches. He, would, he told me that Wrestling 2 would, if Wrestling 2 didn't feel like working one night, he would, get, he would just t- tell one of the guys, one of the undercard guys, all right, here's my mask and my ties. Go out there and be me. You know, I mean, I can see mass men doing that. You know, I mean, mass men. How about um, how about how about uh, Gary Hart's story about Magic Dragon working as Kabuki when Kabuki wasn't there? Yeah, well, he had the hair and he had the. I mean, they were similar in size. Especially yep. wrestling too. Wrestling too was you know kind of a distinct size. Yeah, but but you look at Kabuki and, he would and do Magic like the Dra- shimmy during his matches too. So I'm, yeah, I'm but, thinking if he didn't do the shimmy, people go wait a second. Yeah, but Kabuki and Dragon, I mean, they're extremely similar. So they uh-huh. can get away with that. But, yeah, I, I think, mean... I think what he said was that if if, uh, if if Gary wasn't there, it was Magic Dragon. If he was, it was Kabuki. Yeah, so... Absolutely, that shit happened back in the day, man. That, I mm-hmm. can see it. All right, the Shooter Federal Commission has now made a rule that no title match is getting in draws. In the event of a draw, as in the form of double count-out, double disqualification, or double pin, since all title matches in Mexico have no time limit, in the third fall of a title match, the match will be restarted, and they'll rest... Wrestle a fourth fall. Well, that's nice. What what triggered that? I'm tr- was there like some sort of tipping point for them? I'm sure something happened that got got them to get off their ass and do something. Who's the main <laughs> uh, retired luchador in the commission at this point? Probably um, Fant- not Fantasma. Felipe Ham Lee is involved. I'm guessing okay. at this time. Ray Mendoza. Yeah, yes. that sounds right. Yeah. Black Power and Adi Romero, who lost what little hair he had on February 9th to Silver King, who've been working as the Blues Brothers. What? Me one ta- tape. <laughs> have had a third member to their team called Black Machine, billed as being from El Salvador. Which is interesting since Triple A's using Black Santo to feud with Santo and also billing him from El Salvador. Well, that's because <laughs> Espanto Jr. is from El Salvador. <laughs> so speaking of right. uh, one art. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm picturing I'm picturing Black Warrior doing that before he was Black Warrior, before he was Black Panther, he was Black uh, Black Machine. <laughs> How awesome would that be? Artie Romero is the uh, John Belushi character in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> that, that's that's what I want to see. All right, February 9th at Pista Arena. Okay, E. Elwood. Los Hermanos Azul. Yes. Dorado 2 and King Zadao went to a draw with Capitan America and Celestial. Then we have this great. <laughs> better be the biggest heel on that show. Io <laughs> de Huracan Ramirez, Huracan Sevilla, and Nuevo Huracan Ramirez Jr. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, the Uricon gimmick was just so bastardized. Over the short the Idolos, the Idol Destroyer, uh, El Cortado and Gorgola Sultan. As a reminder, not we have Jerry Lynn. Sultan Gorgola, yeah. Yes. Not Jerry Lynn, yes. Hakevate, Luis Mariscal, and MS Uno Jr. Over Aguilar Solitario, Umbatar Garza Jr., and Miss Niebla. Niebla. Yeah. And then Silver King over Artie Romero in the hair match. And then our main event, Mil Mascaras, retained the IWA heavyweight title over Grand Marcus Jr. No yab. <laughs> Which Dave noted, uh, well, through uh, well, Cus fan noted, but it was in the Observer, that Mill weighed 108 kilograms, Grand Marcus 120 kilograms. <laughs> well, technically, Cubs wrote that he weighted uh, 108 <laughs> yes. kilograms. Um, yeah. And yeah, you got you got to be more formal, Chris. It's the IWA World Heavyweight Title. I'm sorry, Eddie yeah. Einhorn didn't <laughs> spend all that money for you not to call it a World Title. <laughs> then they had Coliseo on the tenth Friday night show for the 1,500 fans. We have Filinito over Sombrita, Damiancito Guerrero over Sombrita doing double duty. Well, it's a it's a three way deal. Then Filinito yeah. beat Damiancito Guerrero. And that's uh, Which, Virus. Virus. Virus, yes. Like a, tri- a triangular. Yes, triangular, yes. La Diabolica, Maria Danahel, and Reina Jabuki, like your over Julissa, Lady Apache, and Sahori. Then we have uh, Sico Ramirez, Olimpico, and Pantera, over Asheri Jr., Espectro Jr., and Guerrero de la Muerte. That's really good on paper. Mm-hmm. Hakamate, Quejos, and Peroff. Over Aldandi, Mascara Magica, and Rico Mendoza. And in our main event, Negro Caso, Silver King, and Vampiro Caradiense. Over Bestia Savaje, Dr. Wagner Jr., and Io de Gladiador. In a match that was rated a star three quarters. <laughs> Wonder uh, if the Silver and Doc worked each other a whole lot on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they probably uh, interacted. But, and that's, you know, one of those, they did it. They definitely went against each other in matches, so. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. it's just interesting when they when they hook up. But so, C- I CML- was say, uh, real quick, Sahori's the future Lady Luck store. Yeah, well, uh, but CMLO at this time, they have been in the dark ages, and they're they're starting to kind of get up out of that rut. And this era here, guards are being pushed. Santos coming back. Dinamitas are coming back in 95. So this is when they're starting to get their shit back together again. But, I mean, Pete, you were, you were watching this stuff on the regular, you know, this era. I mean, it was it was down times for them. For the CML, absolutely. They were about probably a little, about a year and a half from really turning the corner and going back up and, like, taking the lead again with the uh, – with Santo, with Santo Rudo – 
and Triple H kind of starting to break up with everyone with the uh, the break up with people leaving to Promel, that kind of thing. Promel yeah. Seca. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like they like they think they had one show at Arena Mix where they had five hundred people. In an eighteen thousand plus seat building, yes, five hundred yeah, people. That was that. That's brutal. Not good. Yeah, and especially when you see now they're doing like ten, twelve, fourteen thousand a week again. Yeah, they're hot again. That's the way it goes. All right. So now let's go to the Dominican Republic. First time on this show. IWA Japan promoter Vita Quinones held the show on February 12th in the Dominican Republic for an IWA tag title match featuring the Headhunters defending against Johnny Gomez. Of course, he would be in the Dominican Republic. And Chico. Wait, is Johnny not... Gomez, Joe? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Chico, obviously not Freddie Prince or Berset Solis. <laughs> Chico, don't be discouraged. <laughs> Was Jack Albertson there? <laughs> in the front row with a horn. Uh, if, if Chico uh, <laughs> if Chico hit a, a high spot this match, and he'd look at the fans and go, looking good. <laughs> dad love that fucking catchphrase. Years, years later, that show would run for 15 years, and you would still see someone dressed nice and go, looking good. Like, what year is this? <laughs> How do we know this isn't replacement Chico, though? The little kid after Freddie Prince died. <laughs> yeah. Chico, Chico, too. Yes. There used to be uh, another Chico. <laughs> in an eight-man Again, tournament. Kids, ask your parents. Get <laughs> Chico and a man, yes. And at an eight-man tournament with eight countries represented for the vacant UWA middleweight title. Most of the wrestlers were unknown, such as El Modelo from the Dominican Republic. Sexy Man from Guatemala. Oh, oh wait, Victor booked a wrestler named Sexy Man from Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he was sexy. The Lion. Was uh, uh, did was Modelo heal? Was was Modelo feuding with a guy with a with a Modelo Negro with a Modelo Negro? <laughs> Probably hope so. Oh, this is my favorite. Año 2004. So the man from 2004 from Puerto Rico and Cat Killer. No, not Kevin Von Eric from Panama. I was going to say Dr. Wagner Jr. But. <laughs> Jose Estrada, the 1970s WF jobber. Speaking, speaking na- of great sketches, speaking <laughs> of great CMLO skits. Oh, yeah, one of the all-timers. Who now lives in Puerto Rico <laughs> is being billed as the WWF American rep. For trivia buffs, sure. Estrada was the WF Junior Heavyweight Champion, lost title testing with Fujinami late 70s, went to Japan with the title, and along with Satoru Sayama made Junior Heavyweight Wrestling to the big deal. While Takashi Akano represented Japan and El Tejano represented Mexico. All right, so they went to Santo Domingo. What is happening? Here? <laughs> All right, so we have we had the tournament here, Santo Domingo, where we have Takashi Akano over Eclipse, El Leon over Cat Killer, El Tejano over Tony Cruz, Jose Estrada over El Olimpico. There was quarterfinal matches, then semifinals, El Tejano over Jose Estrada. Takashi Akano over El Leon, and then El Tejano defeated Takashi Akano to win that title. And then our main event, the Headhunters 183 way for that world tag titles, beating Johnny Joe Gomez and El Chico de Cristo Rey. One three way, it was just a regular tag match. So the there you Chico go. Chico of Christ the King? What? <laughs> he was Christ the King's Chico. Well, what is the direct <laughs> translation of the word Chico? El Chico de Cristo Rey. No, but what is the direct <laughs> translation of the word Chico? We're tra- we're translating it directly. 
Let me see what El Chico de Cristo Rey is. That is a boy, boy, of Christ, just boy. Boy, boy of Christ the King. So Jesus' son. I'm not sure I want to know how Jesus' kid ended up. Someone's got delusions for, uh, of grandeur. Yeah. <laughs> what a... So, okay, just for some context. So even though, like, IWA Japan is Victor's main thing at the time, although it's not it's not his promotion per se, it's Mr. Asano's promotion. In 94, he did shoot the original IWA Puerto Rico pilots. So he is trying to get something going in uh, in the Caribbean at this time. You know, on his own, away from Double Double C. And I know there's video of that somewhere. I think the Savoldis have video, so hopefully that'll show up on uh, Ultimate Classic <coughs> Wrestling Network at some point. <laughs> Imagine if this of all shows in the Savoldi collection. Say that again. <clears throat> Say that I can again. only imagine. I'm talking over you. Sorry. What were you saying, Pete? Nothing. Nothing. All good. Uh, so yeah, what a crazy, crazy-looking show. <laughs> good lord. Well, Pete, you gotta go, man. I'm sorry you can't do the rest of the show with us, but uh, it's great to have you back on. It was uh, it was good. Hopefully, it won't be another eight years before I come back on. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to find something that's uh, that's up your alleyway to. Uh, this is, do a, no, this was this was great. It was fun talking. About this. I wasn't expecting you to like do my whole thing word for word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was memorable to me. That's one. That's a thing for me. It's still memorable. It's a fucking fantastic angle. That whole show. Absolutely. So, yeah, everybody go check that out. Find a way to get it. New because I think the TV aired on March the fourth, ninety five. So it'd be March fourth. Yeah, it was. It was at three. Yeah, March fourth. Yeah, March fourth, ninety five. World Pro Wrestling for New Japan. All right. Well, me and Bix will be right back. All right. Well, let's get back to the U.S. Now we start with Jim Crockett. Supposedly Jim Crockett, who wants nothing to do with the current NWA. Failed to pay his organizational dues, so the current NWA wants him to stop billing his Texas shows as NWA. We were told that they've even sent him a cease and desist order. Wait a sec. How much longer does he run? Uh, not, mu- not very much longer at all. And then whoever runs CWA or CWF or whatever it was takes over? I guess so. I thought it was a little later than this. Okay, I'm pulling up ProWrestlingHistory.com. They have results through May. And I don't but, think it's ever not billed as the NWA. Yeah. Well, obviously he went against the cease and desist order. <laughs> or, he, or he ended up paying his dues. Or maybe, yeah. So the last show at the Sportatorium is April 25th. So yeah, we're almost three months from the end. And then there were a couple spot yeah. shows after. So, presumably, this gets resolved. I don't know how far ahead you win the Observer to check. but Oh, not for this story. I wasn't looking for all that. <laughs> so. Anyway, well, now let's go to Jim Crockett's dear friends at ECW. Sandman's going to be kept off shows until early March because he's still shaking up from the concussion he suffered on February 4th. Although he's doing okay. Public Enemy is also being kept off till March the 3rd to sell the egg where Chris Benoit powerbomb Sabu onto Rock Rock and threw the table in the same show to heat up a grudge for the upcoming Philadelphia shows. Now, the Chris Wild snow match from February 4th on television this past week, and they aired still footage of the Public Enemy Sabu Tasmaniac match, but showing the view of the powerbomb through the table 
by Benoit. They concluded with a lengthy Benoit interview, which was 400% improved over anything he's ever done before. Although he's still not where he needs to be on interviews, if they want him to be a drawing card or stand out in the promotion, which has some of the best interviews around. This is where Benoit, right here, you know, when him and Dean hook up and then we get there with Shane, they form the triple threat. This is when Benoit really starts to stand out and looks like a guy who could be a star here in this country. Yes. And Heyman did a terrific job producing those promos for him. Yes, absolutely. Um, do we want to play this? I mean, I'm pulling tra- This would be what the 14th episode or would this be the seventh? The seventh. Okay. People are starting to talk. I don't like what they're saying. They're saying that you're some type of tough guy. They're saying that the crippler is unable to get the job done. Well, Sabu, the only reason you're back. And just so people get the idea, uh, because they can't see it, throughout the promo, at varying levels of uh, opacity, Benoit rubbing his hands together like Stu Hart is superimposed over his face. Yes. Or next to his face, I should say. Yeah. In the black void he is standing in. Yeah. Because I want you back. The only reason you're here is because I let you come back. Sabu, on any given night, I could take you out and end your career permanently. Because life is about pain. Life is about humility. And I could see that your tag team partner, the Tasmaniac, is yet to learn the finer lessons in life. Well, Sabu and Tasmaniac, the day will come when both of you will learn what pain is all about. Both of you will learn what humility is all about. And after that first lesson of pain will come the lesson of humility. And that will be the crowning of the new tag team champions here in the ECW. The shooter, Dean Malenko. And the crippler, Chris Benoit. Yeah, it's very well done. I think maybe... Paul does not get enough credit for how good he is at coaching people on promos. That is the one thing where I think he's probably underrated and it should be talked about a lot more. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's, like, it's yeah. not like he's having Chris Benoit memorize dialogue. Like, I'm sure he gave him some lines, but look at what he was able to get out of him here. Yeah. You know, look at other people who he was able to get so much out of. And, you know, occasionally, like in WWE documentaries, we've seen, like, the clips of him prepping people before promos and how good he is in that setting. And... You know, like, I don't know how much of this was him, but uh, when Tony Atlas turns heel for Savoldi, and all of a sudden is this great promo, that's when Heyman's booking and coaching the promos. Yeah, I mean, it's a gift he had, absolutely. I mean, that's what he originally went to OVW for, right? Yeah. 
when Cornette was still running it. Yeah. So it's like it's it's I wish that was what he was doing day to day, but it's not. But yeah, Bivon definitely needed you know stuff like this to get him to that next level. Because I mean, you can only get by with some on so much with work. You got to have more than that. What giving him that crippler gimmick, even if it got shifted and toned down in WCW, did though was it harnessed the biggest strength of his to make him a potentially a main event style or a main event wrestler, which was his intensity. Yeah. Heyman wanted to air a tape of Sabu and Tasmaniac from the February 12th Cork and Hall show, the Isisian Gun show, against Kengo Kamara and Kunio Kobayashi as an ECW tag title defense in Japan. However, since Booker Shiro Koshinaka decided Sabu and Taz were going down, the match almost surely won't air on ECW. Wait, so Shiro that... Koshinaka is actually the booker of those tours? Of the Ice Gun shows, yes. Interesting. Now, Torch talks about ECW has a hardcore following in Tokyo because each of their ECW arena events gets major coverage in weekly pro wrestling in Japan. As a result, Wing in Japan has been interested for several months in booking top ECW names on their cards. Jason the Terrible was accompanied by Wing promoter Miki Ibaragi to make a deal. Ibaragi advertised ECW names in advance before they finalized an agreement, which has created tension. ECW's goal was to get matches with their champions winning in Japan and air them on TV in the U.S. As a deadline, the deal is up in the air. Well, they go on uh, I think the Mars tour. They have uh, ECW people on the wing tour. I believe so. I think it's Public Enemy. Uh, Sandman? Sandman, maybe Jason. Um, trying to think who else was on that. Let's see. Yeah, Wing. Okay, so here we go. I. Right. So yeah, it was March, the March tour. So you got um, Sandman and Jason, Public Enemy, and the Pitbulls. Hmm. So there you go. Yes, on the Wing uh, Resurrection tour. Yes. Oh, what a match! Uh, on the next tour in May, that is the ECW guys. The Public Enemy and the Sandman defeated Mr. Diablo and the Pitbulls. Yeah. So so they go. How about that? They that they, they go on you know back to back tours, and it's not a different set of guys. That's interesting. All Star Wrestling. We're gonna show watch the North Carolina on February tenth. We have Mike Justice over James Ivy, Kamala Two over Jungle Jim Steele. Rob Van Dam over Gorgeous Doors the Third, and Cactus Jack over Super Vader, played by big, Walter McDonald. Is that Big Slam, Walter McDonald? I guess, but he's Super Vader here, which is something because that's Vader's name in Japan. Okay, yes, Walt. Yes, Walt McDonald is uh, Big Slam Vader. So how about him going by Vader's UWFI name? Yeah, that's a bit uh, a bit sketchy. Also, Working I didn't fo- realize this. Foley. Big Slam Vader was also Crybaby Waldo. That's right. So that's that also interesting because right. I thought he was a New Jersey guy, so I'm curious how he ended up in uh, North Carolina. Just moved down south. Or I wonder if they wanted a fake Vader specifically to put Cactus against. Yeah, probably, maybe. All right, National Championship Wrestling, NCW, ran a show in Cornelia, Georgia on February 11th for 350 fans. Well, if it's 350 people, it's not at the future NCW or slash Wildside Arena or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, probably so. Well, you never know. 
right, Jason Ultima over Rick Michaels. Terry Slater over T.C. Carter. Max Miles over Randy Mulkey. Loverboy Lee Thomas over Sam McGraw. Bambi over Peggy Lee Leather. Oh, shocking. <laughs> well, we know what happened after the show. Uh, the Hard Riders over the Georgia Express. And Wahoo McDaniel over Tully Blanchard in your main event. Now, do you remember who uh, Sunset Sam McGraw is? Uh, Bull Buchanan. Yes. Yep. So uh, there you go. Father of, uh, what's his kid's NXT name again? Uh, Brooks Jensen. Yes. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Only two house shows this past week. February 10th in Lake City, Tennessee. And February 11th in Morristown, Tennessee. Where the Gangsters versus Scott Armstrong and Tracy Smothers as a new Southern Boys. Managed by Jim Cornette where, was the headline. And they drew, two, drew 200 and 450 respectively. Now, Morristown on the 11th. We had a loser eat dog food match where Boo Bradley beat Chris Candido. Robert Gibson over the Unibomb by disqualification. But then they over the Dirty White Boy. And the gangsters went to a double DQ with the new Southern Boys. I know it's not a big building, but Morristown's your home base. Tally Board High School. Do you really want to just be giving them a four-match spot show card? Well, I mean, Smokey at this time... But their depth really t- was taking a hit. Granted, there are other people there that you could at least beef up the card with, on, right? I mean, at least it's all names, but... Well, like... Ricky Morton's not working. Unibom was team Eddie Gilbert, which he was in Puerto Rico, sadly, about to die. Um, we got the gangsters. Heavenly Bodies are working for WWF. Um, there's not a whole lot here at this time, Bex. Yeah, I guess so. Well, as I scroll down, I see Bobby Blaze isn't even around technically at this point. And Al Snow is about to come in. He'll start on the road on February 23rd. So there's that. Um, so. You know that Gangsters in an interview talking about how they aren't the, like Junkyard Dog and Tuco Scorpio. That wasn't a hint that either of the two are going to come in a few of them as there are no plans whatsoever of that. Well, I'm sure there wasn't. That means you have to pay him. <laughs> <laughs> At this side, this is the time where Smoky Mountain starts to uh, get a little tight on the funds. So, yeah. The, the latest Jim Cornette controversy involves pro wrestling torch columnist Bruce Mitchell. Okay, now I have to ask you a question before we get into this. This is only mentioned in the tour, in the Observer, right? That, that is correct. Okay. Back in August, Mitchell wrote a both biting and satirical column basically critical of Cornette's gangsters gimmick, which Cornette was up in the arms about for numerous reasons, one of which was because his girlfriend's name was mentioned in the column. This resulted in a series of threatening phone calls to both Mitchell and editor Wade Keller, saying what he'd do if he ever saw either of them. Some months later, as is well known, Cornette took a baseball bat to the windows of the car of former employee Casey O'Connor, who is Mitchell's longtime friend, over a different reason. Largely because O'Connor wouldn't return Cornette's personal video camera, claiming Smoky Mountain owed him expense money, which he when he previously worked there. Anyway, on February the sixth, when Smoky Mountain did TV in Lenore, North Carolina, both Mitchell and O'Connor, who Cornette set out of court with, and O'Connor then dropped vandalism charges against him, attended. Cornette didn't realize it during the show, as nobody told him, figuring doing television is stressful enough without adding anything to it. 
Cornette found out after the show, which resulted in yet another threatening phone call to Mitchell, telling him to never come back to his shows or he'd fight him right then and there. Dave's still pretty sure the most damaging thing to Cornette isn't anything ever written about him, but every time he appears on television, managing Mantar, particularly right now because it creates confusion in his own territory when he's managing the baby faces and Smoky Mountain and the heels in WWF. That's a bit of a weird sidestep at the end. <laughs> Thoughts? What is there to say? I, mean, I don't think he denies any of this, does he? Well, no, of course not. It's because it's Jimmy. And we talked about this before, about the, this drama here with with these parties involved. Yeah. But, I mean... I just don't want to say anything that'll get taken out of context. But... I mean, I, I mean the thing is, is... Well, okay. Him being upset that Bruce attended his shows. His show. Yes. I mean, at this point in time, wouldn't you be wanting to have anybody that was willing to pay to come to your shows? Uh, how much did they charge for the TV tapings? Were they charging? Oh, shit, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they were charging. Had to. But... This is just all silly. Silliness. It is. Um, Bruce, for his part, insists that the reference to Jim's girlfriend at the time, who... It wasn't Stacy, right? It was whoever was before Stacy, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He insists that he talked to both her and Pam Lawson in the office, whose name was also mentioned, and got their permission. That is Bruce's side of this. Um, And it wasn't just that their names were mentioned, as I'm trying to see if I can pull up the actual column. Um, Oh, I opened August 95 by mistake. That's why I can't find it. Um, It was in the whole satirical thing about, it was about how far can the gangsters gimmick go? And one of it was having the two women on chains with dog collars as their hoes. Yeah. Which, obviously, the point Bruce is trying to make is that that, something like that would be weird and fucked up and racist and stuff. But, but again, he says he talked to both of them about it and got their permission. It's the uh, Onward Cornet Soldiers column, right? I think so. I'm trying to see if I can find the specific uh, section. Okay, here's, here's where the gangsters come up. So he's talking about how Smokey's not doing great. Um, talking about the bait and switch stuff. You know, because this is coming off of the Ricky Morton hair thing. In other words, things aren't so hot for the Louisville lip in his promotion. Time to call in the big guns. Time to call in the big guns to take the kind of innovative chances that only a booking genius can conceive. Time to play, as Robert Shapiro puts it, the race card. Time to debut the gangsters. At least it's something that can draw heat since it is the most divisive issue our country faces. His core audience is probably more concerned about this than they are about, say, ninjas. It's been a couple of weeks since these guys debuted on TV, and except for some knee-jerk references to OJ, MLK, and Louis Farrakhan, and a couple of phone calls from the NAACP, New Jack has been just another guy with marbles in his mouth. That doesn't come off great, Bruce. (laughs) Especially since that's not how New Jack's promos come off. Who calls the SMW fans rednecks and hillbillies. Yawn, how original. Cornette seems to be approaching this gimmick with kid gloves. It might be that he is 
sort of a candy ass when it comes to this stuff, but it may just be he he has nobody to ask for ideas. Um, so then he he moves towards you know the various. Oh wait, actually no, I shouldn't skip this part because he's setting up something. Okay, so he's okay. So let me put it this way: the most memorable thing about my first Smoky Mountain House show eighteen months ago in Johnson City was not the wrestling. The odd feeling I got about half hour into the show, a feeling I couldn't put my finger on at first. Then it hit me. Unlike every other ball game, concert bar, bowling alley, school mall, or you name it, I've been to in the past two decades, this place was missing something. As one of my Smoky Mountain relatives might put it, won't know black folks there. Not one. Not a wrestler. A ref. Fan. Worker. Security guard. Frankly, it was a bit creepy. And gee whiz, come to find out that, with one exception, Smokey had no ba black employees. With the exception of Mark Kyle, who is so, uh, uh this is not a thing he should have been writing at the time, who's so, uh, quote-unquote, high yella that everyone else forgets from time to time, no one in the front office, talent pool, concessions, or ring crew is an African-American. Of course, I'm sure that fact is just a coincidence, you know? And so he goes into that a little bit more, talks about what the gangsters have been doing on TV... And then I'm trying to find the thing about the the hose and whatever. But, I mean, you get the idea of the tone of where this is going. Regardless. Uh, honestly, I, I kind of get the feeling it was some of the other comments that bothered him more. <laughs> Maybe. Um, affirmative action of the whole thing about, oh, why not have them uh, claim affirmative action that they should win on two counts and that whole thing. Uh, we have a Ghetto Boys reference. Uh, oh, this is probably on the list. Oh, oh, it's the, oh, it does the torch thing where you have to double back a few pages to uh, finish the column. Uh, oh no, was it hose or was it bitch? Oh, here we go. Bring out the bees, the gangsters who refuse to be interviewed anymore by white men, forcing Smokey to hire Corey Macklin or out at the desk for an interview. This is one of Bruce's satirical. Oh, what if they did this? Ideas. Uh, Mustafa, yo, Holmes, we got a little something for you, NJ. Bring out the, parenthesis, women. New Jack comes out with a leash that carries three white women in collars. I figure SMW could get super fan Heather Norton, that's Jim's girlfriend at the time, her mother and front office employee Pam Lawson to play the roles for a minimal price. Mustafa, <laughs> so, ho, what were you telling me in the back? Ho, Heather. Okay, I have not read this whole thing in a while. I'm curious exactly what permission uh, Bruce got from Heather, if he's telling the truth about that. Because knowing that she's Jim's girlfriend, this is a bit much. Because it says, ho, parenthesis, Heather, shyly, I want what my white man can't give me. <laughs> Mustafa, I got what you want. At which point he pimp slaps her to the ground. Repeat this scenario as necessary. Oh my goodness. I mean, this even is, if... <laughs> this is not good. It's not good. The, I he's fan, he's fan, this is his fantasy booking and... Well, it's not, it's not serious fantasy booking. It's meant to make a point about the gimmick, but... Uh, yeah, but he's made, it's yeah, still too well, far. It's still too far on various different levels. Yes. He's... He, <sighs> He's he's trying to make a point on a gimmick, but he's doing stuff that the gimmick wouldn't even trying to do. Yeah, and also, I mean, he's he's going to a whole nother direction here that they were not doing. 
That's the thing. They they never brought that type of thing in there about white women and none of this other stuff. It was never about that. I mean, the, 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 what's, this, new, what's one the, of New Jack's first promos? He congratulates OJ for killing Ron and Nicole. I mean, this is this is like it's Bruce projecting his feelings towards what's going on in the world at this time with with black guys and white girls. Where at, the, at, the, at this point in time in the mid nineties, it's becoming more of an in thing. You know, the happen, you know, especially in schools. Um, you know, I was in high school at this time, and there's a lot of, I mean, I'll say a lot, but quite a few white girls that were going with black guys to rebel against their parents. And then even getting knocked up in the process, uh, which really, I mean, that was, that, that was something, man. I mean, I know one girl, one girl, um, her grand, her granddad and her uncle, beat the shit out of this black dude for for knocking her up beat the shit out of him he comes to school the next day all fucked up and uh we're like damn what happened to you and he told us what happened like damn you need to call the cops he's like no nah, i don't want to start no shit and because she begged him don't call the police but i mean it's just it's stuff like that that was going on back then and there was a lot of white guys that were not happy about that. And this, I mean, I don't know if this is exactly the case, but it sounds like some type of projection to me. I, I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's, I think it's Bruce is just going way too far with this shit. Like I'm reading the next idea after this. It's that they trick a brain damaged Terry Gordy into thinking they're relatives of the free birds. And he becomes their maid wearing blackface. It's just this does not age well. It's just it's just uh. And I mean then there's also the context decades later of how Bruce's later attempts at racial commentary were not landing well. You know, there was the there was the Lesnar Royal Rumble thing, um which the one where Lesnar just kept eliminating a bunch of guys in a row. And at least it started with a bunch of wrestlers of color in a row, but then quickly there were a bunch of white wrestlers he eliminated too. Uh, and there was the whole thing where... Keith Lee. The Keith Lee thing, where Keith Lee's finisher was the Big Bang catastrophe. BBC. Bruce was insisting it was... But they never called it the BBC, was the thing. They never did. Um, whether that was Keith's idea, I don't know whether he meant to infer that i don't know but the point is they never called it that they always called it by its full name um right. and then the other thing was about new day and the pancake stuff where he write like first he's bringing up like the you know history of racist imagery and black people and pancakes and blah 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 where then i forget if it was all of them or just one of them but new day responded and was like, look, we're aware of this, but we're doing it as a deliberate reclamation. And Bruce doubled down. Yeah. Which is really not what you should be doing there. Yeah. You know, so in the context of the stuff he said later that missed the mark so much, this looks even worse, I think, than it 
could have at the time. But here's the thing. I mean, there even in the there, context of 1994, it's a, more than a bit much. Well, there were there were a lot of white guys in that era that were doing trying to do stuff like this. That could not do it today. No, absolutely and, not. I mean, not to the point of starting a fight with him. I I I certainly get why Cornette would be mad about the the comment that is attributed to Heather's character in the fantasy booking. Well, well, it was not just that. Didn't he say her mother? Yes. Where her mother would be the her mother and Pam Lawson would be the other two playing the uh, the bitches. I mean, good lord! But also choosing to put Heather in the role of being the one who says, uh, "I want what my white man can't give me." I know, but I mean, he put he put her mother in there. <laughs> That's even worse. Yeah. So her mother has nothing to do with it. It's just so, so fucking stupid. I'm curious I, if he specifically said what he'd be writing when he asked. My, I, I can't feel like he did. I just, I don't see someone agreeing to that. I don't see uh, someone who's dating Jim Cornette agreeing to that, not thinking he'd get upset. It was, it, it was just all completely stupid. No, it doesn't all justify this, stupid. but he, it, I totally see why he got mad. Yeah, I. So yes, back to uh, fully current news. Expect Bobby Blaze to return with a new gimmick in next TV. The new gimmick is just that he's a job guy and he wins the world title in an upset. Well, not I wouldn't say a world title, Biggs. The, uh, you know he, what I mean. The Smoky Mountain title. The Smoky Mountain heavyweight title. Yes. The Smoky <laughs> Mountain championship of the world. Yes. Jer- uh, so, yeah. All right. So let's go to TV now. And we have uh, Jerry King Lawler, who is the Smoky Mountain wrestling champion here. And he has a promo, and then uh, it's going to be followed up by Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Hold on, why is the screen sharing acting weird? Oh, I see what I did. I did it on the wrong uh, thing, because I have to use QuickTime for USWA, and we're not there yet. All right. USWA wrestling champion, Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> and Jerry, on that big weekend, on the 25th, you square off the brawl in the hall in Johnson City, defending the title against the former champion, the Dirty White Boy. That's right. Finally. Exactly. Now, no matter who wins... The both of you square off again the next day, the 26th, in the afternoon at Knoxville Civic Coliseum, and the winner of that match meets Nature Boy Buddy Landell. I'm excited. Well, what did you, what did you stand here? You think that's going to, like, strike fear into my heart or something? Well, Can you see this? You see what I'm holding in my hand? Yes. Do you know what I am? I am the champion. You think that I'm supposed to be afraid of these guys? Bring them on. I have been chasing, if the truth is known, I have been chasing the dirty white boy all over the country trying to get him to step back in the ring with me, and I finally got him cornered in Johnson City. Because, you see, I've been sick of the fact that you, you and the dirty white boy, have been perpetuating the rumor that I needed assistance to win this belt. I want to prove it once and for all. It was no fluke. The better man won. The king won, as I will in Johnson City, and as I will, as I will once again in Knoxville. It'll be no problem. Bring them on. Two, three, four at a time. I don't care. Do you understand that? So that indeed, if you do win in Johnson City and in Knoxville, in Knoxville, you'll be facing the man who is nope, still haven't belt. learned, have you? Buddy Landell. I, know. I get the mic you here. You get it here. There you go. See, I'm a slow study. I, I realize that. Real slow. I heard that you had one of your kids put in rehab because he was hooked on phonics. Now, let me tell you something. Straighten up around here, okay? okay. I'm the king. I'm the champion. First off, it's going to be <laughs> Dirty White Boy, and then it's going to be Dirty White Boy and Buddy Landell. I don't care. Buddy Landell's been trying to hang around me, been trying to pal around, coming around, you know, saying, 
Hey, King, you know, I helped you win that belt. You didn't help me win anything, Landell. Do you understand that? Everything I've ever accomplished in life, I've done it on my own. I am the king, the only king, and I am the champion, the only champion right now, and I will be for as long as I want to be. That understood? That's understood. Anything else you want to talk about now? Whatever huh? you'd like. Okay. Let me take just a minute to explain to you morons here in East Tennessee. I know that you are so, you're so jealous of us over in Memphis. You know, that's where everybody can read, everybody can write. What are you laughing at? I know that your parents, your parents used to sign your report card with an X because they didn't want anybody that had a kid like you to know that they could read or write. You know that's the truth, isn't it? Huh? Well, I want to tell you people something. When I got off the plane here in Knoxville, the stench knocked me to my knees. Now, you know what it is? I think it's their breath. Matter of fact, I brought you an odor eater to suck on later on, okay? I want you people to go out to the grocery store or the drugstore. They got a new invention. It's called toothpaste. You take it, you put it on a little brush, and you stick it in your mouth, and you move it around like this. You see what I'm talking about? Wait a minute. That's assuming they have teeth. <laughs> Are you also from Hollywood? Do you have lots of brains? <laughs> He's putting his own spin on it. I saw the guy in Knoxville the other day. He had a sign in his mouth that said, next tooth one mile. <laughs> you morons, you're hope. You know, that's one he didn't use that much. <laughs> he normally is recycling so much of the joke book stuff that it was refreshing to see that. Yeah. That's a good one. As long as you don't overuse it like all, all the others. Yeah. Which, by the way, to be clear, like, I'm not making that up. Lawler did get a lot of those heel lines from actual joke books. Yeah, he did. You're pathetic. I'm the king. <laughs> you know, I've been sitting back thinking about this thing. I'm not really upset no more because I want to keep my wits to me. You see, when I ride down the road in my limousine, all I can think about is the dirty white boy and Jerry Lawler. I'm in my hot tub with a good-looking woman. I look over on one side. I see Jerry Lawler. On the other side, I see the dirty white boy. That's all right. I'm not upset. Jane, Johnson City, the 25th. They, want to, they don't even want me to be on the wrestling card. That's fine. I'm not upset, but I'm going to be there, Johnson City, because I'm going to tell you why. I'm an unhappy camper, and I'm going to cause things to happen. And the next night, the 26th, Sunday, bloody Sunday, let me explain something to you. I get to wrestle the winner. If it's Jerry Lawler, I can take him out just like that. And if it's the dirty white boy, I can't think of a better present than to beat him for that belt that he just won back prior match. So I'm coming to you, dirty white boy. Jerry the Lawler. I can't stand neither stinking Jerry one the of Lawler. I'm walking out. The Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, the 26th Sunday, bloody Sunday. Bank on it. Now you can own the greatest wrestling card of all time on all videotape. Right. It's the Night Old of the Road. Legends. Join us. Yes. Greatest wrestling card Jerry, of all time. Jerry the Lawler. Jerry the uh, Lawler? <laughs> that's what he said. Um... I like the Lawler Smoky Mountain Champion run because it was different for the for Smoky Mountain. Lawler is doing his heel shtick, but he's also doing it like he's doing it's it. He against everybody. Between, he is, but he's also doing it like halfway between Memphis heel Lawler and WWF heel Lawler. Yeah, but he's heel against everybody too. He's not aligned with anyone. You know, it's just it's just him and. uh yeah, I thought it was a, f a fresh deal that they needed at that time. So it doesn't last very long, but uh, 
you know, it's what really gets the feud going between Spoken about USWA because Law was the first guy that PG-13 gets in and they they do their thing and then and everything starts really kicking up in Memphis, though. But, uh, yeah, good stuff there. All right, so let's go to confrontation with Jim Ross. And he has the gangsters and Bob Armstrong in a little deal here. So, uh, well, we'll lead off the gym with Jim Cornette and Heavenly Bodies first, talking about the gangsters, and then that'll lead to Bob Armstrong and the gangsters. So let's go to that. Confrontation was the replacement for Down and Dirty with Dutch, right? That is correct. The the Les and Jr. announcing team is quite good, by the way. Oh yeah. They are, it, JR was a very good fit here. And real quick, uh, before the Heavenly Bodies Cornette promo, they showed the clips from uh, the the show in Knoxville, I can't remember the name of it, where the bodies and the gangsters brawled out into the streets. Yes. You know, Jim, I think the gangster behavior is just a little bit outrageous. I mean, their conduct is way beyond belief. If you- this is an all-timer of a Cornette suit color combination. It's um, heavy Florida Gators colors here. So bright green shirt, uh, pastel pink tie, bright blue jacket with red uh, lapels and pocket liner thingies. And what is he wearing? Khakis? Probably. Unusually mismatched, even by the standards of the gimmick. Ask me here in Smoky Mountain. Huh? What do you think, Jimmy, about this outrageous behavior? No, 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 not at all. I think they need much more mannerism. <laughs> and definitely, Jim, a lot more etiquette. Oh, etiquette, yes. Oh, gangsters. You're so offensive. As a matter of fact, what we're going to do is we're going to teach you some manners. You see? Let me explain something to everybody. We're not running a popularity contest here. We don't want everybody to like us. Most people seem to be on our side fine. Like us, hate us, run us a foot race. We don't particularly care. You see, gangsters, you talk about being problem children. You talk about being out there in the streets running wild. I got news for you. You were still in high school stealing hubcaps when these guys were on top of professional wrestling. I was in front of 25,000 people in the Superdome uh, when you were still taking envelopes with numbers in them and running them up. And- wait. So he's, he's just retconning the heavily bodies into the Midnight Express. Okay, let's, I want to hear that again. Children, you talk about being out there in the streets running wild. I got news for you. You were still in high school stealing hubcaps when these guys were on top of professional wrestling. I was in front of 25,000 people in the Superdome when you were still taking envelopes with numbers in them and running them up and down the road when you were in grammar school. You are a couple of guys who haven't figured out yet that you're little fish now in a real big pond. I'm a problem child. That's right. Yeah, I got personality defects. I'll be the first one to admit it. I go off sometimes. I like to get my own way. I like to get things the way I want them. Sometimes I flip a little bit. Tom Pritchard, personality problems. He was a problem child. When he was in school, you think he wanted to cut this hair to be on a football team? Not a chance. He couldn't make curfew if you gave him 24 hours grit leeway. You talk about Jimmy Del Rey, a problem child. The guy has never behaved a day in his life and don't intend to start now. So what you have getting in the... Well, at least he gets fired over it. Spring at the doubleheader weekend is a couple of guys who don't play by the rules, who don't fit into society, and they're managed by the biggest misfit of them all who don't care what anybody thinks. 
I'm a jerk. Yes. There you go. Right here. Yeah. And I don't care. Because gangsters, we're going to teach you a lesson. Smoky Mountain Street Fight at the Brawl in the Hall in Johnson City on February 25th. Anything goes. It can be wild. It can be crazy. And believe me, we have moved more furniture than Allied Van Lines and we'll do so in Johnson City that night. And then, Sunday Bloody Sunday holds a special place in my heart because it's a six-man tag. Me and the heavenly bodies together, the three musketeers against the three goofballs named New Jack Mustafa and D'Lo Brown, old pie face. And I got news for you. You may be laughing now. Sure, Jim Cornette, look at that arm. Absolutely nothing there. <laughs> but I know something you don't know. Well, as a matter of fact, I know a lot of things you don't know, but I'm going to share one of them with you next week. So you just remember, gangsters, you may be laughing now, but by the time February 26th and Sunday Bloody Sunday rolls around, when we get in the ring for that six-man tag, you ain't going to be laughing because we got a trick up our sleeve that's going to put an end to the smiles on your faces and maybe put an end to your wrestling career. And in the process, it's going to give me the revenge that I need and that I deserve for what happened to me Christmas night, which shouldn't happen to a dog, which I guarantee you will happen to a gangster. This week, ladies and gentlemen, on Confrontation, Commissioner Bob Armstrong is here. Uh, a lot of uh, action, unsportsmanlike action, has been going on the last uh, several weeks here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I know you've reviewed a lot of the tapes, and it's time, uh, unfortunately, for some of these people to be uh, levied some fines. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's gone far enough, and when it goes far enough, you've got to put a stop to it. The first fine I've got is Miss Tammy Fitch. Now, she ignored her suspension. It's going to cost her $1,000. Oh. The next one, Eddie Gilbert, for his actions against Mr. Ricky Morton, I'm going to find him $2,500. Wow. You're, you mean business here, don't you? I do mean business. It's about time, don't you think, Jim? Yes, sir. And as far as Chris Candido, what does that say right there to you? Well, it says attack. All right. For his attack, it's going to cost him 1,000 smackaroos. On Boo Bradley. Exactly right. All right. Now, the next one. It's somebody I've been putting up with quite a while called the gangsters. We let them get away with murder. It's time to stop. And I think you've got some VTR here on what just exactly happened to the new wild-eyed Southern boys. Exactly right. Let's take you back, ladies and gentlemen, and tell you exactly what Bob Armstrong's talking about. Here's what the gangsters did just uh, days ago. Nothing like, say, excuse me, nothing says you learn the business from Bill Watts, like just openly referring to something as a VTR on television. <laughs> and, and Bob Armstrong is saying the new Jack got away with, gets away with, got away with murder. Yeah. She's mother's the winner of $5,000 here in Morristown. Eliminated both of the gangsters. Oh, wait a second. Here comes Mustafa back into the ring. Oh, a big right hand. And Is that Brian Matthews or Tommy Noe? Tommy Noe. And they're not too happy with Smothers because they wanted that 5000 bucks, and they're going to try to... Wait a second, New Jack rolls back in the ring. They're going to try to get their $5,000 worth out of Tracy. Double-teaming the Wild Eyes the boy Tracy Smothers. New Jack and the side of the gangster shoots Smothers in. Double elbow, and down goes Smothers. New Jack and Mustafa... Just wearing out Smothers, double-teaming. Wait a second. In the ring, here comes Scott Armstrong. He's not even scheduled to be here tonight. But he's here to get revenge for his brother Steve. And Armstrong taking care of business in the ring, taking on both the gangsters. And down goes New Jack, down goes Mustafa. And wait a second. Oh, throws them into each other. Smothers and Armstrong taking over on New Jack and Mustafa to the middle turnbuckle. 
We're going to have a little fist city here in Motown. Three, four. Armstrong Smothers. Whoa, the gangsters meet head to head. Super kick by Smothers and down goes Mustafa Saeed. Super kick by Armstrong and down goes New Jack. Scott Armstrong, not even scheduled beard. Wait a second, here comes D'Lo. Oh, D'Lo hits Smothers in the back of the head with that nightstick. And he has one for Scott Armstrong, too. And down goes Armstrong. Armstrong, again, I'd like to emphasize he's not even scheduled to be here tonight. But he's been watching the gangsters trying to gain some revenge for what happened on TV a couple of weeks back as he injured his brother, Steve. And they had to take Steve to the hospital. And they're double teaming on Scott Armstrong. New Jack holding down Armstrong, and Mustafa's going up to the middle turnbuckle. Headbutt. A headbutt down on Scott Armstrong, and that connected right with his face. All right, so we see the videotape, and now what's that going to cost him? That's going to cost the gangsters $1,500 $1, a piece, <laughs> and also Mr. Belo's going to have to pay $1,500 himself. Mr. We're going to get the whole group while we're getting it. Maybe <laughs> they'll... Bilo. Oh, I guess... Oh! I guess that's where uh, where old Brian James got a uh, B-Low from then. <laughs> I guess so. Also, by the way, that uh, that angle happened like two weeks after this TV taping. Yeah. It has not happened. <laughs> They're playing some games here. Also, this is, yeah, this is the last TV taped the first week of January. That's yeah, why we're talking about Eddie Gilbert. Yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's on this show, yeah. Even though he's already gone from the promotion. And about to die, sadly, yes. Yes. What did, he dies on uh, the 18th, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. a week after this airs. Yeah. Learn a lesson if we teach them all, and maybe that'll settle some things around here and keep the fighting inside the ring where it's supposed to. What you mean? What you mean, 1500 for what? For what? You discriminate, man. Again, you prejudice. That's bullcrap. Yeah, it is. You discriminate. That's prejudice. That's garbage. As long as what? you wrestle, as long as you wrestle for Smoky Mountain Wrestle, you will abide by the rules Smoky of society. Wrestle. I don't care if you're black, white, green, yellow. You gonna go by the rules because that is the law. That's garbage, man. Uh, that's garbage, man. And you know why you doing it? Because your son was involved, man. That's the only reason you doing that. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Maybe I don't have like to abide by no. You gotta abide by, by these nothing. rules. I ain't got to abide by no law. You ain't. You can't take a hike. I abide by the law. Man, I got my my old uh, fat Oklahoma body out of there. I tell you that right now. They those. Now, this is gonna this will get them this will get them fired right now boy they talk about forty five hundred dollars but this is this is this is termination here as far as i'm concerned i tell you what they let that man up and give him a shot at him they'll wish they just spent the money here comes a dirty white boy man they're going for his leg there they're just like they did jim Cornette. they want to put bullet bob out of action just like they've hammered Cornette's knee they've run rough shot over everybody here they've always got a cause they got a chip on their shoulder and armstrong had give these guys all the leading you see every break that he can muster. It comes time to put up or shut up. I can't believe this. This is terrible. This is really, really terrible, ladies and gentlemen. And oh, we, we will be, we'll be back. Just stay with us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a little bit speechless here. I don't quite know what to say about the actions of the gangsters 
uh, that gang attack on uh, on the commissioner, Bullet Bob Armstrong. Uh, Les Thatcher, I understand, has gone back to the locker room area. Let us take you there now and see if we can find out more about this very appalling situation. We're back in the locker room with Commissioner Bob Armstrong and Bullet. Just a few minutes ago, what started out to be a conversation between you and Jim Ross turned into a physical confrontation between you and the gangsters. Let's talk about it. Oh, wait, an episode of Confrontation turned into a confrontation? <laughs> yeah, about that. You know, just when I thought it was all over, I could get back out of the ring, be the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, try to lay the law down, make everybody abide by the rules. It just goes to show you there's always somebody. I finished with Cornette, and here come the gangbusters, the gangsters, whatever they call themselves. Gangbusters. I don't appreciate it. I don't like them laying their hands on me. So I'm going to tell you what I am going to do, Les, and I'll take this right before the board of directors, and I know they'll agree with me. On the 25th in Johnson City in that brawl in the hall, I'm adding myself to that six-man tag. And, well, let's just get all the gangsters, you know, just put something in a corner and pile them up like you would a bunch of rats. Me. Tracy Smothers, my adopted son, and my son, old Dixie Dynamite himself, Scott Armstrong. Let's get us all together in a six-man tag and brawl all the way down the hall so if they want New to. Jack, Mustafa, and D'Lo Brown. Every one of them. Old D'Lo, B'Lo, any way you want to say it. I don't keep up with the okay. names. I know they're all Commissioner gay. Armstrong, wait a minute. This might not be the best time to ask you for a favor, but remember you said you owed me one. See, I got my commissioner's cap on. I'm trying to be official, too. You remember this commissioner's cap. Well, I want something, too, because, you see, the gangsters, they're doing a little leg-breaking collection around here. They're trying to collect broken legs. They tried to break mine. They tried to break Steve's. They just tried to break Bob Armstrong's. I think somebody ought to get something back at them. Now, I've got my own six-man. It's Sunday Bloody Sunday. Me and the Heavenly Bodies against all three of the gangsters, and i got a little idea. I think what that match needs to make it even is a special referee, and I'll tell you exactly who i got in mind. <laughs> well, you know... I do owe you a favor, and that sounds like just a man that might can handle it. You got your special referee. Special referee. When I pick a favor, I pick it good, you brother. You want to share that with us? No, I don't, Les Thatcher. I sure don't, but we'll share it with the gangsters, all right. <laughs> well, Bobby? Hey, the rest remains to be seen. All right. That's it from the dressing room. Let's go back to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, this match is for the Beat the uh, Jab TV title. Uh, the referee would be Bob Armstrong. But, okay... <laughs> was that the original plan or did they have another idea that didn't come through and so no. they did this as a contingency no from what i i mean i think it's always going to be bob armstrong but they just weren't going to tell him okay that that was the the, the hook in all this so the latter days of this promotion would be so much worse without commissioner bob armstrong oh god yes i mean he he, he basically carried a promotion in that last year yeah. In a lot of ways. All right, so let's go to the USWA. Yeah, but they're February 11th television show saying that Sid Vicious lost the unified title and has left the area. All right, um, we'll get into the Lawler thing in just a second because Dave kind of goes out of order. All right, so the deal started when Lawler did an interview and said that he knew Sid was watching the show live only 20 minutes from the studio and asked him to come to the studio because he had something he wanted to tell him face to face. Well, let's go to that, shall we? Yeah, the Lawler. The area, he's left the promotion. Yes. How sweet it is! <laughs> the new champion!
subject in there, tickle to death. There's no more tickle than he is, I guarantee you that. It was a long slide spell, and it really ate on him. Congratulations to the new king and champ. I gotta tell you, this is really gonna be sweet because I know it was eating on you first the way he got the title and then the fact you couldn't get your shots back at him and now you got that belt. Well, you know, you always like to say what goes around comes around and I felt that the way Sid Vicious uh, got the title away from me was maybe not the most admirable way, but maybe the way I got it back from him was not the most admirable way. So like I said, what goes around comes around. Take it. Take Sid it. Vicious, uh, yeah, thank you very much. I will say this. I will say this. You know, I stood out here last week and I said that uh, if I could win this belt and if Sid Vicious were to be a man of his word, it would be almost too good to be true. But uh, it seems like the, the uh, good things have happened, and it seems like it is true. Sid said that uh, he wouldn't darken the doors of the USWA again. He did say He that. lost the title, and he's not here. And all I can say is, uh, well, I'm not going to say good riddance, but uh, it's uh, kind of pleasant to be out here not having to worry about Sid Vicious looking over your shoulder. Had to be a little shock to him when Spellbinder turned his back on him, too. Boy, it wouldn't help him after Sid making him the number one contender and all of that. Well, you know, I think uh, it just shows you what a jerk also, what a jerk Spellbinder is. That's something that you don't, that you don't, uh, you know, you don't usually try to do something like that. Well, these guys have been partners. Now, the situation with Bill Dundee, the situation with Brian Christopher and myself, we've all been partners in the past, but we also always realize that there may come a time when the promoters or when the USWA want you to wrestle against each other. And, and, and that day has come, you know, for us. And, and so you expect something like that. But in a situation where, where you've been partners, and a couple of jerks like this uh, Crusher Bones and Big Daddy Cyrus yeah. jump on your partner from behind. You know, you just don't walk out on the guy. You just don't. Uh, you just don't leave him laying there. Uh, that that takes a, a special kind of jerk. Well, you know what kind of guys they must be because they love that jumping from behind. You've got Big Daddy Cyrus in a single match here today, so I don't have to warn you. You've been down that road too many times. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You know, they've come in the area and. And uh, he shot his mouth off last week down there a little bit. Shot his mouth off here last week. They won the Battle Royal. We're going to see what they can do in there uh, right now, as a matter of fact. I'm just looking forward to it. That's I right. just want to say, I, I also said that I couldn't do this without the support of the fans. And I had to support their Monday night. Okay, good luck to you, Jerry. We're tickled to death in here with that belt being back around the right. Uh, uh -huh. The ring is over there, Big Daddy. And Big Business Brown tagging along. Yeah. Big Business oh, Brown. Oh, well, well, Jerry the King Lawler. Champion. Champion. Well, all I've got to say, King, is Big Daddy Cyrus has made his presence known. And I will make my presence known. Not only to you, but to Brian Christopher. Superstar Bill Dundee. Oh, and not to mention, I made my presence known to Mr. Sid Vicious Monday night. So you say you're a champion. Well, let's see what kind of champion you are. Let's see you put that belt up right now for a title match.
just say this, Big Daddy Cyrus? You don't get to be a champion by being stupid. And if I were to put this belt up right now, not only myself, but everybody watching and everybody over here would think I was real stupid. So no, this is not a title match. You're not the top contender. I wrestle the top contenders. I'll wrestle you, but the belt's not at stake. Hey, there's your answer. It's just what kind of champion I thought he was. Well, you get in and find out what kind of wrestler he is. It's Big Daddy Cyrus. Let's go up now to Corey Macklin. Okay, we're ready to go, lads. An opening bout today on USWA Championship Wrestling. First introducing, at a weight of 324 pounds, from the open roads of the USA, here is Big Daddy Cyrus. Am I skipping ahead here at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not watching a match. Uh, all right, so they have a match. And Big Daddy Cyrus, for those who don't know, is a re-gimmick to Lanny Kane, Cousin Junior, Moondog Kujo, etc. Yeah, but it's been a while since he's been there. All right, so um, they had a team match, and the match goes to the DQ and Crusher Bones and a feared. Yes, Crusher Bones, the dearly departed father of a uh, friend of the show, uh, Tripping Balls, on Twitter. Yes, all right, so let's go to that. As I pause yeah, the caller mid uh, fist drop. Yeah. Referee's calling for the bell. That'll be a disqualification on Big Daddy Cyrus. But meanwhile, it's two against one as they both are in there with Lawler. They went into the rope. Big double boot coming off of there. Lawler down on the mat. Sailing down. Big Daddy Cyrus, 300 plus, bouncing down on the king. Jerry has already gotten the win by disqualification. That's not doing him a whole lot of good right now. Well, one hammers him, and then he bounces off of that. The other one nails it. Now they're both popping it back in the corner with right hand. The King hanging in the corner. Big Daddy Cyrus and Crusher Bowles both working him over. Here comes Superstar. Bill Dundee rolling into the ring. And all of a sudden, Big Business Brown falls him off. Brian Christopher in to help out. Christopher and Dundee hit the ring, and Big Daddy Cyrus and Crusher Bones go out. Now, Ron, you're not the winner. You lost it by disqualification when Crusher Bones came rolling in. Yeah, that was automatic, and the referee instantly signaled the disqualification. Lawler being helped back to his feet by the referee and Bill Dundee. It was two against one, and in an unfair fight, a lot of things can happen, and that's exactly what that was. Few words exchanged between Dundee and Christopher there. They were both in there to help the king, but they were kind of chicken fighting with their mouths over there on it. We got to take a break, and we'll be back in a moment.
Got a match coming up here in just a moment. Brian Christopher will be in action. All right. But first, before we... Uh... All right, so Dundee and Christopher are up now. So they're having their beef. And Lawler talks about how everybody's supposed to, is wrestling everybody right now. The top three baby faces are kind of now in a little deal where they're trying to be the unified champion. So Bill and Brian have face interview. Dundee slapped Brian in the face. They rolled around the floor. Dundee is still a babyface, even though he's feuding with the other babyfaces. This wound up with, uh, they made Dundee and Brian in a match for the 13th, where the winner got a shot at Lawler's title that night. So, um, so yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the 13th. Um, Scott Studd beat Reggie B. Fine in a match where both Miss Texas and Sweet George Brown interfered to set up mixed tags. And Tommy Rich went to a TV. Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert went to a TV Tyler Madraw with the Moon Dogs. Now, Bix, Dave in the notes talks about how the law the promo about Sid living only twenty minutes from the studio, asking to come to the studio. So later in the show, Spellbinder, Crusher Bones, Big Daddy Cyrus, and Big Business Brown, the new heel manager, all jump Lawler, and Sid made the save. All right, pause right here. Pause, 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 pause. Go, re- go back in reverse a little bit. I think this might not be on the syndicated show. That's where I was going. Go back in reverse. Okay. All right. And oh, by the way, did you see the announcement about uh, friend of the show, Scott Stud? No. He's All right, pause right there. Be... All right, go ahead. He's going to be appearing in uh, the main event of the uh, Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling Return show. Well, how about that? All right, so Lawler asked Sid to be the tag partner on February 13th against Bones and Cyrus, which he accepted. And Vicious also said he won a spellbinder as well. Well, that did not air on the syndicated show. Now, what they did air was a flashback match of a steel cage match with Jeff Jarrett and Pat Tanaka. With the wrong year. With the wrong year. In 86 to 87. But that was a Memphis-only deal for that time presumably so it's not working uh yeah the other towns now actually i'm curious do we hear the crowd noises they're in yeah let's see what the transition is here if this is something that would have aired on channel five in memphis or not oh so they go to a break coming off of the pressure bonus match USWA flashback. Love it. We had our first one. It's a regular feature now on it. And we go back to 1986, Dave. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of names that you're going to recognize. Pat Tanaka, championship wrestler, and Jeff Jarrett. Yes, sir. They were the Southern Tag Champs. Pat Tanaka had turned on Jeff Jarrett, ended up in a cage match. Our flashback today. All right. Well, there you go. So so it did. humans, but it's not too loud. No, but. The way they're doing it kind of makes it sound like it was being done for the live, you know, live the live crowd. Hmm. I don't know, but anyway, I mean, it's also the syndicate thing too, where things could just—I mean, look—all the Austin Idol, Tommy Rich stuff didn't make TV, you know. So, well, not all of it, but a lot of it. But uh, it's not like this is super long. There's only like two minutes anyway. But yeah, so I, I yeah, it just, I guess they just didn't air that stuff because it was Memphis centric. So there you go. Yeah, we got to fill in more of these gaps. Well, I don't, I don't know what all exists. That's the thing. It's there, hard to say. There are certain old school tape dealers who have some stuff. I don't know if 
how exactly how much, but well, Sid is a baby face, form the tag team with Lawler against Big Daddy Cyrus and Crush of Bones, and they pop the crowd on February 13th up to 1,800 fans. That's popping up, which is actually a few hundred more than the February 6th show, which saw Lawler and Sid for the title. Sid vowed never show his face again to miss off Coliseum. He lost a Lawler on the 6th, which we know what happened there. And uh, Lawler offered to put the Smoky Mountain title up against Sid's unified title, but Sid made some negative remarks about Smoky Mountain Wrestling, saying he wasn't interested in their title, saying that was a company of wrestlers who can't get a job anywhere else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that became the point of contention. In the Smoky Mountain Wrestling USWA feud, where that's brought up by in promos by Buddy Landale and Jim Cornette. That Sid said that? Not that Sid said it, but that was what they said they were. Mm. So anyway, February 13th in Memphis. Moondog spot over Jimmy Harris, Jim Dotson, in your opener. Crusher Bones over Moondog Rex. This is Gordon, uh, not... The other... The other Moondar Rex, yes. What's his face? Uh, what was the guy's name? Um, I don't. Nathan, or was well, Moondog yeah. Nathan someone else? No, this is Nathan. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Whoever. Gorgeous Horse third over Chad Carlson. Uh, Scott said Miss Texas won a street fight over Rachel B. Fine and Sweet Georgia Brown. Time Richard Doug Gilbert PG thirteen. Bill Dundee over Brian Christopher disqualification. Then Lawler beat Dundee in the Tyler match, and then Lawler and Sid beat Big Daddy Cyrus at Crusher Bones. Now. Dundee um, won the match over Christopher by DQ when Brian was caught using a chain. However, Lawler then pinned Dundee to win the title. And then after the match, yes. Then when Lawler and Sid won, Spellbinder, Big Business Brown, Christian Bones, Big Daddy Cyrus being up on both, on both, and Spellbinder whipped Sid with his weightlifting belt until Sid made his own save, got the belt, and chased the heels off. Well, he is the master and the ruler of the world. So there you go, USWA. All right, we talked about Jim Crockett earlier. Let's go to NWA Dallas, February 11th at the Sporta Tour in front of 300 fans. We have Bo Vegas over Vito Mussolini. Oh. Randy Rhodes over Tracy Austin, not the female tennis player. Scott Pusky over Mike Davis. Sam Wait, Houston why did you over do Rod that only for Tracy Austin, but not also for Randy Rhodes? Randy Rhodes was a female tennis player. No, um, you said not, 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 the, uh, not the Black Sabbath member, not the radio... DJ. Anyway, he wasn't a member of Black Sabbath. Randy Rhodes was the guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne right. and Solo. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, yes. Well, I figured we, we talk about Randy Rhodes so much on this show. I mean, well, not so much, but we mentioned him more than we mentioned Tr Tracy Austin. Sure. sure. So, all right. Sam Houston, Rob Price by Countout. Black Bart won a bull rope match over Dick Murdoch. And then uh, Tony Norris, the future Ahmed Johnson, uh, beat John Hawk in a North American title match. The future Bradshaw by DQ, Bradshaw Hawk retained. That's probably a fun main event. They probably beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. And and yeah, and Dick Murdoch in his last run, he works here and he does uh Deep South and as ninety five goes along in Mississippi. So uh yeah. All right, the National Wrestling Council joined us uh, this time around 1,050 fans on February 11th at the Silver Nugget in Las Vegas for a phenomenal match, probably the first and only one of his career featuring Virgil. That's because Virgil's opponent was Terry Funk, who put on a one-man show complete with fighting fans and selling his branding iron on, setting his branding iron on fire and using it on Virgil. Junkyard Dog, who has moved to Las Vegas, worked underneath. 
Next show will be March 17th with Funk and Sabu in a chain match for the vacant title. Tito Santana was the first champion, decided he gets coming back to defend the title. With Sabu and Cactus Jack drawn by 1500 in the same building for a cage match. This is the hottest indie group in a while. Oh, yeah, this was a this group was an indie was an indie darling among the uh, newsletters at the time. Yes, um, I did just check because I was wondering if it would end up being possible that this outdraws the Vegas collision that will have happened by the time the show goes up. And AEW has passed 1500 tickets. Well, they're also, well, AEW is also in Henderson. Yes, they're not in Vegas proper. But. Yeah, this was in Vegas proper at the Silver Naga. So that, a little difference there. Is this on the Strip? Uh, Probably Old Vegas. Okay. All right, so February 11th at the Silver Naga Pavilion in Las Vegas, we had the Navajo Kid over Luis Piccoli, Larry Power over KGB. That's Tom okay. Howard, right? Yeah. yeah. Judge Dredd over Samurai Warrior. Oh, I wonder who got him booked. <laughs> John, well, he's not here because he's in Japan. Johnny Payne over Billy Anderson. SWAT won a handicap match over Gary Key and Wild Renegade. Then the Volcano Kid and Tonga Kid beat Louis McCauley and a unknown opponent. Junkyard Dog won an arm wrestling match over Thug. Well, at least he triumphed over the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> uh, Terry Funk uh, defeated Virgil in the Branding Iron match, and then Virgil won a Battle Royal. By the way, did you uh, see what Lapsed Fan were tweeting that I hadn't realized this? They had gotten uh, Terry's branding iron in the estate sale. Yeah, I saw that. It was in buried in a lot of other stuff. So they paid like 600 and change for it. And didn't even know they had it. Nope. I mean, there was very little wrestling stuff that was put up in the sale. So I don't know if that was parceled out and sold privately or what. But like, yeah, I mean, you remember when the sale happened and people were going over the lots and just how little wrestling-related stuff there was. So, seems like they didn't realize it. It was like it was with like VHS tapes of Wildside and a couple lamps. The TV show Wildside. Yes, the yes, the TV show that Terry Funk was on Wildside, not uh, Ninja Bills uh, NWA Wildside. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a lucky find for them. Absolutely. All right, let's close out the show with the World Wrestling Federation. And this is one of those weeks where we have the dog show. So no Monday Night Raw. But there are some other things going on. All the weekend house shows, well, at the weekend house shows in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, W confirmed what had already been reported that those two cities would be decided King of the Ring on June 18th and SummerSlam on August 28th, which will be the next shows in each of those cities. Tickets for both shows should be available now through their ticket offices. At the buildings, respectively. Survivor Series is scheduled at this point for the Pond in Anaheim on November 22nd. Although no tickets are available that far in advance. Well, that's that interesting, change, isn't it? That changes because it ends up being in uh, Landover. And the Pond is WrestleMania. Yes. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Very here's interesting. Something, okay. Now, here's something I'm wondering about. When during the year do Jimmy Del Rey and Tatanka get dropped? Because the... The story was always was that the woman Summer? who made the complaint in Anaheim that the reason that then all of a sudden they dropped Del Rey and Tatanka was because they were worried that there would be more publicity with Mania. Summer, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Well, not to the major consequence from the house shows this past weekend. The most interesting angle, angle may have been on February 12th in Philadelphia. 
were doing a Razor Abode Bob Backlund match. Dick Murdoch came out in the ringside with Backlund. However, when Murdoch got to the ring, he got on the PA talking about how much he liked Philadelphia and how glad he was to be back in town, which got Backlund mad. The finish of the match saw Ramon take a bump and on, and on Murdoch, who then jumped in the ring and attacked him for the DQ and beat on him while Backlund in the chicken wing. Crowds were basically average. Uh, Pittsburgh did 5,075 fans. Philadelphia did 5,500 for eight, the A shows. The other A show was in Scranton, which sold out the small Catholic Youth Center. Tatsumi Fujinami was with Hakushi at the B show in White Plains on February 11th. Okay. Um, so the now Murdoch we a, thing. Well, we got a Spectrum rundown here for a live report from the show. From the torch. Okay, real quick, though. The Murdoch thing. Even though it's only for a couple shows, it comes out later from Meltzer. I think it was on a Wrestling Classics post or something. That this was Murdoch, uh, uh, this was Razor feeling like it was impossible to have a match with Backlund. So they requested, so he requested Murdoch be brought in so he could do shtick with him. But at least here, he turns babyface right away. But then. He gets involved in the end. And he turns heel at the end. I don't know. It's very confusing. It's it's Dick Murdoch. All right, but anyway, we have a live report from the torch of this show, so let's uh, go to that. Does it tell you who this was credited to with the... No, 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 no. February 12th of the Spectrum, there were two different main events compared to the night before. Diesel beat Jeff Jarrett, who has Shawn Michaels and a roadie in his corner. Roadie at Diesel with a clothesline from the apron to the floor during the match. Otherwise, it was a virtual squash ending with Jack Knight by Diesel. After the match, Shawn kicked Diesel and roadie worked him over. Diesel recovered and gave Rhodey a sloppy jackknife. Wait, why is it a virtual squash? Isn't the whole reason they subbed Jared in for Backlund was so that they could have actual matches as opposed to the disasters that Diesel was having with Backlund? Well, I guess this uh, reviewer thought it was a virtual squash. I don't know. Uh, Razor beat Backlund by DQ and did Mark interfere. Backlund had the best heat of the night and worked the crowd well. Before the match, he used Murdoch as someone he would train. At one point, Razor went over the top rope into Murdoch, who was sitting at ringside. Murdoch came in the ring and beat on Razor, causing the DQ. After the match, back with the chicken wing on Razor, and the referees ran in to break things up. The actual match was also short, and most of that was stalling and working the crowd. The final match saw Bret Hart beat Owen Hart, and no holds bar about. Owen hit Bret with a fire extinguisher during the match. Bret slammed Owen outside the ring a few times and used a chair. A decent brawl. Bret was fined $5,000. For not releasing the sharpshooter after the match. So apparently rules are stricter in Philadelphia than they are in Scranton. <laughs> I guess it is the same thing as Scranton. Other bouts. Uh, one, two, three, kid Bob Holly beat the heavily bodies when when, kid, when the kid pinned Dr. Tom with a victory roll. Sean pinned British Bulldog after a super kick. Dude to Dumpster Drossy pinned Mantar after, with a roll up after Mantar missed a splash. So that's a future uh, CWA offer match. Yes. Bull knocking a up in a lunger blaze with her feet on the ropes. Blaze got near falls with a good normal light suplex and Frankensteiner, and at one point dove into knocking up from the top rope to the floor. Bushwhackers pinned well done. And comma pinned Quang in a short, uninspiring opener during which both men played heel. Undertaker versus IRS was scheduled, but didn't take place. No explanation was given by the ring announcer or the ticket window for the omission of one of the feature bouts. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, Undertaker, you know, is at this time Undertaker. So, I mean, he's a draw. So, yeah, for him to not be there with no explanation is not good. And also odd. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
How about Lanza or whoever giving a ball knocking away feet on the ropes finish? <laughs> of course. Well, Jack totally Lanza is her to do. I mean, Jack Lanza is you know used to what he's used to. So yeah. I mean, I'm just guessing, Jack Lanza. I don't know. It, it could have been. It could have been Rene Goulet. It could have been Strombo. I mean, who knows? It could have been any one of them. All right. More for the tour. Shawn Michaels co-host spot on Raw because the voiceover studio time was too demanding now that he's back on the road full time. Jesse Ventura has been reported as a replacement all week, but that has been retracted since all signs right now pulling away from that being the case. Especially since Jim Ross and Ventura were professional enemies last time they crossed paths in WCW. On the other hand, Ventura talked openly to the torch about returning to WF as part of a settlement on the $1 million videotape merchandise lawsuit he won last year. Sources say the co-spot as of now is just going to be a rotation with names like Jerry Lawler and maybe even Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I think there were times they tried to turn Duke into kind of a personality. Yeah, but... Although that really um, comes more later than this. Yeah. But of course Lawler eventually gets the job full time. If you forget, I mean, it, it took a, a few years for Lawler became the Raw announcer. Tammy Fitch or Tamara Murphy has already been taken off the event center and will have a new role apparently as a cheerleader for Chris Candido, who debuts on television at this coming week's tapings. Candido is of last word still supposed to be a payface. At some point, it's suspected Fitch will turn, but that could be a year or more down the road. So this is uh, Team Spirit, Chris and Tammy Spirit. Yes. Well, one taping and that's gone, and then Vince comes up with the body Donna's or something. How do you think the Chris Spirit and Tammy Spirit gimmick would have done compared to the body Donna's gimmicks? It wouldn't have butchered the English language as much. <laughs> I mean, the fans would have shit on that so much, wouldn't you yeah, think? Yeah. So it was a good idea to just make them heels, but. Give them a silly name. And they should have been heels anyway. It just they should have been they they should have done the spirit gimmick and been heels as that. They should have been. The, there, are the, are the SNL cheerleaders a thing yet at this time? Uh no, but they should have been. They, yeah. But no no the, be the cheerleaders, but be so overly peppy that the you're being a heel. Yeah. You know, and Henry God went to the injured list with a back injury. Described as really painful. As he was out of action this past weekend. Did, did he ever have yeah. any injuries that did not involve he, his spine? And he just—he just really is getting started at this point in time in his gimmick. Yeah. Talk about your shitty timing. All right, Torch is running through some stuff here. Diesel was a guest judge at the Slam Dunk Contest at NBA All Star Weekend. He was almost announced as someone else because the PA announcer didn't know who he was or what the WWF was. Oh, that's just great. 1995 WF, everybody. That new generation is really getting over. San Francisco 49er Gary Plummer said he was offered 30 grand to put on a WF hat after winning the Super Bowl and said he was going to go to WrestleMania. He turned it down. But apparently Ken Norton accepted a, the similar deal. And who's involved at WrestleMania? Ken Norton. Ken Norton Jr. <laughs> yes. I think he does Delated. do this, right? He, do, he does. Yep, he does. They honestly don't play it up nearly as big as you would expect, though. Exactly, yeah. The latest WF catalog is out, and Diesel, Bret Hart, Razor Remote, Undertaker are, are the only wrestler-specific merchandise in it. Hmm. Okay. Surprise, Sean was a part of that. 
I am pulling up, let's see, do we have the actual catalog for 95 online, or do we just have the WrestleCrap thing? Let's see. Because I'm curious what's being offered up at this time. All right, let's see. Okay, the full catalog is not on eBay. So I'll probably just have to go with WrestleCrap. Let's see. Oh, no, this auction looks to have the whole catalog. Okay. So let me actually open this in uh, Firefox so I can screen share it more easily. All right, let's see what we got here. All right, so 1995 Spring Merchandise Catalog. On the cover is a tie-dye WWF shirt. Man Mountain Rock kind of type deal there. Yeah, this isn't super quality. We got an Art of Wrestling t-shirt. Colcabana. Live from the studio. Apartment. In Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. Uh, got a WWF squeeze bottle for your... Water. We've got a uh, sports bag embroidered. It's We've got a the, fanny, no, fanny. It's no bags. It's the sports bag. Well, thank you. Yes, we got a fanny pack. We've got the backpack. Um, we've got a towel. I'm trying to remember if that's the same backpack I had. It looks a little different because later you in had the a year, you had a WF backpack. Okay, so here's the thing. Later in the year, when they start doing the Barry Dudinsky deals. They had this offer that was like backpack and t-shirt and it was like it was really cheap and it was not a bad backpack. So my mom got it for me. But yes, I did have the WF. But it's just the little embroidered WWF. It's not exactly ostentatious or anything. Um, We got WWF boxer shorts. Got a raw shirt. We got a raw hat. We've got the raw video game. Uh, What price are they charging here? This this isn't the one where they're charging like ninety five dollars. No, that was Royal Rumble, right, for the Super Nintendo version. Oh, I don't remember where that. Where was that high in the catalog? This appears to be no, more normal prices, although the scan quality is not great. Uh, we've got a Survivor Series '94 all over print multicolor shirt that they probably made too much of. We got some of the trading cards that they were doing at the time. Oh, it's the full set. Okay, of the action packed cards, which I always wanted to get some of those, but at the time I could never find them in stores and. Uh, I never saw them. Yeah, they were not the easiest things to find. Uh, oh, collector's plates, Chris. I see that. So this is, yeah, this is one of those periods where they're trying to do, like, more adult-oriented products. Okay, the Bread and Luger Stretch Wrestlers. I thought those didn't actually make it to stores, or did they? I never saw them. I thought those were just prototypes. Maybe I was wrong. Um... We've got the usual foam belts, including the never the world title that they never redesigned for some reason. Although they do have a women's belt here, which I do not did not remember. Did you that they had a toy women's belt? No. Okay, we've got a D. We got There's a diesel, a diesel line. We got diesel glove keychains. We got a diesel foam finger, diesel bottle, diesel cap. Uh. Undertaker's There's got his shirt. He's got the bottle and the cap and a poster. Brett, Brett, poster, sunglasses, a Brett leather jacket, keychain, water bottle, hat. They're going like everyone has the kind of like the same type of merchandise. Too. Glasses for Brett. Yes, Brett obviously also has the glasses. Wonder uh, Boys, uh, Bulldog. Okay, so Bulldog. It's okay. So the ones he mentioned are the only ones that have like lines of merchandise. The Bushwhackers have uh, hats and shirts. 
Yeah, so there are other people with merch. It's just they don't have a whole series of merch. We got an Lunderblay shirt, a Bulldog shirt. We got the Bushwhackers Hongi shirt and hat. Hongi Sports. No. Uh, Rager's Rager's got his own thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's got almost a full page because then we also have a Lex Luger shirt on that page. Yeah. Oh, we have we have the Razor Razor keychain. Yeah. To cut your coke with. Yeah. Or. Yeah. Uh, was it Trevor Dame who said once, jokingly, but also uh, not jokingly, that uh, about feeling very embarrassed when he realized that it wasn't a movie ticket? <laughs> I guess. And then uh, autograph limited edition photos. We have various prints. We got Diesel. We've got Brett, Luger, Razor, Undertaker. Yeah. So very. <sighs> No heel merchandise. And very little in the way of toys or kid stuff. Yeah. So there you go. I think it was the year earlier where they had like all the weird like collectors, like embroidered character caricature stuff, right? I guess. That was a weird one. But yeah, so that's that is your catalog for a spring ninety five here. All right, former Quebecer Jacques Rougeau has a no compete clause to WF until his contract expires in June. At that time, because he recently had a fallen out with Vincent Mann, he plans to promote in Montreal on his own. Doe Finesse Raymond Rougeau remains with the Doe Efta. And uh, their sister Joanne, or I guess Joanne, uh, ends up being the local promoter in Montreal as a result. Mm-hmm. Rumors abound that Ryan Piper would be in Diesel's corner for the match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. He is not. It's Jenny McCarthy. No, it's Bradley Anderson. Gene McCarthy's with Shawn Michaels. But it's originally Pam Anderson supposed to be with Shawn Michaels. Yes. And then they do the weird switcheroo thing. Um, this Piper's last appearance until he's interim president, I think, is when he does the Royal Rumble Encore Plus, right? Yeah. So he's like around that. And does, doesn't he do like a weird little angle with Shawn at that on that? I think so. So that's presumably what this has to do with. Yeah. All right. So Bam Bam Bigelow uh, sounds off a of Lawrence Taylor on Superstars. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, Bam Bam Bigelow. And I wonder, Mr. Bigelow, would you respond to some of the remarks made by Bobby Coupo, the manager of Lawrence Taylor? Oh, oh. well, you know, Lawrence Taylor, everybody's got to relate to Lawrence Taylor this, Lawrence Taylor that. Nobody's relating to Bam Bam Bigelow. Nobody was out there. Lawrence Taylor didn't get beat by the one, two, three kid. I did. I had to deal with that humiliation. Lawrence Taylor was out there having a good time, was laughing in my face. You know the story. He wants an apology. I told you it didn't feel right. It don't feel right now. He's not getting an apology. Then you continue to challenge Lawrence Taylor, do you not? Well, you know, I not only continue to challenge Lawrence Taylor, but I'm not going to stop until I get him in the ring. Two men, two individuals, two great people, head on head. That's when my apology may come out. Well, Mr. Bigelow, it seems to me that you continue to to goat Lawrence Taylor now. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to goat him (sighs) into a match. I'm not going nobody. All I hear is Bobby Coupo this. Lawrence Taylor is talking to Bobby <laughs> Coupo. 
Lars Styles talking to his lawyers. Can't he talk to me? Come on, what a joke. Come on, I'm a man. Nobody's talking for me. I talk for myself. Why don't you, Lawrence Taylor, why don't you get up in front of the TV and say, Bam Bam Bigelow, I accept your challenge. Bam Bam Bigelow, I will wrestle you. But no, you got Bobby Coupo this. You're attorney saying that. Nobody's saying what I want to hear. Everybody's doing what Lawrence wants us. Lawrence Taylor, you ain't got no backbone to stand on. You're not even a man. People are coming up to me and they're saying, Bam Bam, what a great job. Job you did when you gonna wrestle LT and I you know I have to wonder what they're saying to you what are they coming up to you and they go Lawrence Taylor uh, uh, Lawrence Taylor see I don't know what they're saying they're scared of you you are a wimp you won't get in the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow you won't put everything aside prove yourself as an individual one-on-one -on -one. lose the pants lose the helmets step in the ring and welcome to the valley of the real giants there you go. How about all the Bobby Coupo talks? Well, that that Bobby Coupo had the thing which we covered that week where uh, he had, had did the statement and all that stuff. Yes, which we covered a long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. Yes, so, uh, show, was it, 133 with Marty DeRose? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's when we, that's the week before. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that, yeah, like we talked about earlier with Pete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get Marty back on. It's been a while. Yeah, we need to get Marty and Sarah on. That'd be great to have both of them on. We got to figure that out. Yeah. All right. So next we have Stan Lane interviewing Shinja and Hakushi. Let's go to this clip, shall we? In high here. Well, yeah, they're saying this took place on the In High Gear tour, even though it's just at the TV taping. Yes. It's a way of promoting the In High Gear tour. Shinja, there is no denying the fact that Hakushi has made a tremendous impact here in the World Wrestling Federation. All the superstars have taken notice of not only the tremendous aerial offensive attack, but the tremendous martial arts background of Hakushi. Well, if anyone would know martial arts, it's Stan Lane. With his educated feet. feet. And, of course, his chops, because he's the only wrestler trained by Ric Flair. And, boy, that, that radio voice is just in full effect here. Yes. And also the arena is darkened with the white lights on. Uh... Well, it's Kazakushi, yes. yes. You do speak English, don't you? Yes, I do, you stupid American announcer. Please, please, Shinja, in English, if you will. What do you want to know? First of all, I'd like to ask you about the... the I love how much Akio Sato is trying to hide how American he sounds at this point in his life. <laughs> yes, because he, yes, he definitely sounds way American. I mean, he's lived in Kansas City for at least a decade at this point, pretty much, right? Yeah, pretty much. Tattooing the extensive facial and body tattooing on Hakushi. Uh, obviously, a man of mystery. I've got to ask you, what is the significance of the tattooing? Well, all the writing on his body means everything Hakushi believes in and everything about what Hakushi is. Example. 
Hakushi means Japanese white angel. He flies like an angel. Hakushi is Japan's most respectable athlete. Unlike you people, Hakushi is the best, not only in Japan. He is better than Diesel. Big Daddy Cool, superstar all over the world. Brett the Hitman Hart was just awarded a prestigious medal in the country of Germany by Bravo Magazine. And Bret Hart, one of the top superstars in your native land of Japan, Shinja. In Japan, Hakushi is number one. Everybody knows Hakushi. Nobody knows Bret Hart. Nothing compares to the one where it's a little kid and uh, they weren't writing out the word pounds and the kid didn't know what LBS stood for. So he announced it as uh, lubs. <laughs> LBS. <laughs> it, it was that. No, it was definitely loves. He said, I loves. know. I'm just saying it's just an LBS. Let me see if I can find that. Cause I know. Someone figured out what match it was the last time I asked about it on Twitter. Uh, oh, we, well, we don't need all that. All right, so Action Zone on the 12th did a 1.8 rating, which had Luger and Tatanka as a main event. Mania did a 1.3, and, of course, Raw was out. So let's look at the ending of Luger and Tatanka on the Action Zone, shall we? And by Luger, blocks Tatanka. Another right got in. Make it three, and down goes the Native American. One more time. Luger is really cooking on all cylinders. Sends him for the ride. Far side. Cut him down low in the abdomen. Luger now takes him up and down. Imagine how Lex Luger feels after months of everybody thinking he's sold out. He's taking it all out on Tatanka right now. Hard clothesline by Luger. He's knocking Tatanka down at will. Luger now back in control off. 
Luger measures him. Goes to the right, does Tataka, and he got him. He's got him right there. It's over. It's over. Hey, wait. Hey, wait a minute. DiBiase reaching in. Luger had Tataka pinned. Luger had this match won. The ref couldn't see it. He was in back, but definitely we could all see Ted DiBiase pull Lex Luger out of that ring. This uh, is unbelievable. Keep your eye on Tataka, Lex. Lex, you got to look behind you. Look at DiBiase. He's down on his knees. Lex, look behind you. Tataka's going to try a cheap shot, and Luger saw it. Luger caught him with a shot to the midsection. The referee is counting. Both these men in danger. This match should be all over. Lex Luger had it won. He had it won, no doubt about it, but they better get back in the ring. They're in danger of being counted out here. Side headlock into the post. All right, Lex is getting back in. He made it. No, he didn't. I don't think he made it. He didn't make He made it. No, sir, I don't think so, Todd. Ladies and gentlemen, referee has counted both Tatanka and Lex Luger out of the ring and rules this what? contest a double countdown. Wait a minute. Here comes Chief J. Strongbow, WWF official. Yeah, coming to the ring. Well, I'll tell you. That was a close call. Luger had the match won. That's the bottom line. I remember Chief J. Strongbow and Tatanka one time had a very close relationship, but Tatanka turned his back on everybody. Well, uh, Strongbow talking to the official. I think... Uh, I think Lex made it back in. This isn't right. Well, I think uh, DiBiase and Tatanka are happy to end it the way it did. They should have lost this one, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'd like to take you back to what happened in the commercial break. A very disturbing situation just occurred moments ago. You guys in the truck could roll this back. Keep your eyes on the left hand of the screen. You see the referee walk by Tatanka and Ted DiBiase wondering what's going on. The official ruling already made a double count out. However, these guys would come back to the squared circle to find out what was happening. You see the other official come on explaining to the official about the interference of Ted DiBiase. It was no names for referees here. Had this match won. He had to talk a pin. Tim White. Go ahead. This is certainly despicable. Keep your eye on Tatanka. Watch Chief J. Strombo. Caught right in the head by a violent cheap shot. There is no, no excuse for this. Chief J. Strombo, a WWF official, a Hall of Famer of the World Wrestling Federation. The million-dollar corporation has gone crazy. You know, how about the Bam Bam Bigelow incident? with Lawrence Taylor. Now this, Tatanka, Chief J. Strongbow, this is absolutely unacceptable. This should cost Tatanka and the Million Dollar Man some money. That's all I can say. They should be fined for their actions. And again, folks, all this happening as soon as we left you in the commercial break last time. This is all on tape. We'll get back to live action in a second, and hopefully we'll get an update on the condition of Chief J. Strongbow. But again, an unfortunate incident, unacceptable by the Million Dollar Corporation. It really... My name is Anthony Giampapa. Hi. I represent Lawrence Taylor. It is apparent... That takes place after our week, so there you go. Aww. All right, so uh, so no this Bobby is Dave's thoughts. No, this is Dave's thoughts on this segment. I was cringing watching Action Zone this past weekend when I left Luger wrestle to talk, and, and Luger delivered a back suplex, and Jim Ross said in some parts of the world they call it a Northern Light suplex. I didn't even cringe as much as the day before when during a Brian Pillman squash, Tony Schiavone called two entirely different moves within about two minutes span, arm drag and twist. One of which actually was what he described. Ross was back working with Todd Pettengill, and the chemistry seems to have gotten a little better. So, Vix, uh, your thoughts on the Jay Strombo attack here out of nowhere? Heinous. 
a heinous attack on the chief. Well, at least at least he didn't do that that crazy selling he used to do. That angle should have been an iron lung. <laughs> oh me. Well, that is it. Yeah, yeah it go is. ahead. No, is it's that it's... it? Yeah, that's it. All right, that's it for this week's Between the Sheets. Next week, we're going to go back exactly one year to 1994, where we'll talk about Marty Jannetty being fired again, Vincent Mann and Jim Ross co-hosting Radio WWF, and there's some interesting stuff on that. Um, We got some other WWF stuff, including uh, an interesting uh, uh, editorial by Wade Keller on uh, WF and Jim Cornette's involvement at the time. Uh, All Japan starts up their new tour. We'll talk about that. New Japan closes out their tour, and there's some big matches there, so we'll talk about that. And all kinds of other Japanese uh, stuff, including a major grandstand by UWFI at a press conference. As if there's any other kind. I know. Plus, we'll have uh, stuff from Europe. We'll have stuff from Mexico featuring uh, Bix Kojish and Ricky in a major match during our week in Mexico. Oh, boy. The very first meeting between Sabu and Chris Benoit. We'll talk about that, which takes place during our week. Just who is booking ECW? We'll talk about that. And we'll have ECW television uh, stuff to talk about. Uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Their tag titles changed twice on a tour of Michigan. So we'll have that. Plus, we'll have uh, a big contract signing on Smoky Mountain Wrestling television. USWA will have a, another episode, well, not episode, but another bizarre twist in the statutory rape case against Jerry the King Lawler. So we'll have that. And uh, on television, we'll have uh, stuff there's again ready to uh, hype the uh, big Memphis memories card. And Eddie Gilbert's running for political office. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of other little indie stuff. And then in World Championship Wrestling, Hulk Hogan, he better be showing up or there'll be some egg on people's faces. <laughs> Super, Super Brawl, which takes place in uh, Albany, Georgia. We'll have news on that. Plus stuff behind the scenes and Wade Keller's thoughts on uh, the current state of WCW. Plus we'll have Sting on Arsenio Hall, Ric Flair on Larry King to talk about. Huh. WCW Saturday, Saturday night. And... Uh, yeah, so all kinds of interesting stuff there. And is Sid Vicious coming back to WCW? Well, we're not sure about that. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. Right now, no guests. We'll see. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Possible. Maybe we'll book someone. Yes. Um, on the bright side, Chris, uh, no video because I had to pull it up on Peacock since I'm not opening the VPN in the middle of recording. But uh, found what I was looking for earlier. Okay. Here comes our guest ring announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, honorary ring announcer that was selected from a drawing just moments ago. Here comes J.B. Yetter. And while J.B. is making his way to the ring, let's take you now to a public service announcement courtesy of the American original Lex Luger. What? Okay, I'm just kidding. What the? Okay, here we go. What music? Yeah. Introducing the honorary ring announcer... J.B. Yetter. <laughs> this young man chosen by a number who entered. And his, and his opponent from Times River, New Jersey, 
and weighing 220 lebs, Mike Bruce. <laughs> and yes, that Mike Bushi is Mike Bushi. Is Nova Elbs from Times River, New Jersey, and weighing 220 lebs, Mike Lebs. Look on Nova's face. 220 lebs. Lebs. Sounded kind of like Michael Buffer. Yeah, a little bit. Michael. Only better. <laughs> Whoa. Buffer must have rebuffed. Well, Buffer's hard to work with WCW. Weighing 229 and a half pounds. Here is Adam Bob. I don't think he's filled as 229 and a half pounds. J.B. Yetter. J.B. Yetter. Adam Bomb may intimidate uh, young Mr. Yetter, although Mr. Yetter may intimidate Harvey Wimbledon about the same time. <laughs> I think Yetter's a little bit bigger. Did you see the eyes and the tongue on this Adam Bomb? Oh, he's a specimen, all right. Most unique. Adam Bomb, a monster of a man. He means business in there. Adam. Jim Johnson really loving those synthesizers. But, uh... <laughs> Vince getting off his Michael Buffer dig there because Buffer was already been working for WCW at that point in time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Big thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. <laughs>